Welcome to Colin. I'm going to go ahead and just share this on uh, Twitter really quick as well. Yeah, so a lot of people are tweeting uh, the Marianne campaign suspension, but I actually, um, I actually just DM Kit to let him know that apparently she has not suspended her campaign. Um, but there are multiple tweets I think that people are sharing, and I think that's what is causing this because it's there's multiple people that are um, that are sharing this saying that she suspended the campaign. It's not just Simon uh, Etzeba. That's his name, Simon Etzeba. It's not just him. It's other accounts, too, that are basically saying that she did. But as she said on her page, she said she hasn't. So I don't know. This is uh, this is really interesting. Anywho, let's go ahead and dive right into the discussion. Welcome to Savvy Sap's podcast on Colin. This is episode 148. Sam Cedar, vote blue no matter who he's saying. The UAW endorsed Joe Biden. How do you guys feel about that? The IDF caught um, shooting Palestinian civilians in a safe zone that were waving the white flag. So there's that and much, much more. I mean, we've, we've talked about quite a bit this week. I'm trying to remember what we talked about on um uh, Tuesday. Oh, Tuesday, there was the story with Brianna Joy Gray being attacked by Zionists. Let me see what else. I'll just pull up my little uh, thumbnail picture here. There was also, oh, of course, the New Hampshire primary results, AOC doubling down support for Biden um, and much, much more. Let's go ahead and dive in. Looks like Ashura, you are first in the queue. What's going on, Ashura? How's it going, Sabrina? What's up? I'm doing good, you? I am doing good. It's been an interesting week. Yeah. So much so that I got to update my uh your 80,000 <laughs> your 80,000 roundup soon. I was thinking maybe you'd get it by April, but apparently someone is feeding you subs. No. <laughs> apparently like you were at 70,000, no you're at 70,000 now. I'm like, "Bro, it's got it ain't going to be long for 6,000 to pop up." I think the appearances on Rising really help the yeah. big audience. Did you know, Sabi, there there is one video that you're in on Rising that has over 500,000 views? No, uh, I was not aware of that. It's back from a few months ago. But if you look at like their, their top ones, there's one that, that that's that high. <laughs> wow, that's uh, crazy. Yeah. Um, they get good numbers. Yeah, I think, I think that... Um, you know, appearances really do help me out a lot. Like, I'm not going to lie. And I don't just appear on Rising. I mean, I go on to, I do radio appearances as well. Actually, probably about once a week, I do like radio appearances. So I've been on uh, Fault Lines a lot, which is, they're on Rumble, but they're also Sputnik Radio. I've also been on Garland Nixon's radio show a couple of times. Like, I, I do a lot of radio appearances that you guys just don't really you may not hear about as much just because most of the time people are just concentrating on what's on YouTube. You know how you guys know how that is. But um, but yeah, I think that uh, it's this is a very, very telling. And I, I think that this is the way it used to be in uh, left independent media. I mean, the reason how I was able to find some of the the shows that I watch, 
I remember I found out about Nico House because I saw him on Kyle Kalinske's show. This was like years ago. I found out about um, wait, actually, actually, wait a minute. Now that I think about it, let me back up. I found out about Nico House because I saw him on Secular Talk. I found out about Tim Black because I found him. I saw him on Secular Talk. I found out about, um, I can't remember how I found Majority Report, actually, now that I, I think about it. TYT, I had already known about. Like, they were, you know, obviously, even back then, they were, like, the big one. Um, but the old school way of me finding out about left, what was called progressive, actually, independent media commentators was because shows with a larger platform would feature the smaller channels on their shows. So they were basically promoting them. And that's how I found out about a lot of these other shows, to be honest with you. Uh, that hasn't always stayed the same. And then once I found um, Nico House's show, then the Convo Couch was poured into my algorithm. And that makes sense because the Convo Couch was a part of MCSC Network, which was Nico's network. So that's how I, I found people. But originally it was because I saw them on a bigger show and I was like, oh, this person has a show. Let me go like, you know, go check that out. I actually think I think I may have found out about Jamal Thomas also because of Secular Talk. I'm just trying to remember. And Kim, I, I remember Kim Iverson show. This was like during the Bernie campaigns. The Kim Iverson show actually just popped up in the algorithm for me. But she grew very fast uh, when, when she had first started. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the algorithm used to work more in the favor of independent media back then. That's the thing. Yeah, because I'm looking at the your video playlist. Like, the Cornell West one's the only one that cracks 100K, 110K. And then you got, I, I could swear I saw there was a Max Bumuthor uh, video. That was like 90K at most at some point. It was your interview with Max. I'm, I'm looking for it. I'm like, wait, did they drop the numbers? <laughs> um, that that wasn't 90K. It was, are you talking about which one? Because I what I did with the Max video is I had the full interview and then I broke it up into two yeah. different clips. Yeah, so it, I, think, I think it was like a clip that was like 90 at some point. Maybe YouTube fucking lowered the views. It might have been the one where he said that, it said RF, uh, Max Blumenthal says RFK Jr. is not really independent. It might have been that one. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them, some of them just work out, end up working out really good for the algorithm, but sometimes it's just luck. Like sometimes it just happens that I happen to interview someone and their name just happens to be trending at that point in time. It, it's a hit or miss sometimes. Like it just, sometimes it looks up that way. Like Eric and I had scheduled that interview with Max. I think we had scheduled that probably like the week before, I think, if I remember and it just so happened the day that that week that I interviewed Max, Max's name was actually trending um, on TubeBuddy. So, you know, that's sometimes you just get lucky. <laughs> sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. It just is what it is. Okay. So, there, so there, are there new platforms coming out with Twitter censoring, YouTube censoring, or people deciding to branch out? Uh other than Rumble and, and Rockfin that are already there, I mean, those are the only ones I'm quite aware of. Yeah, because the TubeBuddy thing is, uh, it's new to me. I've never heard of it. TubeBuddy is an extension. It's a Chrome extension 
for YouTube. And it basically helps you with keyword search and tags and things like that. So you pay for it and you have this extension in your YouTube studio. And that's how you find out what keywords to use. It also helps with titles as well, too. That's like a hidden gem for YouTube um, because a lot of times you might just be fishing in the dark if you don't have TubeBuddy because you don't know how the tags are ranked. But if you have right. TubeBuddy, you know how the tags are ranked. So you know what tags to use as long as they fit your. Okay. Uh, the Nico Polidva clip you you put out, I watched the full video. Uh, it was it was entertaining. It was also funny, though. I looked at the group like it was a whole bunch of old people willing to basically digest the truth. I'm like, why are them older people willing to digest? And most of these people were fucking sane, Sabrina. Some of them basically admit they they got brainwashed. Some of them basically they were talking about shit like like most people don't know today. They did their own research. I was like, why can't more old people be like this? Why they gotta be like a bunch of fucking drones to the Democratic Party? Yep. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but um, these things do happen. People. And uh, it's good that people learn, though. And some people learn, yeah. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen the clip, but what I heard, like, either Destiny or Team Dylan was, was losing his shit over Hot Houthi. <laughs> I don't know why they call him that name, Hot Houthi. <laughs> it, it's it's funny though. I I saw the thing and uh, he was asking him questions. Like if uh, I don't know if you watch One Piece, uh, he, he was asking him like, "Oh, does he like One Piece? Because you know it's a pirate thing." And, and he was, the guy was pretty chill though. And I'm and then I'm watching the Houthis themselves. Like the Houthis, I watched a video about the Houthis and they said, "Man, like there's nothing you can do to us. You've bombed them so many fucking times." Like, we're not even trying to basically, uh, you're, not, you're not even trying, bro. Like, the more you bomb us, you, you're, you're basically strengthening us. I watched a video by Max Blumenthal. Uh, he was interviewing the Houthi guy, and he was even a, a spokesman. And then he said that he lived in UK, he lived in Canada. But then he said that um, no matter how many times you bomb us, you're strengthening us. He talks about how the U.S., uses uh, Arabs against other small Arab countries as a proxy war. As a proxy war and that the United States hides in the back so people would say, it's just a Muslim problem. But then he says that we are happy that the United States is bombing Yemen. And then when people, when I heard that from Max Move, I'm like, wait, why is he happy? He said the reason it's happy now because now they can fight the United States head on. They don't have to fight the proxy wars from behind. So the world knows it's a U.S. that's behind all this shit. Mm -hmm. This is why um, I tell you guys, if you have the opportunity, if Max Blumenthal or Miko Polid, because they give a lot of talks like in person, if you have the opportunity to attend one of those talks, definitely attend it because you just learn. I, I mean, I'll, you can ask Eric, but Eric, I feel like when we went to the talk here at the Community Church of Boston, I felt like I learned even more then, you know, when I just like watch the gray zone, because it, it's more personal, like, and you can ask questions too. <laughs> yeah, he gave a great presentation and he was, um, he hung out for a long time too. Like if, if you, if you go to an event with him, you, you can probably just stand around and talk with him for a few minutes too. Max is chill. Yeah. Cause yeah. we were able to ask him questions afterwards too. 
Yeah, because uh, it was him. I watched him. I wa- I even subscribed to Nico Polito. I didn't know he had a YouTube channel. Uh, mm-hmm. I subscribed to it. Uh, he was talking to this rabbi. I've seen this rabbi before. He's the rabbi that walks around with the album. You know who I'm talking about? He's, he's yeah. this rabbi. He walks around with an album. He's showing how Jews live together, how they made business together. They, they take care of their kids together. And he's like saying, we are anti He said he's from Turkey, some kind of group of uh, Jewish people who are anti-Zionists. And he said that some of those Jews that were living in Israel, they had to leave because once they saw the Zionists coming, they basically bounced and some of them stayed. And, and he says like this, he says like the, what's going on is that that Israel should have never been conquered. No, Palestine should have never been conquered. The state of Israel should have never been made because if it was to be made, the Messiah should be the one leading you there. So if it's not the Messiah's doing it, somebody else is the order of, an, of a man doing it. Then it's not you're not supposed to be there. You're supposed to be exiled. I'm like, though, this dude is speaking facts. He's like a radical. <laughs> the way I speak, I, I'm hearing this guy talk. He's like, nah, no, give, give back the land. I can't remember his name, but I've seen him uh, before. I, I think I have the name on uh, on on my uh, search bar. Okay, it's Rabbi Israel David Was. Or no, or it's or it's Rabbi David Feldman. One of those. Okay. Yeah, I think that's that. I think that's the guy I was talking about. Yeah, um, yeah, he's he's pretty interesting. Yeah, you should have him on <laughs> if you can get one of those two rabbis and, uh, and um, ask him to show him his album. Like he loves doing that shit, man. He loves showing that little album of his. <laughs> he just so how, how passionate this guy is to bring peace to Palestine. I can try. Go ahead, and I want to thank you for uh, putting that. Uh, that debate with that fucking Zionist on PVD. That was wild, wasn't it? Oh, I, did you watch the full thing or just the clip? No, I wa- I watched the full thing. Oh, that did you see and the part where he he brought up Black Lives Matter? Yeah, almost went there. He almost went there. I'm like, bro, don't fucking say it. Don't fucking yeah. say. It. Don't, don't put some racist bullshit on Black Lives Matter. He almost said it. And he fucking he stopped himself. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was definitely a, a mask off moment, like to be honest with you. And my whole thing is like, oh, so tell us how you really feel. You know, I'm they're like, very exposed. I'm like, go, I'm like, go, go ahead, man. I'm like, tell me how you feel. And he's he was talking all that shit, and Basim Yusuf is just taking it in. He probably that like, this guy's a fucking idiot. He's a Zionist. Doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. There's a point where he says, oh, uh, what, what do you mean, though? The Arabs that bomb everywhere. So Israel has never bombed anywhere, motherfucker. Nowhere. I'm like, nigga, let, let me walk, let me Google this shit. I type in Israel's war against Arabs. I go on Wikipedia. Man, there's a fucking a bunch of list of wars Israel did against the Arabs. Mm-hmm. Someone actually just posted on um oh it's breakthrough news. Breakthrough news just posted uh apparently Nancy Pelosi. Just got confronted by protesters. Oh boy! Oh, she should be. About the Netanyahu thing, uh, they're protesting, protesting at his house. I hear the people are protesting, but I'm like, okay, even if they do that, like maybe they're protesting to get the hostages back. I don't think they they really want peace with the Palestinians because I keep seeing these people. Like Nico Pelidas said this before, even with Gideon Levy, that the people of Israel, they majority of them do not want to wake up. 
If they wake up, they got to look at themselves in the mirror. Well, there's some some of the there's also anti-Zionist uh, Jews. Um, there's anti-Zionist Israelis in Israel too. Just FYI. No, I, I, I know who they are. I'm talking about the ones who basically are pro. They're saying we need to bomb more. We need to get rid of the Arabs. There's a video of a teacher who got fired. He was chased around by students, calling him names, or because he tried to humanize the Palestinians. Yeah, but that's not everyone, though. That's the thing. Everyone's not like that. Just like everyone in America isn't. Uh, just think about this way: during the Iraq War, just like everybody in America wasn't saying, "Yeah, go bomb these people," uh, you know. So it just, just like everyone after 9-11 was not in favor of us getting involved in another war in the Middle East. So I think it's just, that's the thing we, we do have to be careful about like making generalizations because not everybody feels that way. And some of the Hasidic uh, Israelis have actually been beaten up. I've seen videos of this too, beaten up by the IDF for not being Zionist. Yeah, and Max, the, and Max yeah. has been talking about how like it's they they really go after protesters now in in Israel. It's it's become very authoritarian, and you you better be, um, you better be ready to <laughs> go to jail and and who knows what if you're if you're protesting in Israel now. I don't courage. I don't remember if this is one uh, during the Miko Polite and Max uh, the, the 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 conference they had. Or was it with the video with the rabbi that he was on? They talked about how Palestinians are afraid to get out now. They're afraid to go out. They're afraid to buy food. If they get out, they, they, they it's like the IDF or the government gave the the uh, the Israelis the permission to just shoot shoot any fucking Palestinian that walks on the street. There's yeah. There's another video that was posted. Um, I might discuss this one tomorrow. There was another video that was posted where Palestinians were basically being shot at when they were trying to get food. Yeah, yeah, I heard that one. And then there's a video of, uh, not a video, a post that was on um, some um, some group I, I'm sub to. Like, they, you, you saw a girl, two women. They're at looks like a cosmetic shop, and they got fucking AR-15s strapped to their backs. And the only per, the only time I saw a woman with with a fucking AR-15 strapped strapped to their backs. Is what that one girl, what do you call it, gun girl or some shit? Mm-hmm. I was like, yo, is gun girl in Israel? And you also have to consider when you think about um, the, the behavior of some of the people in Israel is that Israel has an, what I would call an amalgamated kind of population you know, a lot of these Jews in Israel are not indigenous. They are the people who are Jewish people who have immigrated to Israel from all these other lands. Because I just saw a video piece where the people were, um, they were interviewing people in the IDF, but they were stating the countries that they had come from to Israel. So you have a lot of people who you know, there's a different connectivity and a different reasoning for them being there. And when you listen to the people who I would say have um, been deprogrammed, so to speak, they talk about how as children, as their school, they are steeped in this ideology about, you know, the Zionism and Israel, this, that, and a third. And that's why 
you know, the, the ones who seek their way out of it, they have to do their own research. And then they begin to realize, you know, that what they've been taught is different from what the reality is and that their better angels help them see that this is not right. But you have a lot of people there who are gripped by fear. They've been fed a narrative that they're under attack. The young people are concerned about, you know, their future. They're, they're in a deep, deep, um, almost paranoid type of state because they feel like they're under attack. And so I can understand without the balancing forces within the community to challenge them and talk to them and, and, you know, lead them into a different direction. It just becomes this group think thing where everybody is kind of like, oh, we're under attack. We got to do this, that, and a third. And I kind of feel sorry for um, a lot of the people because I'm like, you've lost the ideological narrative. And so if you are, if you have gone down a rabbit hole thinking you're under attack and you've given in to paranoia, you're going to have a very hard way forward. Because like Chris Hedges said, you know, no matter how this ends, Israelis do not win. Because if if you cannot create a situation where everybody can have some semblance of peace, you're not going to be living in peace either. And so either everybody lives in fear or you try and create a space where everybody can live together. And, you know, we've seen that in this country. You know, white people live in a type of fear that I think is unrealistic, but it's been there because they know what's happened. We know what's happened. We know what's wrong. And nobody is really stepping forward to do what we all in our hearts know is the right thing by one another. What, yeah, like once, you, once you've been taught those, once you once it's been like ingrained in you and like Noel was saying, like if you're taught this when you're a kid, that's when they start teaching you this type of thing. You have to decolonize your mind and you have to unlearn everything that you've been taught. And all the indoctrine, all the indoctrination that comes with that, it's it's a process. It really is. Yeah. Well, CJ, I don't know if you saw this. I forgot what, I think it was the day you did the uh, call in on uh, what, I think it was a Wednesday or a Tuesday. You did the same video on the same day. CJ did the video. It could be the next day he did it. Where he brought up this, I've seen this Asian guy before on TikTok. He was talking about how the Israelis did a DNA test. <laughs> and this guy find out. He's not even native of the land. He's just a convert. He's yeah. European all the way. Yeah, no, like even neither is Netanyahu, by the way. Netanyahu is also not native to the land. Yeah, he's not even one, not, not one Arab drop of Arab blood in him. Nowhere. European, Mongolian. I thought Mongolian was like supposed to be Asian because, you know, because of Genghis Khan and shit. Right, so, like some of them are from like Poland, Croatia, Russia. Like they're not, like that's that's the thing. Um, so someone actually sent me an email saying, "Sabi, just FYI, did you know that DNA tests are not permitted in Israel?" Yeah, yeah but this guy did it anyway, and he basically found out that he was basically white. But this is why it brings the point: like all these Jews that are down there, they're not even native of the land. 
So they can't basically use that bullshit. We were there for 3,000 years. It was an astrology, blah, blah, blah. But when you fucking do the DNA test, that's your, you're just a convert. You're just a white person. Exactly. Which is why the reality is this ethnocentrist, ethno-nationalist state is really dangerous. Because when you strip it down and look at it, it's just another nod to supremacy. You know, and and even when in the light of the Ethiopian Jews, who we know DNA likely tracks back to that region of the world, three, four, five, six generations, they're being mistreated. And it's not for a lack of being Jewish, it's for race. And so when we see a lot of the, you know, Jewish people who are immigrating to Israel, the vast majority are white. And that's why it's been such a difficult topic to navigate because you raise the issue of race and they, you know, there's some resistance to that. And it's just like a muddying of the waters because no one wants to really go back and say, well, okay, if you, you're staking a claim to this because of what happened two and 3,000 years ago, then let's track it. They don't want to do that because they know they don't track back to that region. <laughs> so it's it's really just sad, though, yeah, you know, and that that explains why the United States cannot come to terms with what this Israel project really means. And it's the same reason this the United States cannot come to terms with the Donald Trump and what he embodies. It's like the elephant in the room. And, and it's so interesting to me the way all of these things have a string that really ties them together. And so much of it goes to, you know, supremacy and race and all of this stuff. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, as uh, Sam Cedar, uh, he exposed himself a couple of years ago <laughs> on that video uh, that you put, Sabrina. One thing I find it funny, though, once Jimmy's name was dropped on, dropped on the show, uh, he's, he, he smelled hot. He smelled meat and he wanted to get, to get on it. Uh, and, and, and basically Tim, Tim Black basically wanted to, was talking about other stuff, but, but you, you know, the, the moment you say Jimmy Dore, that's basically his, his, his bread and butter on the show. So everything he, you can talk about the topics that you talk about. He's not, he's not going to get people interested in it because he's brainwashed them on culture war bullshit. You could talk about basically poverty the, those numbers don't do anything compared to a Jimmy Dore video or a Glenn, Glenn, Greenwood, Glenn, Glenn Greenwood video or, or a, what's his name, a Jackson Hinko video. Like, it doesn't work. Like, it, people are just not interested. They just want the culture war shit. Well, I, I think we're talking about different audiences, too. A lot of the people, a lot of the audience members from Majority Report are liberals. That's That's the thing. And see, when I was watching these people, a lot of these shows back in the day, during the Bernie uh, campaigns, I thought all those people were like progressive. I was like, wow, look at how big we are. Like we have a big movement, man. Yeah. Wow. And it wasn't until I actually got out there and I realized that like, no, we're not as big as we think we are. So who are all these people watching these shows? And then you come to find out a lot of these people are liberals, not necessarily progressives or Bernie Sanders supporters. So it's kind of like, um, my, how did my dad used to describe this? He would always say that like he likes to watch like bystander uh, different types of 
of media. So he likes to watch people that he agrees with, but he also likes to watch people that he disagrees with so he can know what they're talking about and what they're planning. So that's what it is. So when you look at shows like TYT, again, this has actually been admitted by people that were part of TYT before that the majority of their viewers are also liberals. And you would think like during the progressive campaigns and all that stuff, like, wow, all these people watching are progressive and da, da, da. No, it's just, it's just like how some liberals used to watch Tucker Carlson's show because they want to know what their quote unquote enemy is talking about. Yeah. I don't mind people watching both, both shows, both sides, just to get, just to know to, you know, you, you, you basically dig into the muck to find the diamond, but yeah, it's like Sam Cedar. He's a buzz. David Pacman. <laughs> he got exposed with one somebody called in and said him that uh, under Joe Biden, life's not doing so great. Uh, there's inflation, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, what are you talking about? Life is doing great. Joe Biden, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with Joe Biden. I'm like, bro, what, 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 what planet are you living on? Why are you pretending there's no one, nothing wrong with Joe Biden? That Joe well, Bi- David, David like, Pacman, just remember, he also has sponsors. So he he is paid to say what he's saying. Just just keep that in mind, guys. Like he's paid to keep that quote unquote liberal agenda and not to go any further than that. David Pacman, the last time I heard him say something progressive, that was during the 2020 campaign. And I think he was he was leaning more towards all of a sudden he was pivoting away from Bernie Sanders and he was leaning more towards uh Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. Huh? No. Oh, sorry. That was my husband. He said okay. snake. <laughs> he calls me the <laughs> snake. Um, but he started when I noticed the difference when he started pivoting towards Elizabeth Warren. I'm like, why would you take Elizabeth Warren if because Bernie Sanders policies were much more progressive. And then from there, he just totally became a Biden show. He got all these sponsorships like he just totally sold out. And so David is just taking the money. Well, it wasn't just him. TYT did the same thing. There's a point yeah. that we're on Bernie, and then they went around and said, oh, maybe we should choose Elizabeth Warren. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Van Jones, uh, I don't know what the fuck is he doing on that show. Uh, Van Jones basically should just grow back his hair and <laughs> try not to <laughs> get wet that shit. Go back his hair and go back to protesting with people, man. Uh, this guy, I can't take him. Like Every time he fucking comes on the show, I'm like, is he going to cry? But remember... Um... Jeff Bezos gave Van Jones a lot of money. Remember that? He gave him like $500,000 or something like that. Does everybody remember this? I think this was like a year ago. Maybe. Maybe I not. Still can't, I still can't remember that video where he cried on TV. Oh, God. Don't bring me back to that. Oh, I have to bring it back to you because you, you brought up Van Jones. So I have to, I have to do it. Sorry. I thought oh. it was like $100 million or something. Was it million? Be- it was something really, really huge. And it went to like his like foundation or group. Right. Oh, foundation. <laughs> More like his bank account. Yeah, because then you got Dean Phillips in there. Dean Phillips somehow is eclipsing Marianne. Marianne's oh. results. Oh, I'm like, when Keaton went on to talk to her, Keaton didn't push out, but he was basically saying some good shit. But there was the, also a woman that was there talking about how she fed the homeless or children during the pandemic, doing mutual aid. So Keaton started talking about that stuff. And then Marianne said the bullshit she said on the Jimmy Dore show. I am not enrolled in your way of thinking. And then, and then okay. because, 
Yeah, because Keaton was telling you a lot, man. Listen, I like what you're saying. We may disagree a lot, but let's be let, let's be real here. You're not going to win. At the end of the day, it's going to be Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. And he's like, what, what, what do you mean I'm not going to win? What, what, what do you mean I'm not going to I, I can win. I can, I can win. I, I got At the end of the day, uh, somebody, I think with Jack's something, and she sent me like a tweet. You know, you know how many votes Marianne got at the end of the night? Four point something percent. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, I'm like, oh, God damn it. Like, why did you even run? I mean, you got worse than Jake Uger. Because Crystal and Kyle asked her to. Yeah, because now, now, now people can basically use that say, see, you're a fraud. Nobody, nobody wants you really. Couldn't give, couldn't get 5%. For the thing, and they told her to run as an independent. But if she doesn't run, then people will talk about her even less. You see? Well, she's basically she's basically was what's the word I'm looking for? She's irrelevant. They should not talk about. But then, her. but she'd be even more irrelevant. Like that's the worst thing to this type of person is is to disappear. So well, she she's desperately actually, trying not to disappear. I think she was she irrelevant actually, in 2020. She was actually polling a lot higher in New Hampshire before Dean Phillips jumped into the race, believe it or not. She was in double digits in New Hampshire, percentage-wise, just FYI. Is, has Dean Phillips been carpet-bombing the network? Is that why he's at 23%? Yeah, Dean Phillips is is a wealthy dude. He comes from a rich family. Like, they own... Because uh, Eric Jackman explained this on my show when he came on to talk about what was happening in New Hampshire on the ground. Um, Dean Phillips comes from like uh, some liquor family or something like that. And apparently like Dear Abby, the original Dear Abby is also related to him. Like he's he's a wealthy dude. So he had the money to pay. Yeah, because I'm like, how do you go from like Marianne's been out there for months and this guy walks in and he's go like 23 percent, 21, 23 percent. And Keaton said that shit. I'm like, how the, how the hell did he get so much sub, uh, so much people? Basically but don't. Him don't lose sight of the fact that he was already a politician. He's a congressman. So he already has a, a, a political um, legitimacy by having been there, you know, and for whatever Marianne's points are, she is still perceived as non-political and right. she cannot work it the way Trump worked it. But I also think Marianne's legitimacy got a little... Um, besmirched because she chose to run in that Democratic Party. The things that she has said over the years demonstrates that she understands how corrupted that machine is, but then you go in there anyway. And so the people who likely share her viewpoints are not in the Democratic Party. They're outside, especially those who have been you know, disenfranchised and disillusioned through the Bernie Sanders thing. That was her cue. That was her group. So you jump back inside this, you know, machine that you know doesn't work. And so uh, that's not your natural base. That's not your space. And then you get criticized for a lack of integrity because it's like you really aren't you know, what are you really doing here? Are you for the Democrats? Are you against them? A, B, and C. And, you know, if if they've sent you these signs that you're clearly not being received, then you should have been left and run independent. It didn't make any sense. We tried to tell her that, uh, Noel, 
We tried to tell her that. I, I said that about pretty much anyone trying to run in the Democratic Party against Joe Biden. So yeah, I just looked this up. Dean Phillips' family owns the Phillips Distilling Company. Yeah, this motherfucker rich. Yeah. Yeah, and, and this, this one still goes to Keaton from New Dissidents. Because I remember a couple of uh, months back when the UAUW, they, they did that strike thing. They tried to do that. We're going to be a little bit of strike over here and a little bit of strike over there. It said going a full strike. And then Keaton, I think Keaton had uh, Shama Sawant on the show. They talked about it. And then he got attacked by some guy on YouTube over the fact that oh, they didn't, they, they said that, oh, well, a bunch of the organizers are just talking shit, but they, they're not working in, in the, in the unions. So basically they're criticizing this guy, how, how he's basically doing his shit. And then you find out he endorses the genocider. Yeah, I th I think the reason. Um, so Andrew Yang, I haven't talked to Andrew in a while. I should actually. I wonder if I should reach back out. Um, Andrew Yang actually endorsed Dean Phillips, and he actually called it early on that he said Dean Phillips would actually do well. And um, apparently, according to Eric Jackman, some of the former Andrew Yang supporters support supported Dean Phillips. I think Dean Phillips also supports UBI. So he's got like that Yang gang uh, support. And um, Dean Phillips actually did a interview with Crystal and Kyle. Mm -hmm. And that was my first time understanding that he is Jewish. Yes, he is. Because let me tell you, his name... So look, see, we pulling up some stuff tonight, okay? His name, his his last name was actually Cohen. His father, apparently it says his father died in the Vietnam War. His mother remarried. The guy she remarried last name was Phillips. Mm. So uh, yeah, yeah, he, he is. Um, I remember uh, I saw part of that where he called Crystal and Kyle anti-Semitic. I remember that part. And, you know, it's an interesting thing because they were trying to question him, you know, more directly about the um, genocide that's taking place in Gaza. And he kept, you know, circumventing the issue and saying, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just Jewish people and we've been through a lot over our history and we just hope that people will understand and this and that. And I'm like, boo, you're living the life. And you are trying to center your anguish over your history above these people's lives being taken in the here and now. And it's like, you he's a, he's cannot juxtapose those two things and come out looking like you make any type of sense. It's, it, it was just sad. He's a rich white guy. And to your point, Noel, you didn't even know that he was Jewish until he said so. Well, I don't understand why did he basically go back to his father's name? If, if, if the father was married, why change his name anyways? That makes no sense to me. Uh, that's kind of like an old school thing, Ashura, where like back in the day where if if a mother, uh, excuse me, a wife or whatever had a husband that died in Vietnam and there were kids and they remarried, it was kind of, it wasn't, uh, I guess, considered kosher by some people to not take the name of the guy that you just remarried so the kids in other words like he would adopt the kids so you take the last name mm -hmm. yeah, that way the kid that way the kid don't doesn't have a different last name 
then the parents and then all that kind of stuff. It, you know, that was like back in the day, though. So just keep that in mind. That was back in the day. Things are obviously a lot different today. I mean, when I was in high school, I had friends that had hyphenated last names. The hyphens used to drive me crazy, though, because I'm like, look, just pick a damn name. Right. <laughs> Why does kid got two last names? Stuff like that. Yeah, uh, like you said in the stream, like a labor shouldn't be tied to any political party because it'll poison it. Mm-hmm. Now, now you have to question the whole strike. Now, there's a story behind that. There is, you know, I just, I just couldn't wrap my mind around the way Sean Fain stood on that stage. And just did this ringing endorsement and this and that. And then, Savvy, you showed the clip where he was like, well, let's be clear. You know, a, a lot of the membership is not going to support Biden. I'm like, well, what kind of process do you all have to decide to endorse somebody if you know a significant portion, if not the majority of your membership, you know, is opposed to this man? And how can you call for a ceasefire and then turn right back around and talk about endorsing a person who can by his words alone create a ceasefire. I um, mean, Joe Biden could simply say, um, Netanyahu, stop. This is as far as we can go. We can't tolerate it anymore. You know, the politics are, are just too bad. You have to stop. What could Netanyahu do but piss a bitch and stop? Because I mean, you have the purse strings. So how can Sean step up there and endorse him to my, ooh, you still, you came to one protest, one strike, and now you all deep up in, it's just too disingenuous for me. And Sean knows um, Biden's history with the rail workers. How can you even pretend that this man supports labor? He backtracked on the raising the minimum wage. Because I'm like, I'm, what are you talking about? Because I'm, and I'm see, this is how people they get bought. confused. They they bought like somebody got to Sean. Can we all just you know just sit back and admit somebody got to Sean? These unions have been co opted by the Democratic Party. You guys, what's uh? It's it's like uh, Jimmy likes to say when it comes to unions, it's not the union that's bad. It's not the the workers that are bad in the union. It's the people running the union. They are yep. in the rank and file. They don't. They don't. They don't care what the union members. But it's like the union members can say we're against it, and they all. They always say, "Oh yeah, we support it." They're against it. The group is against it. The rank and file they support it, and then everybody will say the media will will basically say, "Oh, the the the, the unions basically love Joe Biden." Yeah, it's a good point. Um, yeah, it kind of seems almost like to other callers. Yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, gonna I'm gonna fast forward though. The IDF thing, it reminded me of those three Israelis that got shot uh, <laughs> naked with half naked. I'm like, how how do you basically shoot somebody with a white flag and still think you're gonna get away with? It? That's like two occasions now. Because they know they can get away with it because they know that nobody else is gonna hold them accountable except for. South Africa and Indonesia that's trying to hold them accountable right now. But the, one of the most powerful voices would be the United States government. The United States government doesn't want to say anything because basically they, they, they belong to Israel. 
because uh, I remember I said this in the chat a couple of weeks back that the entire ICJ is basically filled with Zionists, or it could be today. I don't think they're going to win tomorrow, but Israel has been exposed. They've become a pariah state. Nobody will fucking trust them anymore. Anything fucking thing they say, they'll be scrutinized. So I'm expecting a a not so good verdict tomorrow. Uh, with this new killing, uh, um, I, I think that we should just basically enjoy the fact that Israel has been exposed, even if we don't really get what we want, even if they get ethnically cleansed, Gaza gets destroyed. Uh, Israel is basically fucking doomed. Uh, the, the the Arabs will not forget this shit because I've been seeing clips of a movie said Arabs will not forget it. Uh, the Yemen's they, they're not gonna forget this shit. They're willing to die even if you bomb their country to death. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say this. Regardless of the root the ruling tomorrow, it's not gonna be good for Jewish people. Yep. It's gonna now it, it's really gonna be bad with this anti-Semitic shit. Is it's not gonna if the ICJ rules in favor of South Africa, it's not gonna be good for Jewish people. They're gonna be seen as oh well, your people committed genocide. If the ICJ rules in favor of Israel, it's still not going to be good for Jewish people because the whole world has seen what is happening. And then the people, the whole world is like, oh, so basically this is this is where the fear comes in. Then the rest of the world, people look at this and they start to see, oh, so basically Israel can't be held accountable for anything. So that's not going to be good for Jewish people either. That's going to make people fear Jewish people. So it just, it, it, yeah. And see, if I understand the process correctly, the whole question before the ICJ as to whether um, Israel is culpable for genocide is ways, a ways off down the road. I think what they're responding to tomorrow are the provisional requests that there be a cessation of hostilities. So the big question as to whether it's a genocide or not, I think they say that would t that's going to take years. But these provisional issues where they um, the South Africans have requested, you know, until you make that decision, they're requesting a cessation of hostilities. That's the question. And I think, you know, when you think about it based on you know, what we heard from the actual filing, plus what we have seen and everybody around the world has seen. I think the legitimacy of international law and the ICJ is on the line. Now, the ICJ can come down and rule in favor of the provisional request to stop the bombing. And the UN can take up the issue and the US can veto it if they want to, this and that. But I think the ICJ, in terms of its credibility, has to come down. Because what else can you say? And like I say, if they don't come down on the right side and at least take the right stand, then it's a blow to international law and the ICJ. Because what we're basically saying is it only works if you're dealing with, you know, people from the Southern Hemisphere, people out of mm -hmm. Africa, people of color. But when it comes to the Western Hemisphere and all of this stuff, when they do stuff, they have enough inroads to manipulate and get the outcomes that they want. Then it just destabilizes the whole thing. And I think that moves us closer to um, global hostilities because people will understand that the U.S. is just going to do what they want to do. 
And even though that's, you know, the high and low of it, they need to be forced to do it. They need the ICJ needs to be able to say in defense of its own institution that we did the right thing and then let the others do, you know, have their way because history is going to get all of this correct. And I think the world order is just shifting. And so either the U.S. is going to eventually get its comeuppance or they're going to force Israel to do the right thing or at least move towards the right. All right, let's go ahead and bring in Zach. And I just want to let you guys know, too, that uh, this puts Americans in danger, too, because don't get it twisted. I don't think, especially a lot of the Arab countries, like, I don't think they're looking at the United States in a favorable way right now. And just remember this, because they can look at us and just be like, you know what? Your government was giving Israel the weapons. So this puts us in danger, too. That's what people have to understand. Go ahead, uh, Zach. Um, yeah, that's a really good point, Savvy. And it's it's been a you know a joke in media for the longest time. Uh, in overseas travel, I I don't know if it was on The Simpsons, but um, like Lisa pretended to be a Canadian instead of an American, and it, it's because you know historically we haven't done uh, the best things for our population, our indigenous or the world in in the affairs i wanted to come on and ask you um on tiktok there was a big hubbub about it i wish um it got a broader reach but there's a woman in gaza her name is bison she's a journalist and she called for a week of action this this week was the week to protest against um what's what's going on um the state of israel all you know the the culmination of all those things um and i I remembered that you did camp dada and i if i remember correctly that was an organization or an organizing thing right um could you talk about that and how you came together with the people you did and how other people can do that so so we can um build community come together with what people our community um that's what camp dada was right uh, a bunch of oh yeah so i didn't i was not an organizer but i attended um so the organizers were the bank sisters and um Oh, I remember everybody. Oh, Lucy, Blue Moon Red Wine. She was one of the organizers. Um, yeah, Camp Dada was, it was a good event. I mean, we basically all got together. Again, I wasn't one of the organizers, but we all got together uh, in New York and we camped out and we basically did skill sharing. So people taught each other different things. People taught each other how to do like CPR. People taught each other how to do like how to use different types of how you can make different types of um, essential oils and stuff like that for, you know, different ailments and stuff like that. Uh, they taught each other. We did so many different things there. There was the hike. There was another nature hike. I can't remember everything, but we did a lot like a Camp Dada. And the whole idea was to bring activists together 
and share ideas and talk about how we can move forward. We did uh, a roundtable campfire where we talked about like where to what we can do with healthcare and stuff like that. It was really good. It was it was great. Like I enjoyed it. Um, and um, we need to do more things like that. I mean, like we have the RBN chapters in our prospective cities. You know, hopefully the idea is that people would want to form a chapter in their city as well. Uh, not just doing mutual aid, but also if you want to do skill sharing, it's really what you make it. But I think like having all these different people come together who are activists, it was great. And it was people who came from all over. There were people that came from Kansas City, um, Texas, Delilah, who ran for governor of Texas as a Green Party member. She also was there. And so you got to hear people different perspectives and what they're doing in their community. But also we were able to share those ideas with other people. We did the prison writing uh, session where we wrote letters to, um, you could choose to write letters to prisoners or you could choose to write letters to governors of certain states about the conditions at the prisons. Like it was, it was good. Like I thought it was very well organized, but I wasn't an organizer. So it would be best if you talk to probably, um, uh, who's so on Twitter, Lucy Blue Moon Red Wine. It would probably be best if you reach out to her to ask her how to go about doing something like that. Okay, cool. That um yeah, I'll I'll look her up and I'll I think the videos are still on your YouTube. So it feels really alone. Like a lot of people in what I consider my sphere talk about a general strike and, and that's why I brought this up. I I I want to build a bigger community, but as a lone person, I don't know how to break through that. I wonder if you had any thoughts on that. It's like the advice I get is just get out there. But it's like, it feels like I'm in the middle of nowhere and there's no resources around. So getting out there is kind of, it's scary. It feels a little suffocating. And I hope you get the The best thing to do in the beginning, if you're trying to get involved in activism is to attend something that's already established. I recommend that to anyone, right? Like that's how I got involved, like attend something that's already established. Uh, and it can be tough depending on where you live, but there's usually some type of organization. You might have to Google it, that kind of thing. Uh, and just show up. That's the first thing. And the best thing that you can do is just show up. That's the biggest step. And you join something that's already established. And I say that to do that first, so you can see how it actually works, how activism works, how you can do your best activism, et cetera. And then from there, then you can start your own thing if you choose to do that. But all of us at RBN, like, that's how we started. Like, we started as a part of something else. I mean, I, like, I started activism when I was in high school. So I've been a part of, you know, I did a lot of volunteering. I volunteered for the Key Club. I volunteered for Habitat for Humanity. Um, so I, I started learning those things when I was younger and participating in those things when I was younger. And... Then, like, as I got older, when I got to college, it's, it's a lot easier when you're in school because these organizations are on campus and they're readily available. But when I was in undergrad, I was also involved. I was an activist for Girl Scouts of America. So I did uh, philanthropy and stuff like that. Um, I also was a camp counselor, too, for Girl Scouts of America. So I had a lot of experience doing those types of things. Um but I started in the school system now post the educational system. That's when it can be a little bit tricky, but it's a lot easier now with the internet. And that's why I say, if you just Google 
like different organizations, whether it's activism or volunteer, a lot of volunteer groups actually are activists, right? So they'll volunteer, but they may also participate in activism as well. First step you can do right now is to go to answercoalition.com, bookmark their website because they're always, always hosting events and they actually will bust people into rallies. That's the other thing too. So that's one of the ways you can get involved. There's so many other options out there. There's uh, Answer Coalition, Black Alliance for Peace. There's um, uh, even for the Palestinian organizations, there's like Young Palestinians of America. Like there's so many different ones that you can join and get a part of. But I would say start with something that's already established first and then you can go from there. Right on, Sabby. Thanks. Um, That was really helpful. Also, Uh, Zach, there is, and it's so funny you should bring this up because I just saw an episode of Laura Flanders on PBS and her guest, I forget the name of the episode, but her guest was talking specifically about the issue you raise and that is how to get involved with, you know, organizing and activism. And as Savvy said, one of the first things to do is, you know, join or go to another meeting because what happens is, you eventually come into contact with people who share your ideas and that germinates. And that's the first way out. But the the guest she had, I think he has actually written a book. So if you um, are really interested, you can pull up Laura Flanders on PBS. And I think it was actually the last episode. And I think it had something to do with fortifying democracy or something, but the under the real issue was how to organize in these spaces. And he talked about, you know, things that they had done. And that's the way the book came about because, you know, people have these ideas and they have the interest and inclination, but they don't know how to get started. And so I think that her guest has actually written a book on it. That's right. That's the best way to do it. And uh, even some of the people that were part of, like the Bernie campaigns, the people that were actually, that's activism too, by the way, the people who are knocking on doors, who uh, phone banked for candidates and stuff like that too. A lot of times, some of those people were already a part of stuff like college Democrats or uh, young Democrats of America, like that kind of thing, or, um, or a part of like the green party or things like that. So uh, there's all different types of activism. It's just a matter of what do you want to do? Right on. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Noel, I love you so much. Uh, Thank you for talking to me. Oh, thanks so much. All right. Noel, I'm actually going to go to you for just a second, and then I'll go to Kirby. Um, I want to get your... your, um, um, How do you feel about about Dennis Kucinich and now? Girl, I just, you know, I don't know how to receive that (laughs) because, you know, I spoke to Dennis Kucinich personally um, when I was trying to, when he was running for mayor here the last time about the fraud that I have experienced here. And, you know, he said to me, um, if I if I get elected, there's certainly things I can do. And at this point, Savvy, what I was looking for is exposure because the whole matter is being covered up. And so I said to him, um, 
Mr. Kucinich, you have the longest political career of anybody who's running. You don't need to be mayor to help me in this situation. And he, it was just, it was a very difficult conversation because I felt like he sucked his teeth and said, well, I'll give you my P.O. box address and you can send me the information. And I said to him, Mr. Kucinich, most of my records are electronic. I can email them to you. And he <laughs> gave me that P.O. box address. And I'm like, OK. And I was really discouraged in that moment because I felt like, you know, first of all, there's the reputation of Dennis Kucinich for being this type of independent minded Democrat and this and that. And, you know, straight, you know, straight shot, no chaser. And then when I was talking to him directly, there was a type of evasiveness and a type of unwillingness to assist me in this situation. Um, and so while he did give me his P.O. box address, I felt that was disingenuous when I could have just sent the information in an email. That said, I say that my perspective on him is being informed by my personal experience with him. So politically, you know, I see it as a good move in terms of running as an independent. But, you know, as for how I feel deep down within, I'm like, it's just to me, it's kind of like more the same. You know, it was the same with Nina Turner. I'm like, if you all aren't willing to help individuals who are struggling with this democratic crap that you know exists and you're on to bigger and better and brighter things it's like so how committed to you are you how committed are you really to the things that are impacting people's everyday lives so him running as an independent in district seven i'm like you know good luck it's not like i feel you know, enthusiastic about it or necessarily um, put off by it. But I'm like, OK, well, whatever. But we'll see because it'll be interesting to see where he goes as an independent and what is the um, tenor of this community and how receptive they will be to an independent, especially when his name and reputation are already so long established. And so that will be yeah. an indicator of the temperament of the constituency. So on that perspective, I think it's an interesting thing to watch. But whether I support it, I'm like, uh, okay. Yeah, he, um, actually, I, I interviewed him today. Eric, will we have, will we have the interview ready for tomorrow? Because, um. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So that, that interview should post tomorrow. I should post it tomorrow afternoon. And um, because I did talk to him about his campaign today, I think he thinks that he's going to do pretty well because apparently like that's his old his old district. Um, And I guess he's pretty well known that people know him and stuff like that. You know, I think there's some things that he could still work on. Uh, I wonder if he gave you the P.O. box because of the technology thing, because when I, I know when I did meet with him today, he has some tech issues. Like some things, like not, not like like, like someone's, someone's mic isn't working, working, but more like uh, how do we use this thing? And I, I've noticed that with a lot of older, 
people that I reach out to, like, it's like, they have to have somebody do, like, handle the technical stuff so they don't know how to do it, like, that kind of, it seemed like to me the impression I got from Dennis is he's a little bit more old school when it comes to that kind of stuff. I have noticed that. And I can see that, but you know, as as a candidate for mayor, you know he had a campaign staff. And I'm sure there were people, a campaign manager or whoever, who could have handled that. And um, it would have been different if he had simply said, you know, I'm not technically savvy or this and that and that, but hell, everybody got email these days. Because I think the, the way I reached out to him was through his campaign email. So... Um, it's just, you know, I appreciated the fact that he did call me back, but so did Chantel Brown. And that went nowhere. I spoke with Nina Turner and I met her in person and that went nowhere. So, uh, you know, I understand it. I know I'm nobody and I know I'm just, you know, one small person in this big, you know, Caligula here <laughs> of political mess. But like I say, it was just, I was kind of deflated. And, you know, I have to pull myself back together. But like I say, his run as an independent in this area will be an interesting test to see how disenchanted and disillusioned the voters are and whether they are really looking for a different way forward. Now, that's given whether they perceive this long-term Democrat as a different way forward. Or maybe they perceive him as just a Democrat in different clothing. But I think a lot will depend upon whether he can address in a way that seems genuine why he is leaving or not running as a Democrat. And I think that's the more interesting question that people will want to hear yeah. and see what type of critique he levels against the Democratic establishment and then, you know, like I say, his reputation as a politician and a straight shooter are are good enough. But it, it will really be interesting to see if he'll be able to capture the disillusioned Democrats and Republicans and win that seat. Yeah, he did. Um, excuse me. Um, we did talk about that. I mean, I think that was the first question I asked him. I really do. I think that was the first question that I asked him was about the, you know, why did you decide to run as independent? So I'll let you guys see that and, and take it for what it is. Let's bring in Kirby. What's up, Curb? You just got to unmute. Curb? Going, uh-oh. Oh, no, Kirby dropped off. Kirby! Come back, Curb, come back. Okay, there you are. Let's try it again. I know sometimes this can happen when people try to unmute. Okay, can you hear me now? I can hear you. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, a lot of interesting issues tonight. I can't wait to see that interview with Kucinich. Um, that, that will be very interesting. But the main reason I called is because I've taken on this subscription thing. I've talked to you about it before. And of all the people I watch, you are the only one that has not been unsubscribed. I find that kind of interesting, almost like they don't think you, you're a threat. Unsubscribe? What are you talking about? What subscription? Well, like I subscribe to you. I subscribe to Jimmy Dore. 
all kinds of subscriptions on YouTube. I've talked to you about this before, how they're unsubscribing all the time, just mm-hmm. constantly. Kim Iverson hasn't gone over 540 subscriptions in over six weeks. Well, let me comment on that for a second. There's a reason for that in reference to Kim Iverson, and Kim will tell you this herself. Kim doesn't do live streams on right. YouTube. She's sabotage on she her. She can't because of her Rumble contracts. Same reason why Glenn Greenwald doesn't do live streams on YouTube because of his Rumble contract. So the idea, once Kim signed, and Kim explained this to me multiple times, but once she signed that contract with Rumble, the Rumble exclusive contract, you can only do live streams on Rumble. So what does that do? That obviously is going to suppress you even more on YouTube because you're not doing live streams on YouTube. What she is allowed to do is take a clip from her live stream and post the clip on YouTube. Unfortunately, that's not what works for the algorithm anymore. That's what used to work for the algorithm years ago. That's why people like Kyle Kalinske and, um, you know, like breaking points and stuff like that, like the old school people, that's why they just do the recordings and upload the vids because that used to work for the algorithm. The algorithm now favors live streams. So if you're not live streaming, it is going to be very hard for you to grow on YouTube. So no, you're right. Once Kim Iverson signed that Rumble contract, yeah, she's not really growing on YouTube. You're right. But the, her growth is being stymied by the fact they're constantly unsubscribing anybody who subscribes. That's that started, my point. According to Kim, that started four years ago. Well, she talked about this the very first time I interviewed her on my show. She said she grew really quickly the first two years. And then after that, YouTube just started unsubscribing people from her show. And that was back when she was supporting Bernie Sanders during the Bernie Sanders campaign. Right. But like RBN is particularly targeted that way. Midwestern Marks is targeted that way. I, I watch the RBN live tonight. I was surprised. I was not unsubscribed. But earlier uh, today on a clip, I had been unsubscribed. So the reason I was subscribed tonight was because I had already resubscribed. So the whole thing is making me probably have to go to X because apparently unless I go to X, I can't even complain to YouTube about it. Well, to be honest with you, I hate to tell people this, but I just saw a post earlier this morning that one of the large accounts on X that has that subscribe option, uh, what's his name? Dom something. He's the one that's always calling out the Epstein people. Um, he just lost his subscription status on X. In fact, Elon Musk mentioned it in the interview with Ben Shapiro that he had that he didn't feel his content was safe for advertisers. This account has over 500,000 uh, followers on Twitter. He had a subscribe button. So X isn't necessarily safe either. That's, that's the thing, guys. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Elon made it very clear to Ben Shapiro in that recent interview that even the people that have the subscribe button on X, if you are doing content on X, more so that favors Palestine, or if you're focusing a lot on Jeffrey Epstein, they're going to remove your subscribe button and people aren't going to be able to subscribe from, to you. This is fucked up. This is oh, really yeah. It, it's, it, it, why do they have the right to unsubscribe anybody? I'm talking about someone who's following. 
I'm not arguing about them deplatforming somebody else. That's a slightly different issue, but it's the same thing, suppression. And well, they usually target people that have strikes. And I know this because the only reason I know all this stuff is because I had to take the course. I had to take it for my job. This was back when I want to say almost two years ago, I had to take the freaking YouTube course and it was a pain in the ass. I'm not lying, but I had to take it for my job, not for my show. And one of the things that they explained to you is that once your channel starts getting hit with war warning is okay, but once you start getting hit with strikes, not only do they suppress you even more, but they start removing people from you. Well, you know, again, they shouldn't remove people. I mean, I don't understand that mechanism is nothing but designed to censor. And because my choice should be my choice. They not if they want to take my choice off the platform, what can I do? But if the choice is on the platform, now, the sneaky thing about it is that I'll go to my subscription list and nothing has changed. But when I view any of my subscriptions, I'm unsubscribed. Uh, Hard Lens Media, I have subscribed to every morning the last 10 days that he's been back on. I mean, they just have it completely out for people. Remember, Hardlands Media just had three. Stars. I know, I know, he so was taken off. What, this is the part that's important for people to understand. That's what I'm trying to tell you guys. Channels that have that have penalties, those channels are heavily targeted first. And don't get me wrong, there have been people that have reached out to me multiple times and told me they were unsubscribed from my channel. It happens to me too. Like it just, and I don't have any penalties, and I've never had any penalties. Like on my channel, but well, I was really surprised that they haven't unsubscribed you from me because, uh, you know, this is across the board now, not just political pundits, but any scientific information that goes against the establishment point of view, they target. I mean, I mean it's across it's the board. Kinda, yeah, I mean, but I don't I don't know what to tell you, except that. I try my best to adhere to the community guidelines. Problem is the community guidelines change every year. So every year at the beginning of the year, I Is it always January? Because it seems to have been this month. They email. So I receive an email. I don't know if everybody should get this, but I receive an email every time they update. They say we've updated our community guidelines. Problem is I don't think a lot of people read that email right. or even open it. Um, but every time they update, they send the email to content creators. You go in, you click on the community guidelines and you see the changes. At least I look at those things. So that's how I knew that was how I knew back in the day. Oh, I can't really, I can't talk about the vaccine. That's how I knew I couldn't talk about COVID because they sent that email with the community guidelines and they said, Medical misinformation. This was a new category that wasn't there when I first started my channel. And what did it say? Anything against the World Health Organization in reference to COVID-19. Um, now they say any type of medical misinformation, FYI. So I do read those things. I have read the community guidelines. So I try to be very careful. Uh, anything I would say that's going to be 
it's going to be a penalty for community guidelines for YouTube. I think you're better off just doing that as a Rumble Rockfin only stream, and that's it. Well, I did depend on Rumble more just out of spite because they don't unfollow anybody. Um, they send some people too, though. Well, I'm sure they do. I mean, you know, the people who own everything, half of what they think their job is, is not only telling us what we do for our work, but what we should do in the future for ourselves. You know, that's World Economic Forum all over. They're all little tiny tyrants in this capitalist system. Um yeah, and, and I just I, I'm just watching it all the time and trying to alert people to it because I believe that in the long run, you know, there's a class action suit in it for the for content creators, not for me or listeners, but for con the content creators to band together and fight back against this kind of just outrageous censorship. Yeah. And I've, I've brought this up multiple times. And I said before, I think all content creators on these platforms, we should all come together and push for some type of, I guess, unionization or something, some type of something so that we have, like you were protected. The problem is, though, is that most people don't want to do that. They don't want to risk it. And the other thing is, too, is that it's not even just about the censorship. It's about ad-friendly content. So when YouTube goes to suppress people, they suppress the accounts that don't have ad-friendly content. That's what it's all about. So I, I understand, but that's, you know, yeah. that's, that's another, you know, just smokescreen because they don't mind. I mean, for instance, if it's in MB, MSNBC or NBC, uh, I skip commercials all the time because I don't like commercials. I don't think they're part of the original fake news story is a commercial. So I avoid them. I love the fact that I can skip them. If And if I can't skip them, then I just start over again. And if I start over again and it's NBC and it's a murder and people are killed in their homes and bodies mutilated, they will put a commercial on that. You, they, can't, you can't use a commercial on that. So their standards are just bullshit. Kirby, you can't use MSNBC, CNN, Fox News. You can't use corporate media as an example, as a comparison against independent media. Of because course, I'm not trying to say that. I'm just me, trying to say well, that they saying. will try to deplatform a... Can you hey, let me finish uh, what I'm saying so I can explain why this is happening? Okay. The corporate media channels have a channel within YouTube. We don't. Same thing with TYT. TYT has a channel within YouTube. The Hill Rising has a channel within YouTube, meaning they're never going to be the platform because they are a part of the platform, meaning they are integrated as a channel within YouTube. The rest of us are not. That's why their stuff is still going to be considered safe for ad-friendly content because they are considered to be verified news sources and news organizations. We are not. And you can tell if you're verified, if you go to the channel and you see that little check mark, that's how you know if they consider it to be a verified news organization. Al Jazeera has that check mark, if I'm not mistaken. 
Um, a lot of those that they get, again, rising is corporate news. TYT is also, we could say corporate because they took that $20 million and they have a channel within YouTube. So some of these, these outlets, like I said, like Al Jazeera, uh, even one, which I show sometimes on my show, they're a verified news organization. If you are not a verified news organization by YouTube, you don't have that little check mark. You do not have the same privileges that they do. Unfortunately, that's how it works. Ain't nothing I can do about it. It sucks. It's an ass. But what I said before, and I called on people to do this a year ago, for all the content creators, especially those in independent media, to band together and form some, demand some type of unionization within YouTube. Problem is, you can't do that when the content creators don't even like each other. Yeah, I know, I know, but uh, here's the you other, know, it's sort of like this. Here's the other thing. In the in the biggest picture, you're never going to be able to escape the control that the elites have over communications and speech. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about the fact that, you know, certain countries have threatened to, you know, not allow certain um, YouTube channels to even be seen in their country. So that's another type of control. You know, that's why... Um, you know, um, was the guy was, you know, being threatened by the European Union. Elon Musk oh, was yeah. being threatened over X and, the, you know, and he went to kissing Israel's ass. Yeah, that's why he's kissing so much ass. So yeah. it's just so. like they, the whole point of governance, um, when you really look at it, is to control the masses and we see it specifically in their attempts to control narrative because everything arrives of narrative. So there's always going to be a way that they can pull strings at whatever level, be it national, international, down to the local accounts. You see people saying, oh, we got to ban TikTok. So it's just, you know, we're not going to be able to escape that. You know, the only thing we can do is write letters and send. Right, and we have to fight it. I mean, talking tonight, I've decided when I'm in the chat now, because I'm constantly reminding when I'm in the live streams to check your subscription, stuff like that. Now I'm going to start suggesting that, you know, we pressure the people, our creators, to band together, whether they like each other or not, to band together to protect our rights to listen to what we want to listen to. So I tried that, Kirby, and that's what I'm trying to tell you. Can't I understand, but I'm saying now I'm going to be in the chat. It'll be more not a creator talking about it, but trying to trying to impress some of the the audience to activate to talk about this with the creator, and maybe we can get somewhere. I mean, you know, it's like uh, lately Tucker Carlson. I can I'll listen to. For 30 seconds, because every now and then he says something halfway good. But if he hadn't said it within 30 seconds, I already know he's just going to go down that that weird place he goes of uh, defending uh, nationalism is the way I look at it. White nationalism, I guess, is what it really is. Have you caught any of his statements about Canada lately? Okay, so let me just give you a hint, just let you guys know why they want to band together 
if you go on YouTube right now, because I just checked, because I was curious, I just checked breaking points to see if they have that check mark. Breaking points has the check mark. Right. So do you breaking points will be no, they're not gonna band together because they're protected. They're a ver they're considered a verified news organization. Well, that's that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like though, and I'm pretty sure. Let me check Secular Talk to be sure too. Let's see, because I'm curious now. Well, yeah. you know, Talk, I bet he has a check mark. I I, I was never skunked by Kyle. Okay. Well, Secular Talk did not have that check mark before. I didn't always have it, but he has it now. Uh -huh, so these of channels that have over a million subscribers, even Math Hofbra, that was the show. That's a hip hop channel, a hip hop uh, interview channel. Uh -huh. That channel, that was the show that RFK Jr. went on. And it's gotten to the point now where even some people will only go on to shows that have that check mark. Whereas on Rumble, I have a check mark. On Rumble, to get a check mark, you only need to have a thousand followers or something like that. You just send the email and say, I would like my check mark, and they give you the check mark. YouTube is not that way. The qualifications are much higher because there's so much, so much content and so many people on YouTube. They make it more difficult. Same thing with getting monetized on YouTube. Back in the day, people like Kyle, they didn't have any requirements to get monetized. They were able to monetize their channel and accept ad revenue the moment they started the channel. For those of us that started later, like those of us at RBN, we had to get 4,000 watch hours and we had to get 1,000 subscribers to apply for the monetization. I don't know if it's still the same way today, but what I'm saying is a lot of these uh, legacy, legacy uh, progressive independent media people, they didn't have those requirements. Well, those wouldn't be the people I think that should really band together. It should be more you know, you know, more uh, outside the mainstream point of view. I mean, I, I don't subscribe to Breaking Points. I do subscribe to The Hill, and that's only because I have respect for uh, Brianna. But, you know, even uh, Robbie is so unbearable sometimes. I, I, I applaud you for even being able to deal with him, to be honest. So... You know, most of the people I subscribe to are not part of any mainstream thought whatsoever. Um, and those are the people I think that should band together, you know, because they're kind of fighting people like breaking points. And um, I mean, I don't put the hill quite in there, but we don't. The hill was, was pretty us, standard. The smaller stuff. channels, those of us, we have no power, though. Us banding together isn't going to do anything because we're not considered to be a verified news organization. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So the thing is, is that <laughs> what, it, what it would take, it would take the people who are, um, the people who are some of those verified news organizations, it's gonna take some of them advocating for us. And let me check and see if the Jimmy Dore channel has the check mark. Cause see, I don't think he does, does he? He may not have applied for it. You have to apply for it. You have to apply for it. I mean, the reason I brought up Tucker Carlson, because, you know, whether or not you agree with him on many, many things, if he, you had him on your side in this kind of fight, it wouldn't be a bad thing. 
Um, just FYI, the Jimmy Dore channel also has the check mark. So there you go. These channels are protected. They can talk about COVID. Well, they unsubscribe they me from Jimmy about, quite regularly, but not as often as RBN yeah, but, or anything. But they can talk about COVID. They can talk about, this is why when people are like, how come you guys aren't talking about the vaccine and COVID and da da da? I was like, we can't. Yeah. The people who have the check marks, they can talk about COVID. They can talk about the vaccine. They can talk about things that YouTube would classify as medical misinformation or whatever and not get penalized. The rest well, of Jimmy is very careful to always say the bullshit lines along with his criticism. You know, it's safe and effective. It will keep you out of the hospital and all that bullcrap. It uh, wasn't always that way in the beginning, though, when there was a discussion. And that's what I'm saying. And the other oh, thing, no. too, is that. No, matter of fact, and it's really weird. In January of 2020, I saw a microbiologist in Europe talk about the fact that this was absolutely a created virus in the lab. It was impossible to be natural. That man disappeared on YouTube forever. I don't even know what his name was, but he's gone. I, I think he was Swiss. Uh, I know. I think I know who you're talking about. And we won't see that guy again on YouTube. I guarantee you, even if a blue checker brought him on, they would remove that content. So again, like the people who have, um, the people who have the the checks and stuff like that, they also have a person at YouTube. So if something goes wrong with one of their videos, I don't think they have that anymore. Jimmy complains about that. Um, Jimmy says he doesn't have a man anymore, a person anymore. But wasn't that because he got his channel got hit and he couldn't stream for a week? Because the others still have. I'm telling you from experience, the others still have it. They still have a YouTube partner or a person that they can go to if they haven't been hit. If you get hit, though, they can take those things. See, this is why you have to read the policy and the guidelines, because in the guidelines, it does tell you. If you get penalties on your channel, all those things that you earned, they can take those things away from you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, if they can offer me free subscriptions and then unsubscribe me whenever they feel like it, they can do anything they want is how I feel. <laughs> It, I mean, it's such a joke. I, I cannot wait to now Rumble's probably, you know, not gonna be any better if it gets bigger. Um do you stream simultaneously on Rumble? Because I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, I, I say this at the beginning of every show. I, I sometimes I don't catch the very beginning. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I stream on Rumble, Rockfin, YouTube. Okay, Twitter. okay. All right. I'll 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 start streaming you live on Rumble. Because I'd rather have Rumble have the audience than YouTube at this point. You have fun with that one because the only problem that I have with Rumble, sometimes it streams it on time, sometimes it doesn't. Like people will come into the YouTube chat and say, what happened? Why is it I can't see the Rumble stream? And I'm like, what the fuck? Like I started it. Well, it's never happened to me, but to be honest, I've just started kind of doing the rumble thing more often i mean i had it and you know i would follow people but you know youtube is awful easy to use i wish rumble was that you know easy 
Well, um, Rumble needs to start paying its creators because the reason why a lot of us won't leave YouTube and just go strictly to Rumble is because they don't pay shit. And when I say they don't pay shit, <laughs> you can have like over a thousand videos on Rumble and they'll give you like 50 bucks. Okay. They don't pay shit. Well, I had never noticed the commercial on Rumble until today. Right, because they didn't have ads, and that's part of the other reason why you don't get paid. And I don't think they allow me to skip it on Rumble, which is smart. I mean, you know, uh, I think basically for people like me, because I, I think a lot of us are skipping commercials. I mean, you know, commercials are. There's there's a lot of things that at, at play here, but also in reference to uh, Rumble as well. They prioritize the channels that have the Rumble contract. So if you don't have the Rumble exclusive contract, you're not going to get those kind of views. That's just how it is. And those are the ones they put on the homepage. So there's that. Well, okay. Well, I appreciate you bearing with this conversation. You've done it more than once. Uh, it's still going to bother me. And uh, like I say, I, I understand if I join X, I actually can go to YouTube and make a complaint on their X page. Yeah, you can. Um, I mean, I, I will tell you that, like, you know, you're the first, you're the only person I will say that this has happened to multiple times. I just don't think people check. You, you see them in your subscription list. You see them bringing it up in your feed. Why should you check? I just started, you know, out of curiosity checking. And I'm amazed how many people they do that to me. And I bet you they're doing it to thousands and thousands of people. Or uh, Kim Iverson would go over 540, and uh, Glenn would go over 182, and Jimmy Dore would be over 2 million probably. I think right now his subscription is 1.6. I mean, I didn't used to even check this stuff, but now I'm checking it and watching it because it, I feel like they're fucking with me, you know? Yeah, there, there could be that too. But also, I also think that, um, you know, Indy left from Indy News Network. He did a whole yeah, report. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, they unsubscribed them too. <laughs> he did a whole report about Rumble, and he found that Rumble views aren't even real. Well, you, do you know, have you followed any of these um, interviews with Dr. Epstein, who has... I hope I can remember this right. America's Digital Shield website. And he's taking uh, ephemeral information uh, from 20,000 people. They're, they're watching their feed. And, and he keeps all the ephemeral information that YouTube's sending people. And um, he has demonstrated uh, statistically that they can um, change as many as 6 million votes overnight by their targeted feed. Uh, he's so dangerous that uh, he was told by a congressman that he should be worried for his life. And uh, at some point during all this, his wife was killed. And... Uh, do you know anything about Dr. Epstein? It's really kind of interesting. He's been on Rogan. He's been on Jimmy Dore. He's been on Russell Brand. And I think I have the name right, the American Digital Shield. 
I don't think I've I've seen it, but I'll I'll have to check it out. Sounds very interesting. I, I I'm I'm at work and I'm going to go back to work. I appreciate the conversation and listening to everyone. And uh, shout at you later. Alrighty, thank you so much, Kirby. Bye. All right, we're bringing in Lee. I don't know what's going on in the chat. Who is Tina? Who is this Tina person? I don't know. People keep saying Tina is. I don't know. What's up, Lee? Hey, what's going on, Savvy? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. That was good. Uh, that conversation. Uh, I was I was losing brain cells listening to that conversation. Uh, so hey, so I just want to talk about that. Uh, you touched on something on that last time on that on during your show about the the write-in votes, and I want to talk about that because okay, so Joe Biden did write-ins for New Hampshire, and so and he won, which is I, I'm sort of surprised by that that he won in write-in. And so that sort of gives me hope for these independent candidates, because if the Democrats are going to play fair and uh, and actually count right in votes, I think uh, Biden might have a problem, especially with the independent people. Uh, and, you know, I mean, especially for guys like Cornell West, that he doesn't have any money. I'm pretty sure he's not he's going to have a hard time getting on a lot of ballots. If everybody in America writes his name on the uh, on the right in. Everyone, especially black folks, need to be getting on code and starting writing his name in there. Instead of, I see these black people talking about voting for Trump, which makes no sense to me. Why they would even vote for that clown? And Biden, obviously, you know, he's not giving us anything, so he definitely gets the write-off. So I don't know why, I don't know why people just aren't talking about writing in Dr. West. I mean, and it sounds like it sounds like people are actually counting the write-in votes. And uh, but my part of me is thinking that okay, during the general election. Dems will find a way to lose some some ballots. They'll probably start closing the polls early, like they did that whole last uh, election, and so it makes me nervous about that. And so, but uh, I, it gives me hope that people can can write in ballots, which is good. And um, one other thing I want to talk to you about is that little girl that that did that uh, that spoke at that um, that hearing. Was she was she? misspoke and said you know, with the gen- with the genocide thing and when said genocide on both sides which i thought was hilarious um i was wondering do you think that uh, do you think that israel will be will be held accountable for all of the bullshit lies that they've been telling to try and get away with stuff because they've been you know with the whole thing about the hospitals and how they they made up uh, uh the hamas you know having guns in the hospital and they made up the 40 beheaded babies and now they bring this little girl and they sit her down and she's you know I, I feel like she's some kind of plant because she had some speech written up there and she probably fucked it up and 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 said genocide on both sides and got caught at it and i think that i wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me that the israeli government probably put her in there had her say some stuff and and she messed up. And so I kind of feel like if the ICJ are going to go in and they're going to accuse these people, uh, I'm sorry, if they're going to they're going to have is Israel on trial, I feel like they should also uh, be on trial for all the propaganda and all the lies that they've been telling. Outside of the genocide that they're doing, they should be held accountable for for lying to the public. And that goes also for a lot of the Americans too. If they, if, if 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 the Americans are going to be given the money, I think that the Americans should be going on trial as well. And if they don't get uh, held guilty, uh, if the verdict doesn't come in guilty, that's going to be a real uh, black eye for justice on this planet. Because if there's no if there's no authority that can call bullshit and people can just do whatever the fuck they want to do, then we really have no checks and balances on this planet. 
and people are just going to just do whatever they want to do. And that's that's my piece. That's what I wanted to say. Yeah. So I'll comment on the first part, um, the part about the write-in. Yeah. yeah. This is a very telling moment, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, goes to show you we can write in these people and this is something that um you know people have some people have been encouraging for quite some time i think uh you know lucy uh also known as blue moon red wine she's part of indie news network she mm-hmm. encouraged people to do this last year when aoc was running for a re-election she said just write in a bunch of people yeah like you said because the thing is we just saw joe biden win new hampshire by writing votes granted there was a super PAC behind this as well yeah. But we also saw this happen before. Remember when, um, oh my God, Roger, help me. What was the girl's name in New York? She was a socialist huh. and she ran, she was running for Congress and she lost to Byron. Hold up. Black girl, remember she lost to Byron and Byron won by write-in votes. She lost after AOC. Oh, you're talking about um, the, the uh, Buffalo uh, mayor. Yes. No, no, what, what was the what the girl's name? Um, yeah, yeah, that was that Ingrid. Was, um, oh, let me see. That's not New York. Is that New York? Is what happened? Buffalo mayor. Buffalo, New York. Yeah, yeah, but this it was Buffalo. India Walton. You're talking about India Walton. Oh. She was the socialist. I don't mean democratic socialist. She was a socialist. She was beating him in the polls. And Mm. then after Chuck Schumer and AOC came to visit to campaign for her, she dropped in the polls. And then the guy that she was running against, his name was Byron. He won Ryan, right in vote. uh, Really? He won won on right in? Yes. So yeah. he so he beat the woman that everyone wanted, and she and he beat her on right in. And this is this now who was this guy that beat her? Was he like some kind of so uh, troll or? Uh, he was mayor for like I don't know like sixteen years or something like that. Uh, and, Byron uh, Brown. Wow! So and, it's like a sketchy little way the Democrats figure out a way to get this guy. So, so I'm, I don't think that okay i think i don't remember chuck schumer endorsing my byron no he came there to support her right right that's right him and aoc came there to support her right okay i thought you said they came there to support uh byron the other guy it was the governor that supported uh, and the and the incumbent uh, was he an incumbent? I guess he won on right in. Is what we saying, Sam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was he was there for sixteen years. Wow, and he won on right in. So I mean, that gives me some kind of hope that someone's counting the right in votes. You know, that someone's doing it, and it's I mean, it seems like it's legit. Like if they're counting them and people are winning on it, then I don't see why Cornell West can't win and be president. And he should be like pumping that hard. If I were him, I'd be pumping that real hard, especially since Biden just did this in New Hampshire. That's so. what I'm that this is what I'm saying. Now, to be fair, some people are acting like Cornell West's campaign is dead and exactly. there's no access. Uh, that's not true. Total if bullshit. You actually follow Cornell West on Twitter. You get updates about his campaign all the time. If you go to his website and insert your email address, 
I get updates about the campaign all the time. Mm-hmm. I said this on Rising this morning. Cornell West just got uh, ballot access in Oregon. Nice. See, talking about this stuff. And he previously got ballot access in Alaska. Mm. Um, and like I said, though, like Jill Stein has the best strategy in reference to ballot access. She will have the most ballot access between him and RFK. It's just the reality. And Claudia De La Cruz. Wow. Um, but people are, are not talking about these things because they don't want us to pay attention to it. They want the, they just like, oh, let's not talk about it. Let's just say the campaign's dead in the water. So yeah. when the campaign has made strides, they've totally ignored it, right? right Some people right. too much in their personal feelings. And honestly, I ain't got time for it. Mm-hmm. I don't have time for the bullshit. Mm-hmm. If we supposed to be doing news, we need to talk about what's happening. Right. So why are people leaving certain things out? So I yeah. think it's important for people to hear these things. I still cover RFK, even though I'm not supporting RFK Jr. But mm-hmm. I still tell you when shit happens. Mm-hmm. I told you guys when he got ballot access in Utah, right? Yeah, yeah. So right now, that. this is the funny part. Right now, Cornell West has more ballot access than RFK Jr. does. But you mm-hmm. don't hear a lot of people talking about it. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. He should be pumping that. And I guess people, I'm just surprised a lot of these black influencers like the Math Hoffas and the, and the Breakfast Clubbies and, the, you know, all these uh, people that got money that, you know, I'm surprised that 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 rich, that rich New York guy, Dame Dash, isn't throwing money behind uh, Cornell West. Maybe he is. I don't know, but he isn't talking Dame about Dash it. Dame Dash ain't got no money. Was that no, right? He broke. He's broke. For real? Wow. I didn't know that. That was Mr. Might, money guy. He might have money compared to you and me. Right. But, you know, when they when these celebrities say that they're broke, they they don't mean you know, they, they mean broke at a different level. But he, right. he ain't got nobody like that, like rapper money. <laughs> they got to give back to someone. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I mean, just there are a lot of these black media folks. You know, you're maybe well, we'll just just exclude Dame Dash, but there are a lot of these some of these media people. I mean, I think the only person I'm hearing that's really repping and, or talking about Cornell West is is, is Savvy here and Tim Black. Everybody else is sort of, I mean, every now and then, you know, uh, Nick and CJ will say something about, you know, about uh, Cornell and they, you know, they're, uh, and, you know, and I appreciate that with them, but I don't hear anybody else talking about West. You know, I, that's too bad because it, it, this country is shaping the, the, this, this vote as if though it's only Trump or it's Biden or maybe, or maybe, you know, if Trump gets thrown in jail or Nikki Haley, um, and, and, and I'm not really talking about Republicans. I mean, they're the, the most ghoulish party on the planet. I'm not even thinking about them. And, uh, and, 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 and they're shaping like, you know, the other, only other Democrat is this Dean guy. And, uh, and I don't need, this guy is just a clown. This guy is a complete clown. He's nothing more than a young version of Biden. And, uh, and I kind of almost feel like he's kind of hiding his heritage just so he can, you know, get votes. Cause I know that, you know, a lot of folks in this, in this town, when they hear, you know, Israeli people are trying to get into our government and APEC and all this stuff. You know, I think that, that a lot of uh, white America are, are have a uh, aversion to uh, allowing people into the government where they feel like they're gonna they're not gonna be repping America. They're maybe repping, you know, Israel and not back in this. And that is partly true because we do have some APAC people that are that they served in the. I'm sorry, not APAC. We have some people that served <laughs> in this, We have some people serving in, in the Israeli army that are in our government. People that were uh, that that were actual military people in another country are actually shaping laws in this country. Like that guy in Florida, I think he was uh, I think he was an he was in the Israeli Defense Force 
for a minute. And so that makes yeah. me nervous more than Can I, I something? Well, I was just going to say one second, Roger, what I was going to say, um, you might've had it right the first time when you said, <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're right. You said the APAC thing. <laughs> you're right. You're right. There's, APAC is literally, yeah, you're right. APAC is literally making laws. For this country. You might've had it right the first time. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go I ahead. Mean, Lee, um, I want to ask you something. You're in New York? No, no. I was I'm uh I was born in Detroit, Motor City. I moved to New York in '93 and stayed there for 20 years. I worked there as an architect. And then uh when the when the economy hit the skids in 08 and uh my office laid me off, I threw everything I had in the back of a U-Haul and drove cross country and uh landed here in Los Angeles. So I'm right here in Los Angeles. Oh uh, damn, you worse off than than we are. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is that I don't have to worry about probably writing in Cornell on my on my uh, on my voting on my voter card because he'll probably be on on the ballot. But if, even if he isn't, I'm going to write it anyway. But yeah, I moved here. I moved here uh, to get away from New York City because I've been there for so long. And uh, the work here out in Los Angeles is basically uh, mostly ground up buildings. Whereas when I was in New York, I only got interior work. And so I moved out here to, you know, get my license and study. And I'm kind of going away from working in someone else's office right now. And I'm trying to uh, start kind of start my own office. But until I, I can't really get that off of the ground until I get my license. So I'm sure I'm sort of studying to get my license. So I'm taking the ARE exams and, you know, working any odd job that I can work until I can get that, you know, in the rearview mirror. So, uh, you know, I mean, work anywhere like Home Depot or salad joints or, you know, cutting grass, whatever, it, whatever it takes to uh, just to pay the rent so that I can study in peace and not have to worry about building somebody else's building and having them, you know, leading me by the neck, you know, you know, and because and, and, I, I tell you, the, the profession of architecture, there are not many black people uh, in this profession. And uh, and when you work in an office you're usually like one or two, there may be maybe one other black person in that office. Uh, if you're, you know, if they're. Yeah, that's like, that's, that, that reminds me of um, when I was in IT. Yeah. 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 It's, it's tough. It's tough when you, you know, and, and so they feel like they can kind of walk over you. And when you, when they want to lay you off, you're usually the first person to get laid off. And uh, I'm kind of up there in age. I I just turned 57. What? Year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm 30. No, 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 no. I'm an, I'm an old, I'm an old dog. Uh, but I look young because I, uh, I look young because I used You're black. to, I'm black and hey, that's one. And, uh, and I used to, uh, I used to do amateur pro cycling, bike racing. I used to do that in New York city. And, uh, so I used to always train and keep myself fit. And so I drink a lot of water and uh, bike racing keeps you young because you're going to always be fit. You'll always be in shape. And so I'm kind of doing that out here, but uh, I can't really find the time to train when me when I have to go out and uh, you know get a job somewhere. Um, Sabrina, I want to ask you a question. Uh, when you had Eric on, when he was telling you about the New Hampshire primary or whatever, I was about I, to say which Eric. Yeah. Well, yeah. I had to you know like follow it up with that. Okay. I was I was waiting for you. To, to to go in on him. I was just like, oh, she's going to go in on him when she was talking about supporting RFK Jr., right? So I was I was thinking it's it's like um something and it reminded me of something. People don't want to admit to others what 
is what are not what their priorities are, but what their top most priorities are. So it's like if your prior top priority ain't that other person's top priority, then it's like we got a problem. You know what I mean? And I was looking at why he was saying he was supporting RFK Jr. Right, and you know, like uh, the he, you know, even though he showed empathy for the whole thing, oh, he's a Zionist or whatever, whatever, that was not his top priority. And he no, when well, one thing I will say is like Eric and I have had this conversation already oh, behind the scenes. I, you know, I had a feeling that's yeah. probably why you didn't, um, you know, like hey, like challenge him on that. So I'm, I'm pretty sure. Mm. That's probably why you know they probably talk because I knew it. I knew it was a mute dead point. I've we've already had this discussion back right. and forth, and plus I this is someone I actually know. Yeah, who yeah. I knew I knew before. Yeah, I, I had a feeling even ran for president. Yeah, but yeah. It, it it just it just showed people have to um, come to the realization and be honest with themselves that your top three priorities or top four or whatever are not always going to be everyone else's top three or four priorities. That's and, we right. have, and we have to accept that. You know, I, ex- I accept it. You know, you, you know, my top three is CBIs, WCs, and PVs, but I accept that that's not, and domestic, you, you know what I mean? But I'm, you know, like I accept that, Hey, yo, look, not every, that's not what everyone uh, is, but I was just wondering when he said, okay, so he, so he said, I, you know, like it's not a top priority for him, but his top priority was, oh, he's going to um, give transparency with the CIA and he, and stuff that deals with COVID and so on and so forth. Um, I've been like, well, I mean, do you trust him to do that if he put the CIA not only in his campaign, but in his family? You know what I'm saying? How transparent is he actually going to be? It's like you're really going based on belief and hope. You know what I mean? Basically, I mean, well, to be honest, that's with everybody, right? Aren't we basically going on belief and hope? Oh, not me. I gave up on politicians. I'm going for the ballot initiative. But (laughs) if you're voting for a politician, like that's pretty much what you're you know, yeah, this whole <laughs> people do have blind spots, though. That's true. I mean? And this is like you're not going to take a look at the fact that he put the he put the 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 fox in the hen house in his own family. You know what I mean? But well, hmm. I've already had that discussion. And I I'll know you did. That. Well, let me tell you. I'll tell you what they what they'll say. Okay. Is that well then, Sabby? In that case. How do you feel about people like whistleblowers like Scott Ritter? How do you feel about Ray McGovern? This is what they're going to tell you. Oh, I, I would have came back with she ain't no whistleblower. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's that's true. But but still, yeah. the, the thing is, is that the defense that they're going to have is that just because someone was a part of that before doesn't mean they're a part of that now. They still have those same beliefs. I'm just telling you what what has already been said to me. I I, 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 I would love to talk to him. Um, but the stuff when he was talking about, uh, oh, he, he likes him on the, uh, on the COVID stuff. Right. I'm like, well, okay. But he doesn't support single payer healthcare. He doesn't support TRICARE for all. Yes. I'm, I'm replacing Medicare for all with TRICARE for all. 
You know what but I mean? Neither, like, but neither do some of his. See, the thing is, some of the RFK Jr. supporters were previous Tulsi Gabbard supporters. So like Eric Jackman, who came on, supported Tulsi Gabbard. Um, so Eric, for example, is not a Democrat or a Republican. He's a libertarian. So you uh, see what I mean? Like these, some of uh, these people, these weren't people that supported Medicare for all in the first place to begin with. Ah, okay. I didn't know he was a little. Oh, he, he's right. He's in New Hampshire, right? Isn't that like a independent? Yeah, that's the majority yeah. of people in New Hampshire are independent. See, RFK, RFK is a clown. You know, I when he went on that interview with uh, uh, Crystal Ball, she just she she just ripped him up. Once, once, once I saw that interview, I knew he was. I mean, I knew he was done from the beginning, but she exposed him. I was really happy. Why don't you get off my back? No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> so what do you? Uh, so Sabi, what do you think about that whole? Do you think that? Um, do you think that uh, the ICJ are going to like go after the accomplices? You think they're going to start getting, you think Blinken might get off a plane in Europe somewhere and they throw the handcuffs on him? <laughs> no, I, I don't think Blinken is going anywhere to throw handcuffs on anybody. I think Blinken will run and hide before that happens. Yeah. There was a lot of jokes in that. This, I don't know, but this Blinken guy, you know, he's really weird to me. Every time I see this guy on TV or I see pictures of him, he just looks so scared. Yeah, dead. Looks like he's got dead eyes. Like he doesn't like he's like lost. Like some like a car is gonna run oh. him over, and he just got just got caught with it. Like cars coming at him. Well, like, wouldn't you be that way if you had a boss like that? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, so so I mean, and it feels like it feels like uh, he knows he's lying, but he's got a. I mean, I'm sure he knows he's lying, but uh, but he feels like whenever he goes on air and he starts saying shit, he like when he did that press conference with that. Uh, I think it was. Was it Nigeria? Some African country he did a, uh, a dual press conference with, and they were talking about the soccer team, and he was talking about everything but the bullshit he was doing with like with the with um, with Israel. And so I kind of feel like that when this ICJ comes down tomorrow, they should be going after all these folks that are uh, going around telling people um, all this stuff about the forty beheaded babies. They need to be going after the uh, the, the liars. And uh, starting with that little girl, maybe they should throw her in prison too for for saying the genocide because she feels I feel like she's been coached, and so and so and like Netanyahu, his whole team, all those people that are getting on here and saying all this bullshit about uh, the Palestinian people. I think that they should all be thrown once once they they get held guilty for genocide, which they should be, uh, and it should happen. I'm just kind of waiting for that shoe to drop. And the next shoe should be thrown at whoever goes up on the press conference starts talking shit about you know Palestinians because you know there should be shoes thrown at everybody. Um, I guess we throw our shoes but, uh, tonight. It, all across, shoes across the board. I, I kind of feel like they should be going after these people for lying. And and you know I know that they don't prosecute you know the press mm -hmm. here in this country, but you know I know you can't go after the big wigs at MSNBC and all these mainstream media folks, but uh, they're complicit. And no, well, and well, the thing is, you don't you don't even have to worry about them. They're no longer going to be a problem. You know what I mean? How many about what do we call an election cycle every two years, every four years? When we say an election cycle, is that every two years? How many election cycles do you think it's going to be until um, corporate media is no more at least corporate media not like the hill corporate media but you know traditional legacy. the mainstream the main stuff yeah right. that's a good question how many election cycles do you think is going to be because nobody's watching these clowns i don't think anybody <laughs> is going to get rid of them 
I don't think anybody, as long as, uh, as long as they, um, I don't think really anyone's going to be able to get rid of these big wigs in, in uh, mainstream media. I mean, they are losing money, uh, right? No, no. They're losing I, money, but you ain't going to be able to get rid of those folks. There's, there's always going to be a CBS. And always, there's always going to be a mainstream media news source because middle America is too stupid to, not, to realize to not look at them. Yeah, so, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't really call call people voters like stupid or whatever. No, a lot of them are. A lot of them aren't very smart. So, so okay. So hold a up. A lot of them aren't very smart. All right, all right. But hold, hold up, though. You have to look at. All right. So I, I started thinking about this. Right. Those places probably don't have access to social media, YouTube apps, and things of that nature. Why is that? They probably don't have broadband infrastructure in their right. town. Why right. do you think? Why do you think after uh, the Super Tuesday 2020, which was I don't know a week after South Carolina s- said, Clyburn uh, said, "Let's go, Joe," and I don't know why the entire South listened to Clyburn. I mean, okay, one state, South Carolina, okay, fine, but like Arkansas and all these other whatever, right? Those are places they have a gatekeeper, Clyburn. Those are places that don't have broadband infrastructure. You know what I mean? You you have to you have to put yourself in the in the space. Like you're living in either the sub you've either lived in a big city like New York or you live in a suburb where we have where you're spoiled with internet access. Okay. But you're not thinking of those who live in rural America who it costs money, they want to profit unless we have municipal and stationalized broadband, these these ISPs are not going to. Uh, I don't. I don't. That, that's no excuse. People have phones. You can get on your phone. You can go on the internet, and you can get you can get informed. I, I just said they don't have any broadband. How are they going to get on the internet in the rural places? Well, I mean, if you if you can't get your news, if you can, if you can't get your news off the uh, off of your phone or off over the internet, then you probably can't see any television either. Because that's how television is going. If you, if you can't, if you can't uh, get internet, then how do you watch television? You know, I would say go to those. Have you ever been to those places? I don't those have. Any, I don't have any family members that live in rural um, areas of America. I'm, I'm fortunate. All my people are in Detroit or in Atlanta, so I'm it's lucky. Or and or in, I have people in Vegas as well. So I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't know anyone that that. Or, that's all places that have internet access. <laughs> Yeah, but, but I'm saying people, people, uh, people that live in rural areas. If you can't, if you don't have a phone that can't get on the internet, how do you call? And if your family members having a heart attack, how do you get on the phone and tell them to come pick them up? How do you call the ambulance? I, I don't feel. I don't think that's an excuse. I think Americans need to start educating themselves. Is what I think is needs to happen. And uh, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned Clyburn because I, I noted that uh, Marcel's taking another swing at his seat, and uh, I hope he gets it right, right this time. I hope he gets it right this time because every time he takes a swing at it, more people get to know about him. And I think this time might be the, the charm for him. I think he might, you know, pull it off because, I mean, if we can get folks to, to come out and write his name in, just like they're going to do Cornell, we can get folks to come out and, and, and write him in. Or if he can get the word out and start, if media starts picking up on him, like, and not just the black media, because he's getting some traction with black media. I know the Philip Scott did a thing with him when he ran the first time, and I know Savvy did a really great interview with him. I think uh, Nick and CJ had him on there, and um, a lot of black folks are like are are, are tied in. I was just surprised that he couldn't pull it out, but you know, Clyburn's got that that 
fish fry clout. So, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, you be killing me with the fish fry. But you know, the thing is, like, what Marcel brought to my attention, which I think some people may not know, is just that Clyburn is mainly winning because white liberals are right. supporting him and voting him in, not because black right. people were voting for him, right? So, right. just imagine if Marcel was able to pick up. And and I told Marcel to run as independent, just FYI. Like, obviously, right. if you guys saw the interview, I told him yeah. run as independent. Yeah, yeah, but had, the thing yeah. is, just imagine if Marcel was able to pick up the black voters that Jim Clyburn can't get. Mm-hmm. Did you know that um, South Carolina is one of 19 states where voters do not register under a party? They just register to vote. It's their politicians that run under a party. Yes, so, yes, yes. But there's something that. else I got to mention about that. Go ahead. South Carolina voter registration laws are also very strict. Okay, tell me. South. So one of the things they started doing when I left South Carolina <laughs> is that they found ways to make it more difficult for Black people to vote. What people uh, don't yeah. realize, let me tell you guys, don't keep it real. And this is not about voting machines. This is not about districts. What people may not realize is that South Carolina is one of the most illiterate states in the United States. Mm. So what they started doing is that if you go to register to vote, they made it more difficult by this. If your, your ID or your driver's license, for example, let's say it doesn't have your most current address, mm. that could block you. Now, let's be real. Let's keep it real, guys. Have you never moved from one apartment to another apartment, but you live in the same city? Mm. Yes. But it's not time for you to renew your driver's license? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They did shit like that. They started implementing, oh, well, do you know it's a literacy test? You know how to do this? Have you passed this? Have you done this? That was a way to make it more difficult for black people to vote. Cause like I said, it's one of the states in the US country, in the US that mm. is illiterate. And mm. most of the people who are illiterate are guess what? Black. Yeah, black folks, yeah, black folks. Yeah, that, that's, it's a voter suppression tactic that they do all across the country, I bet. I bet you they do that everywhere. So how would, okay, so. Well, that one, well that in particular, that tactic in particular mm. is not done everywhere. Oh, is that That's right? just racist ass South Carolina. Wow. I'm just I'm just keeping it real. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like everybody keeps talking about the polls, the long lines. People talk about the fact that machines are broken in certain districts. Those things do happen, mm-hmm. but people, for the most part, not mentioning the shit that happens before you go and vote, the suppression that happens before right. you go and vote, stuff like that, the voter ID laws. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have to present your ID. What I am saying is, if you moved from one apartment to another apartment, but you live in the same fucking city, you should not be turned away from voting. Not at all. Yeah, that's that's just ridiculous bullshit. And they can say that they don't have your new address. Even if you change it, they may say you have to change it with them. And you may have your, your is that what you're saying? You, you, you may have an ID that you did actually change, but maybe you didn't change it in your, regi- your voter registration. So they have your old I mean, I guess that's, I guess that's a second. No, way. it's it's everything. The whole everything has to match bullshit. So, yeah. so like I said, a lot of wow. younger people, a lot of the younger people move around. Right. If you just graduated college, you live in Columbia. So that was me. You live in Columbia, South Carolina. Let's say you move around. Let's say you live in an apartment and you have two roommates. 
you guys live together for a year and then you move into another apartment, right? Like these things happen with a lot of younger people, right? What they were starting to do is be like, your address on your driver's license doesn't match your current address. But if you live in the same city, why the fuck does it matter? Right, right, yes. It was shit like that. Then it was like, oh, can you read this application? Again, like I said, they know that's going to heavily target black voters. So my thing is, is this, instead of coming after the voters and, you know, basically demonizing them, fix the goddamn schools so that the illiteracy issue is no longer an issue, which they're not willing to do. And two, you need to define what you mean by ID. Does ID mean driver's license? Does ID mean a state ID? Does ID mean a military ID? Yeah. See, these are the kind of things, and that's what I was saying before, like, you have to take things into perspective. Like, obviously, if I was in South Carolina and I had my Massachusetts ID, obviously, I don't expect you to be like, okay, just come on in here and vote. That's a little yeah. bit different unless I had, like, uh, unless I I was able to vote away from South Carolina, but I wouldn't be able to do that because I'm a resident of Massachusetts. But if I live in fucking Columbia, South Carolina, but I move from one apartment to the apartment building to another apartment building, why the fuck does that matter? Yeah. Yeah. They don't care. South Carolina is that's, that's some, that's some raw racism right there, man. I'm really racist as hell. And what I mean, racist, I mean, it's over whole time in your face, like your face now here's the thing for the most part a lot of the younger people aren't like that but who is there when you go to vote who's standing there at the damn voting machine all white people yeah yeah so so okay so this this is what i've been um seeing uh new york is moving to myrtle beach and i think so i think that's causing displacement where the native South Carolinians are mover, moving kind of inner, like away from the beach because the New Yorkers are uh, regentrifying, so uh, to speak. You know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just. Oh, uh, shit. Oh, shit. Let, so let me tell you about Myrtle Beach. So we're going to have a discussion tonight. Okay. <laughs> See, because you, you went there, Roger. Okay, good. Let's talk about Myrtle Beach. All right. Myrtle Beach during the summer is popping. But to be honest with you guys, Myrtle Beach is nothing like what it used to be 10, 15 years ago. It's gone downhill. Mm. It's just, I'm serious. Trash on the beach and shit. Mm. Like, it didn't used to look like that. Yeah, because the New Yorkers are moving there. (laughs) But but, but listen, then during the off season, ain't shit to do. Right. Ain't shit to do in Myrtle Beach during the off season. You might as well go somewhere else. But to be honest, a lot of the New Yorkers, from my experience, and I live in North Carolina too, they were more so moving to North Carolina. Right. Chapel Hill. Yep. Chapel Hill, Raleigh, Durham, the Triangle area, sometimes Charlotte. Um, They would pick that before South Carolina because ain't no goddamn jobs in South Carolina. Like this is the thing. That's part of the reason why I left. Ain't no damn jobs. I'm just going to keep it real. 
And then the jobs that are there and talk about professional jobs, the jobs that are there don't pay shit. Hmm. I know teachers in South Carolina still making $30,000 a year. Make that make sense. Wow. Right now in 2024, huh? But I think make sense. I think it's most poverty level. I think it's mostly white New Yorkers moving to Myrtle Beach and, and, and black New Yorkers are moving to North Carolina. I mean, after no, there's 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 white people moving, white New Yorkers moving to North Carolina too, because the motherfuckers came all up in Chapel Hill and took <laughs> over Chapel Hill, and now it's like if you see a black person in Chapel Hill, it's like, oh, do you live here? Well, yes, I do live here. Oh, I just assumed you lived in Durham. Why? Because I'm black. This shit like that. <laughs> right. Because my one of my like closest friends from high school lived in Chapel Hill. She moved to California, but she's still, you know, she she lived in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And she said that shit drove her crazy. By the way, she's a fucking lawyer. That shit drove her crazy. Every time she'd go to the fucking grocery store and all this kind of stuff. She said the white people would assume that she lived in Durham, that she couldn't possibly live in Chapel Hill because she was black. Wow, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know Chapel Hill was like that. It wasn't always like that. When I was in high school, it wasn't like that. That's what I'm telling you guys. But again, like I said, a lot of the white New Yorkers that Roger was talking about, that's where they moved to. Chapel Hill, Raleigh, Durham is probably where they still see less likely to move to. Yes, Duke University is in Durham, but Duke University is in the ghetto. That's what people don't realize till you go there. Duke University is in the hood. Wow. Okay, just like Yale is in the hood. That's crazy. So, yeah, my, oh, sorry. So, so there's that. But the thing is, if you're black and you're in the Triangle area in North Carolina, it's automatically assumed that you live in Durham and you're just in Chapel Hill, just hanging out. It's that kind of shit because a lot of the northern, a lot of the white northern people that move to North Carolina, that's where they move to. So when they see you there, so check this out. So they took their northern racism and brought it to the south and they coming into your town and thinking, oh, how could this person possibly live here? And them motherfuckers ain't from there. (laughs) Oh, man. What a joke. uh, Yeah, my, my mother's mother was born, grew up, lived, and died in Durham. She had like... That's seven kids. So I was thinking, and I don't, I don't know how Durham is now, but when I was a kid, um, I didn't have any cousins that were my age, so I was always bored to death every time like we went to Durham because I didn't have no peer cousins that could show me where the spots were at. So I was just hanging out with a bunch of old folks. <laughs> I remember when I was living in New York City, a friend of mine tried to talk me and my my girlfriend at the time to uh, drive down to uh, Chapel Hill to go see Super Chunk play, and I'm a big Super Chunk fan. I wanted to go check him out, and I think uh, I think um, uh, uh, Bad Brains was probably playing like that next weekend. Um, so I was all down for driving down there, and then uh, a couple of my a couple of my other friends were telling me, "You go down, you gotta go down there. You better you know have your your firearm ready." Or you better be ready to, uh, you know, get, have your driver's shit all put together and locked down. So if you get pulled over, you, you know, things are cool. But um, but that was back in the '90s, and um, and and my buddy, I didn't go down there, but my but my girlfriend's friend went down there. He had a great time. He was a black dude. He, you know, he went down there. He had a he had a good time. And it was fun. 
Um, but I can't imagine going to uh, that region now. I don't know if I could even, I don't know if I could ever deal with being anywhere in the South these days, especially <clears throat> during those years when Trump was in office and these white people were just wiling when that was that when, when, uh, when he was in office. And if that guy gets elected again, it's just going to be, uh, you know, all the stops are going to be pulled off, pulled off when, if Trump gets back in there, especially with the cops. And so, you know, I, uh, I want to make sure, I just want to make sure I get to the other guests. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to say, thanks, thanks for having me on there, Savvy. I'm just want to stick around for Be Easy. I know he's got something good to say. So, uh, All right. Yeah, you can pull me out. Okay, thank you. Let's bring in um, Christian M. What's going on, Christian? You just have to hit the unmute button and we'll be able to hear you. What's up? Hey, guys. Um, thanks for having me. Um, hey, how are you? I'm good. A little bit tired, but worth staying up for. Um, so I don't know, one of the thoughts that I've been sort of having a lot, seeing, especially like these spokespeople, um, you know, sit there and sort of try to deny what's obviously happening is, I don't know, it just, everything about this is heartbreaking, but, you know, we're of course, I think it makes sense that we're talking about the the present issue, which would be a an immediate ceasefire. But you know, the trauma that's going to come in afterwards, the idea that these children are going to be able to see all of these atrocities being committed, you know, and like see the the commentary that was happening in real time seeing people justify the the pure trauma and evil that they've been sort of experiencing. And, you know, you brought up the idea that this will be dangerous for the United States. And I think you're right, of course. And I think that's going to play a huge part into it because they're going to be able to see sort of the the general population kind of going at this with those weird cult-like, you know, four more year chants that they're doing um, when fighting gets interrupted by protesters, but also by like, yeah, mainstream media and the government and exactly what they've been saying. Um, and I don't know, I mean, I just, it's been a thought that I've had and I don't really have a lot of people to kind of discuss this with and it's, it's just disgusting and it kind of like pisses me off too. Cause I feel like at some point all of these people are going to try to profit from their like moral dilemma that they experience at this point, you know, cause like, it's clear that they're really uncomfortable making these statements and it just reminds, it's like the parallels to the Trump administration are too obvious for me to like comprehend how people don't see it. Well, you know what, Christian? You know what's really interesting to me? Democrat politicians saying we should support Joe Biden because we could get someone as dangerous as Trump. But those it's same wild. Democrat politicians, those same Democrat politicians are supporting Netanyahu, who's actually worse than Donald Trump. So and he like loves make Trump. Make it make sense. Exactly. Make it make sense. How the fuck y'all sitting up here supporting Netanyahu, who is racist? 
who is a fucking Yo. genocidal maniac has made his intentions very clear. You can support very clear. him, but you're going to tell everybody else you better support Joe Biden or else we'll get Donald Trump. But it's okay for you to back a, a, someone who's worse than Donald Trump because mm-hmm. he's in another country. Like, this is the hypocrisy of the Democratic Party. Listen, I'm going to keep it real. I think after this, the Democratic Party is done, whether yes. Joe Biden wins or not. And I don't yes. think Joe Biden is going to win. And if Joe Biden loses to Donald Trump, that is going to be an utter embarrassment for the Democratic so Party. Embarrassing. And they are going to have to go back to the fucking table, go back to the fucking drawing board, and they're going to have to sit in the fucking room and figure out how the fuck they messed this up. How you think about this, guys. Wait till November. If Joe Biden loses to Donald Trump, how the hell are you going to explain this shit? You going right. to blame Russia? Is uh-huh. it right to call again? <laughs> again. Or who, who are you going to blame this time other well, than your damn us. self? Other than us. your damn self. Like, this is ridiculous. I'm not voting Democrat or Republican regardless, but it's yeah. very obvious if 70% of Democrats say they don't want Joe Biden to run, don't y'all motherfuckers think you should have put somebody else in there? You should have nominated somebody else? Yep. You could have got behind anybody else? At least have a debate. Like, it's insane that we don't even get to see debates and we don't get to see the the reality of what people are feeling in a real time. You know, hopefully somebody running against him would bring up the idea that he is funding genocide and that he needs to be doing, uh, that he needs to stop what he's doing and that he needs to be held accountable for the bullshit that he's been perpetrating against these innocent people. And they and may they not care about, care about winning, winning, but they do care about public. Yeah. No. I was oh, just go going to say the reality is they do not care. Mm-hmm. These people who would risk, and you know, like I say, if they will force you to choose between two mutually unacceptable candidates, and this thing right. is being orchestrated. So the people at the very top do not care whether it's Trump or Biden. And frankly, mm-hmm. when Trump was in and he cut the corporate tax rate, you didn't hear Democrats screaming about that because they benefited too. Right. The whole idea is to control the narrative and control the media. And I think with the onset of independent media and social media, this and that, they lost the control over the real narrative, especially with the young people. And so now it's becoming a more difficult proposition to, you know, control the narrative. But these people could care less. They don't, you know, Biden doesn't care whether it's Trump. Trump doesn't care whether it's Biden in terms of those circles. And so we're faced with a government that for decades now has simply refused to act on the behalf and the best interests of the people. How can you cut the programs that cut child poverty and then send a hundred billion dollars around to Ukraine? How can you tell us we can't have universal health care, but you keep approving military budgets into the 800 billions? And that's yearly. It makes no sense. And this whole settler, colonialist, imperialist, capitalist thing has just outlived its utility. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just don't I don't see where it goes because the people 
are so busy being pitted against each other and, you know, polarized against each other's interests and this and that till they're, they're just going to run this thing into the ground. And I could see, you know, they keep saying, well, you know, if we get Trump, it's the end of democracy. Democracy has ended way back when. Yeah. This is this is not even about that. This thing has run its course, and I don't think anybody really has a clue because the elites who have thrived are not willing to say, "Okay, guys, we need to do something different." They, you know, they're busy trying to replace you with AI and robotics. Mm -hmm. They could care less. No, I mean, and it's like. First of all, I mean, one of the things that kind of brings me the, I don't know, just a lot of annoyance and a lot of anger is the um, the pink washing that happens a lot. And it's interesting because prior to, to now, um, sort of, not that I haven't been critical of, you know, government and systems and things before, but this am I really paying attention because it's just it's it starts off with you know a little bit of an interest in in the history of the just conflict with um, Gaza and and Israel or well the the genocide against Gaza and then you know it just it's like a it's been for me at least a, an avalanche effect or a snowball effect but what is interesting to me um, is a lot of like queer activists or, or LGBT like liberals will sit there and cry wolf and talk about what Biden is doing for queer people or what Trump's presidency would mean for queer people. And it's disgusting to me because there's a lot of bullshit that's happening against queer children, especially in a lot of these places while Biden is a president. And there is no real outrage from him or from Democrats, and there's no real plan or 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 any. I don't know. It's just it's clear that it doesn't. They don't really care, and like anything else, it's just a a way to try to control that narrative and to you know say, hey, well, we got to uh, protect your rights, but we're actually not going to do anything. To just we're just going to say. And it's it's just really telling, um, but yeah, like you were saying, the having this, it's it's run its course, and to me, it's just interesting. Like it just it feels just like on a spiritual level, there's just a lot of a lot of tension. I feel like, and it just feels like this desperation to keep this going, and they're just like grasping at straws to figure out how to make this work and it's just not going to because there's billions of people in this world and I don't think we can take this for much longer, especially but, with but, the global but, south. But to your point, why is there this desperation to keep this going, right? Mm -hmm. Because of the military industrial complex. Right. I mean, I think that's also another thing that's run its course is is war in general i feel like that is it's insane to me that the just the idea that under international law 
it could be illegal what like just just the, the possibility of Israel making a case that what they're doing right now is legal is insane to me and the idea that it's actually being considered as fact is or as a as a valid um, legal argument is wild to me as well because and see this is why someone like Nikki Haley didn't have support among the Republican party because see right. Nikki Haley was still trying to run a George W Bush campaign mm-hmm. which may have worked back then but that doesn't work today even with the Republican party people are tired of these wars and yeah. that's what Nikki Haley and her team did not understand they thought let's bring back the George W Bush era of politicians for the Republican Party. Not thinking about the fact that, dude, so many like Republicans don't want these fucking wars. Have yep. they not been paying attention? I mean, and they don't even take care of them when they come back <laughs> from these wars. So it's like at some point the the rose colored glasses, the red, white, and blue colored glasses, they're 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 gonna fall off. And you know, I mean, it's clear that it's leading either into, you know, the Trumpism, but I don't know, hopefully they wake up and, and uh, it, like, it's, it's clear that it's going to have to be a much bigger coalition if actual change is going to happen. But um, I'll leave it at that. I want to hear what other people have to say. Mask. Um, thank you guys for having me on. The mask has already For sure. All right. Thank you so much, Christian. Let's bring in Lance. All right, it's the ladybug. Yeah. You're on the mic. Yeah. Uh, hey, Savvy, Eric, Noel, and Roger. So, oh, if I could just toot my own horn a little bit. I wanted to do something called the Free Speech Initiative. Because um, of all the cancellation, I... Syracuse University was, they got the award that Harvard got from FIRE a few years ago, 2018, I think, to be the worst campus on in the country for free speech. So for that and other reasons, it's been something I've been wanting to do for decades, really, to get right and left, you know, blue and red, whatever, together, not just one-sided, however much of a, well, I checked the boxes on the left, I don't, I don't call myself a, anyway. Yeah, so I went to it, and this is instructional, folks. Just like when I went to this bar called Fat Bottom Grills, I had to put things on hold because of my cancer and stuff. But I'm re- reinstituting everything. My chemo's almost done. I get a break, and then sir, blah, blah blah. So I have, I can live a pretty normal life. I'm not like so under the weather with this stuff. Anyway, I went to a rural library, a town of ten thousand, Oneida, New York. And I didn't even have to go through channels. The person was the librarian that I spoke to. I'm sure it wasn't just the receptionist. And this guy, after giving him a five minute pitch said, yeah, do your free speech initiative. We have a place for you to do it, up to maybe 100 tops. Uh, but And so there was a group that had an SU who had a thing booked. It was going to be a Jewish group and uh, represented, and I, I want to say Palestinian, but it was a Muslim group. This is before October 7th, and they were booked at SU somewhere. October 7th happened. They canceled it. I could at least remotely understand it if it was going to be a Zionist group or a pro-Palestinian and not balanced, but it was going to be balanced. I'm like, enough of this. In the meantime, before I got those guys together, there's a guy named John Parker, who I met on call-in, 
just by chance from California. He goes to SU. He runs the campus Republican. But I'm telling you, folks, he's one of the most straight shooters, good faith actor. We had a debate about abortion and I was obviously on the pro-choice side, but he's just a very respectable young man. And he how's this for a campus Republicans? He runs it, basically. And he said that he's majoring in like whatever humanities, liberal arts and writing. Great. You know what I mean? I mean, we need people that are going to be thoughtful and fair minded and fact based and all this stuff. He's really a straight shooter. And I thought, who am I going to get for this first thing until I can get these groups that are more distant? I thought, how about this? Because he talks about having to you know, walk on eggshells. They constantly want to cancel them out. They're under scrutiny. Syracuse University is a very, very liberal campus as far as, the, you know, the kids that go there. I mean, small L liberal, what you might expect from kids from Long Island, okay, or whatever. But, you know, in Queens, but they're not exactly uh, progressive, although it used to be a bastion for that at, at Syracuse University, um, almost like Berkeley under the radar a little bit uh, back in the 60s. Jim Brown, who was a, a graduate of SU, of course, he, him and he would bring civil rights people to Syracuse after he was, you know, professional athlete, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm kind of excited about that, that I'll be able to launch my free speech initiative. And the first group is going to be, I want to get the campus Republican thing. Oh, my God. He said these people are so vicious, but it's going to be DSA type to they will come and defend their censorship regime. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get anybody from that side, but it's going to be somebody that will counter the campus Republican talking about their experience trying to exist on a campus. But anyway, this guy's a great guy. So I'm, I'm happy to be working with him because the point is to have people, you know, different points of view. So I'm kind of excited about that. So first of all, congratulations. Thank you. Second of all, what was the name of that place? Fat Bottom? What? Fat Bottom Grills. That's when I was doing another thing that I, again, I had to put so many things on hold when this radiation stuff before the, even the chemo, but I had to kind of put it on hold. But it was for my farms, future agronomists, rural, metro, suburban, right? And oh, I'll put it in 10 seconds, Savvy. I've talked about it before. I don't want to go all into it. It's not, you know, needed right now. But it's basically bringing the kids that do urban farming, you know, with the help of some of the, the local kind of agronomists that literally are the, you know, the, the, the town greenhouse that do the town greenhouse that, you know, that run this parks and all that. They get help from them. And it's these inner city kids. It's not, it's not reinventing the wheel. This is common around the country and they have community gardens. You can just go pick stuff, but they gather stuff at peak season and they put it in a little stand on different corners and they sell it. They get an idea. You can grow stuff in the city and you can sell it. And it's a wonderful thing. Meanwhile, you got 4-H club who I was really inspired by going to the state fair and just walking around people watching. And I would get to the fringe where they had, it was all kids that were, you know, grooming the animals for the, uh, you know, blue ribbons. There was parents somewhere, there was adults somewhere, but it was all kids, 4-H club. So the idea is to get 4-H clubs into the city to see that, get these kids that do this urban farming that literally have never seen a cow and it's only 20 minutes away where I live next to a dairy farm. So I'm going to get farmers to help them do tours and we'll anyway bring these groups together. So I go to Fat Bottom Grills. I'm telling you, 98% Trumpers here, folks, in 2020, they were all Trump side. Now, I don't know if she was a Trumper, but I guarantee she wasn't a Democrat. Fat Bottom Grills. The ladies, I gave her the pitch. I said inner city kids coming out. Now, I had every reason to think she's like, I don't know if that would be appropriate for us, but she's like, yeah, sounds good. Bring it on. Just reach out to people. You'd be shocked how many times you're going to get a thumbs up instead of a thumbs down. And I'm talking about these are people that are just completely 180 degrees on the other side of where I'm at politically. And yet, you know what? Just reach out and be real and they'll respond more favorably than you think. And Oneida Library is a town of 10,000. 
Now, obviously, librarians, even in rural conservative areas, are going to have more liberals that run the show. It's just, which is a wonderful thing. That's a good liberals, right? When we talk about librarians, they're my heroes, you know, that's why, that's why I went to libraries to try to do this. Yeah. So I just want to chime in for a second because you said fat bottom (laughs) and this is the only fat bottom. I know I'm just going to play this for a couple seconds. (laughs) That's all I know about that. Yeah, this is grills. That's right. This is queen. Yeah, this is fat bottom grills. G R I L L S. Okay. Yeah, but not, do not girls. There have fat bottoms. Uh, well, do that's what it's called. Fat bottom to work at that bottom grill. I know I fat bottoms. Let's put it this way: there's a lot of white rural folks that have fat bottoms too. So it's not like they're, you know, yeah. <laughs> I know so, fat I bottoms mean, with the G and the L's like switched around. No, it's, yeah, Fat Bottom, G-R-I-L-L-S. The point being, though, is that these guys are, you know, probably conservative right-wingers, and yet they're going to let me do this thing, you know, and I just think that's kind of instructive. But, yeah, so. I I didn't know that Jim Brown graduated from Syracuse? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he was, that's where he graduated. That's where he was like the, he was better at lacrosse than he was at football, but, no, that's where he did his thing. Yeah, in Syracuse. Yeah, and that's why Syracuse, not just him, but that was a big, big reason. He was an activist from the when he was a student, let alone later. So, yeah, he brought a lot of folks up here and it made it kind of a under the radar. It's Syracuse. It's not New York City. It's not Berkeley. But there was a lot of activity in the 60s, a lot of Vietnam protests and stuff like that at Hendricks Chapel and outside it and around Syracuse. So, so Lance, let me ask you a question. Um, going back to uh, the discussion that me and Lee had since you're in that part of the state that's like rural or kind of rural or rural compared to us. How is the, like the internet out, out there? Terrible. Horrible. I live in a town that has 2000 people. The town next to me has 2000 people. They just put up a second tower. I literally got three or four phones replaced until finally somebody explained it's your service. And sure enough, I did other things to try to improve it. And I'm not very techie, but they just came out and gave me a whole new modem and all this crap. So I, the, the, it's, it's okay. It's not as bad as like deep rural because there are hot spots if you get to a population center. You don't, in other words, I live next to a dairy farm, but I live on like the busiest street in the state, you know, Route 5. Other than before the, before the interstate, that was the main road from Buffalo to Albany. So it's, it's New York's different rural because I'm 10 miles from like suburbia, but you know, I'm also 10, so, you know. So. so how do people get their information going to what? Lee was saying about, uh, well, they have to have landlines or something about. No, it's not that bad here. Like I say, because we don't have to go that far. In other words, West Texas, you got to go like 150 miles to get to any civilization. But here I'm in the rural and it's bad right here. But if I go five, literally seven or eight miles, there's a lot of hot spots that, and there'll be better service. And if I go 10 miles the uh, towards the east, I'm in a place where there's lots of towers. So it's just kind of this little niche area. And so it's not as bad as it could be, but it's not the best, you know, so it's not so, that great anyway. But so do you think that people are getting like information like, you know, like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, we're not rural, rural. We're just like, it's oh. different. Lee wanted me to ask you, how do you get your news? 
how do I get my nose? No, no, <laughs> news, news. How do I get my news? Alternative, news? alternative media and just going deep dives into YouTube and just boom, boom, boom. A lot of local. You know what I love to do? If I hear a story that happened in Idaho, I read AP, I read Reuters, I read what somebody covering it on the punditry on YouTube. I go to the local. I love going. What does the Idaho statesman say? I could rattle off a lot of newspapers around the country because that's where you get a lot of your best stuff because it's the local people that, you know, depending, sometimes they're going to whitewash just like they do nationally. But that's where you get. That's what I like to do. So I, I just I read everything. I'll read right, you know, right wing, left wing. I read mostly left wing, you know, whatever you want to call, you know, progressive points of view. Chris Hedges and Ralph Nader, I'm going to spend a lot more time with than, yeah. you know, John McWhorter or I, I mean, uh, Glenn asking, Lowry. Go I ahead. Was, I guess he was asking, do you get your news legacy or like social media? Something that no. depends on the internet, I guess. No. Well, Maybe I do, but like everybody up there. Oh, in general? I don't interact with enough people to know, but I'm guessing probably a lot of legacy, but I, I don't get anything from legacy because, you know, when I had cable, I'd watch it almost like for entertainment. And it's like Fox became like less bad in some ways than, than, than MSNBC and CNN. They at least allowed a liberal on there to argue with once in a while anyway. But uh, yeah, no, but could I, could I switch quickly to one thing? Yeah, yeah, my bad, sorry. No, 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 but, you know, because I know you got other callers, Abby, and it's getting later and later every caller. But I wanted to mention this. I was called correctly. <laughs> Sorry, Eric, for being kind of a Debbie Downer, for being kind of negative, talking about Cor Cornell West and Dennis Kucin. It's just no big deal. We were just having fun. You know, I hope that. Anyway, I'm going to bring it all the way down. They killed that guy with nitrogen, uh, the experimental thing that, by the way, if I could just be brief about it, it's a what drug. That in, in Alabama, the, the first time ever, they killed a guy with not nitrogen gas with a mask and it cuts off the oxygen and you suffocate. They did it at eight oh, o'clock tonight, no. Eastern time. I thought y'all probably knew about it. No. Yeah, nitrogen. First time experimental. The first time they did the electric chair, the guy writhed and screamed and moaned for about eight minutes and his hair went on fire. The first time they did the electric chair, the first time they did gas chamber, same thing. The person did not die. Peacefully, he was in pain and writhing for a long time, and the stuff started to leak out. It was freaking the people out that were because there was holes in the. I was crazy. So every time the lethal injection, same thing. This guy, okay, they tried. They had him on a gurney for three and a half hours. They couldn't find a vein, so they had to stop. This is in 2022, I think, a year or two ago, and so that was that. The other thing is, he was 11 to one vote by the jury said life in prison. A judge overturned it. This is the sick, really just sick shit that just makes, I'm sorry for my French, that makes me ashamed to be an American, even though I'm not. I'm going to stay here and fight for what's good in this country. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here, but it's just whack. 11 to 1 jury said life in prison. The judge was allowed to overturn it. No, we're going to kill him. They, they rescinded that law. Judges can't overrule the jury anymore, but they're still going to kill the guy. Why wouldn't it be retroactively saying if the jury wanted life, then he should get life? So that's what, another factor. What was this? This is in Alabama. Uh, where and I'm happened from. At 8 tonight. Interesting. The only other thing I wanted to mention to bring it all the way down. Sorry, folks. Like Chris Hedges says, there's a lot of negative stuff. You got to report it. And since I haven't heard much about it on like anyone's shows, I am going to mention it. And it's this. In Kentucky, there's a law that if passed, it'll be open season on homeless. There's three things. Arson, okay. One is threatening, which I guess that could be verbal. But the worst of it is if they're on your property and they're trying to take your property and like won't basically squatters that won't leave, you can blow them away. Deadly force by citizens against homeless. 
Yeah, it's in a Kentucky law. It's got 52 out of 78 Republican sponsors in the House, almost certain to pass the House. But even the Republicans are like, I can't believe my colleagues in the House are doing this. I don't think it's going to pass the Senate. Bashar is the uh, Democratic governor, I believe, still. So he's going to veto it. But, yeah, this is what we're doing in America now. Open season on homeless in Kentucky if it passes. Sorry to be be downer, but I think this stuff needs to be reported since, you know, a lot of folks aren't aware of it. So I, I go, you know, I have more time than people, you know, they have, a lot of time have, on my end, but I read everything, like I said. So some of this stuff isn't popped up on the radar, but. They had, you know who, um, well, I, you know, I'm just going by the History Channel, whatever. But um, what's his name? Was uh, Edison was the one who made the first electric chair. Oh, um, and they cooked the guy with AC. Uh, was it AC instead of direct? I forgot what it was. I was watching something on the History yeah. Channel a while ago. The men who built America and Nikola Tesla and who worked for Edison was like, you know, Tesla was the one coming up and he was trying to convince him of AC and what's his name? Edison was about DC. Oh, sorry, yeah. my bad. Direct direct current and alternative current. My bad. Yeah. Sorry. And, and if Tesla won, we'd have batteries up the yin yang. We'd have battery powered everything, but they they nixed that and went only with the direct current instead of AC or the other way around. AC instead of DC. Oh, Edison was a piece of work. He was ruthless. He paid a lot of money to squelch and get gobble up patents. Think about Tesla. He had George Westinghouse on his side, who was a big bad robber baron, but that wasn't enough. The Forces on the other side on Edison's team were more powerful. Yeah, nasty stuff there too. But yeah, but this thing with Kentucky and this thing in Alabama, where where are we, man? You know, I mean, where are we as a country? It just just saddens me. It really does. It's you know, it's interesting, um, Lance, that you would say these things. But when you think about it, aren't we really just going full circle? Because those types of things, those types of atrocities, inhumanities, and violence have always been with us. They're just now being propagated in a way that they're directed across the entire population. But you know, in terms of the descendants of slaves, we have lived with that type of inhumanity and barbarism for for centuries, literally centuries. And now that the economy has been so hijacked till it doesn't. And, and it's an interesting thing. I'll give you something to think about. You know, after World War II, this country, you know, did the FDR thing and blah, blah, blah. And they built out the middle class and the marginal tax rate, the marginal corporate tax rate was very high at that time, but they felt that it was necessary in order to provide these benefits to these people. But as you know, the black people who were largely the descendants of slaves were left out of that. And so in the 60s, when the civil rights movement was able to gain some, you know, footing and include blacks in the mainstream of what America was doing for its white people, then you move into the 70s and all of a sudden, the tax rates, it became all about cut the tax rate, this and that and blah, blah, blah. So this nation has always been about edifying its white masses. And that's what the connection to Donald Trump is. 
But the reality is the corporate culture has gone so predatory till it won't even do what it needs to do to save its white people. And that's why you see these type of barbaric, you know, machinations happening. But it's always been here. This isn't anything new. It's just being added, you know, regurgitated and made available to the whole population. Yeah. That part. Yeah. But it's no been distributed to a certain segment of the population. Well, you know, um, one of the things that the government has to stop doing because it it was FDR, but it wasn't FDR all by himself. And what I mean by that is, is this. Presidents are either lazy or they are too trusting of governors and municipalities with, with federal money. And what he did was what presidents still do to this very day. They just give the money and resources to the state, to the governors, and to the mayors and say, hey, you guys figure out what to do with it. And that money, you know, you know how like when you owe somebody money, you never give it to an intermediary. You give it directly to them. If it's federal money and resources, then it should be a federal person from the federal government coming straight to your door with a check or with whatever, seeing what you need, whatever the case. Yeah. If the, if the governor wants to get these these governors are so freaking corrupt. I can't stand them. If if they yeah. want to if they want to get in on oh I want to be in charge no give the money to me give the money to us oh what so you could pay off your cronies so you could plug up a deficit hole that you created no 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 if you want to deliver resources from you then you come up with some state revenue and some state resources yeah. and then when the federal person representing the federal government finishes visiting that person at their home and giving them what they need and they leave, then you could come in with your state people and then you could come in and after that, then you could come in with your municipal right. people. Okay. So, but when FDR gave gave all that stuff and said, hey, you guys do it, you know, most of these, all of these small towns, all these small municipalities was making sure that black people was not going to get this stuff. Yeah, if I could piggyback on that, Roger, FDR also deliberately, and he used the excuse of, and it was a very conservative house, you know, even though they had the vote, but they did barely and all that. And they, okay, he used the excuse of that, but he was just a patriarchal white guy to a certain extent. He did some great stuff, but he deliberately allowed, because they did social security for everyone, not just uh, senior citizens who were white. He could have made a lot of these things universal and he let it go through in a way that he didn't have to just kowtow to the conservatives. He could have got a lot more things done with for people of color and they were pissed. And like, no, to piggyback on what Noel said, it's same thing is the 50s. The 50s was so much more radical. The 60s and 70s with the fruition. But after the Korean War, especially, all soldiers that came back said enough that that was such a bogus war anyway. But then the black community said, no, no mas. We're not going to do the New Deal. We're going to get ours. And that's why you had uh, the things that happened with Thurgood. A lot of the, the court cases in the 50s and the lunch counter strikes and the Birmingham bus stuff. That was the 50s, guys. You know, that started before the 60s. And it was like, no, we're going to get ours this time. And that's why 
they forced, and it was Martin Luther King and the people in the street that forced LBJ to make sure that at least to a certain extent, better than the New Deal, and there was still, you know, redlining and insurance stuff and all kinds of bad stuff, but they made sure that it was going to be, uh, you know, for, for everyone, for people of color as well. We're not taking it anymore. So like Noel said, it took a long time, but, and that wasn't ever perfect. But and at least in the 50, 60 civil rights, they're like, no, we're, we're, we're going to be at the table. And because they forced LBJ to, to, to listen, you know, they got they got it done, you know. So. Yeah, and, 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 and Hochul is still begging Biden for, uh, for, for, for money for uh, this and that because, you know, like, like I said, this is the reason why I say have a public bank so you don't have to be yeah. – Could I throw in 10 more seconds and then shut the heck up? The the CBDG, the Community Development Block Grant. So instead of saying if this is for schools or if this is for food or if this is for shelter, we're going to watch every penny you spend. Nope, we're just going to give you the check and you spend it any way you want. And that just unleashed all kinds of corruption from all kinds of people by making a Community Development Block Grant with very little oversight. And when they converted from direct, like you're saying, more direct to specific groups that were going to do specific things to just general stuff for the the groups that were organized in the cities and then they got corrupt because they didn't have to be accountable for the money. So those whatever community development block grants replacing direct, uh, you know, scrutiny on these programs really helped to create the corruption that happened. I was just going to say too, um, I mean, these are all really good points and I think like what Roger was saying about governor Hochul, like asking for money. Also let's think about, um, Eric Adams also like out there Biden for money and stuff like that. Again, it just goes to show you like, let's think about some of these things that these people could do on their own. Again, Mm -hmm. if we had public banks. I just learned yesterday that New York city has a $100 billion budget, but yet you still have people native New Yorkers who don't have permanent housing. That's a budget bigger than a lot of states. But see, Roger, you know what we need? We need a thousand Roger Meadows. Like someone. We need a thousand ballot initiatives. No, seriously. Someone told me this like two years ago. Two years ago, someone said we need a thousand Shama Sawants. Okay, so Shama Sawant starts worker strike back. And now I'm sitting here and I'm like, we need a thousand Roger Meadows. Like we need. This needs to be spread all across the world. And so, like, I ran out of time tonight, so I couldn't do the Colorado ballot initiative thing tonight, but um, I'll do it Friday night. And I'm just going to keep keep talking about the ballot initiatives, you guys, like, because I'm, I'm sorry, like, that's an untapped resource. Yes. And for the people who choose not to come out and vote for the president, if you live in a ballot initiative state, you're doing yourself a disservice by not coming out and voting for those ballot initiatives. It just is what it is. Well, let me just say all states are ballot initiative states, but only 23 of them allow voters to place initiatives on the ballot. But all 50, the state legislature places initiatives on the ballot. Like New York is not one, but the New York state legislature will place some initiatives on the ballot for us to ratify into the state constitution. Yeah, I would just be careful about saying all states are ballot initiative states because people will hear that and they'll get confused. So like that, I I don't lead with that rhetoric because when people hear that, they're like, well, wait a minute. 
my state doesn't allow. So I would frame that differently because remember again, in this space, people take you at your word. So when you say that all states are ballot initiative states, they're gonna believe that. They're gonna believe that they have the power to go to the ballot and vote for ballot measures. And that's actually not the case. So that's why I don't. No, no, what, what I'm saying is, so 23 states allow voters to place initiatives on the ballot, but in all states, the legislature places initiatives on the ballot for voters to vote on. Right. But that's the way I, I think that's the best way to frame it instead of saying all states are ballot initiative states. Because a lot of people, when they hear ballot initiative, they think that the voter automatically gets to place. You see what I'm saying? They think that voters can place initiatives on the ballot? Yes. That's, that's why you have to be very careful with the language that's used because, and I know this because last year when I covered all the ballot initiatives, there were a number of people that reached out and were just like, well, wait a minute, my state, you know, such and such, it was listed as having like ballot measures, but I wasn't able to actually vote on any of those ballot measures. And I was like, well, no, you wouldn't be able to do that because you, your state is not a voter you know, initiative state. So that's what they I'm can, saying. Like, well, they can vote. Frame, huh? They can they can vote on them. They just can't gather petitions to place their own initiatives on the ballot. Right, but all states aren't ballot initiative states. So, for example, when I lived in South Carolina, when I voted in South Carolina, we didn't have ballot measures. That's um, that's what that's what I'm saying. You mean like, ballot measures that were put there by the citizens? What do you mean? There there were no, like, the questions okay. were, and, and same thing, when I lived in North Carolina. Okay, when I so voted in North Carolina, there were no questions on the ballot. The ballot was just the president and who was running okay. for local office. That's it. Okay. So sometimes the state legislature will put initiatives on, in some years, the state legislature will put initi put initiatives on the ballot and some years they don't. Um, so even if there's nothing on the ballot uh, this year on, in your state, whether it's a citizen ballot initiative state or not, your legislature can put something on the ballot the next year. You right, I mean? but I would not, but I would not use the phrase all states are ballot initiative states. I would not use that phrase because I'm just telling you, Roger, from experience, when people hear that, they hear ballot measures by the citizens. That's what they hear. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I would just be careful about using that phrase because I. that's why when I talked about it, I said there are such and such states in this country that are ballot initiative states, meaning that it's put on, you know, the citizens collect ballot signatures and da, 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 because I don't want to mislead people. Because well, remember, remember, that was the whole beef that happened with Savage Joy. Remember, she got all pissed and was just like, well, I live in Pennsylvania and we don't have citizen ballot initiatives where people can put these things on the ballot. And da, da, da. So you got to be careful what you say because people will hold you. Okay. You know, I, I hear where you're coming from. Because I, I guess I see it as ballot initiative is a general term. 
and citizen ballot initiative as something specific. You feel what I'm saying? Like movie, action movie. So that's that's how I was rolling it in, in my head. Right. But that's because you understand the difference between the two. And the thing mm-hmm. is, most people don't even know what this is. Mm hmm. That's the thing. So I try to I try to frame it. I, that's why I say there's what is 24 now or 23 because of Mississippi. So Mississippi is in a state of suspended animation. Um, They say you'll hear them. You'll hear them say there's 26 altogether. But two of those 26, which is Maryland and New Mexico, are veto referendum states. So they can repeal laws, but they can't pass laws and amend laws, right? So you take away two and you're down to 24. Then you had the situation with Mississippi. So they're still in the state of suspended animation. That's why I say there's 23. Right. So I think that's what I told people last year, 23. And that's what I stick with Mm because I don't want to confuse people, you know, that kind of thing. But still look to see what's on the ballot rather than who, whether... Who's on the ba- who's on the ballot is more important than what's on the ballot. Right. Was- Anything else, Lance? Uh, put him to sleep. Anything <laughs> else, Lance? Or I'm moving on to Darnell. Going once, going twice. <laughs> okay, moving on to Darnell. Darnell, you are on the mic. What's up? Just got to unmute. And I will be wrapping up here uh, shortly, but Darnell, going once, going twice, going three times. Okay, Darnell, you have to unmute. You have to click the mute button at the bottom right, left, or I think it's left for me. Nope. I'll invite you as a speaker, and then we're going to go ahead and move on to Be Easy. What's up? Just got to unmute. Hey, what's up? Could you hear me? I can hear you. Not too much. I wanted to start off by saying I did send you some uh, uh, mock-up designs to your email like a week ago uh, of the, like, fry your own fish What's design. your, what, wait a minute. What's your email address? Because I got, like, over a thousand emails. Let me look for it now. What's your email address? Uh, I, I, I think I sent it from one of my music ones. So it should be be easy music booking at Gmail. And I, I easy with the S, uh, what is Z? Okay. Wait a minute. B E E Z. It's a B dot E A Z Y music booking at Gmail. I sent it from there. The headline even says like, fry your own fish so i did like a whole and it's at least like 10 designs or something i didn't know which one you would like so i just sent a bunch of them just to let you know i mean you can check it at your earliest convenience i figured you had a bunch of them in there but no, uh, I, can't it find probably... it. I think i put it in here wrong um which email address did you send it to uh i think it's uh, w- the one that you said was on your uh, YouTube, which is like, I think it was Management Ritual, something like that. No. Um, Can you search for like fish or something? Let me, let me see. Um, what was the, the, the subject line? Do you remember? Yeah, it says uh, fry your own fish. 
that's what the subject line is. Search for fish. <laughs> and I'm looking, and the email is Sabrina dot manage mgmt at ritualnetwork.com. Oh no! Don't send it to that one. I'm sorry. Let me um. Oh, because the last me. time we were talking, you said uh, it would be the one that was on your YouTube channel, because that's where I got it from. Yeah, for some reason, some of those are coming to me, and some of those are not. Um, got you. Hold on, let me see. I feel like a butt. Um, let me hold on one second. Send it to um, if you, you if you can do it. I'm putting it in the chat now. So okay, I, cool. So, yeah, you, you know, can either put it in the chat or like uh, inbox me or whatever, and then I'll, I'll, I'll put send it in the it. chat. Okay. Sabrina Salvati at SabbySabs.com. Got you. I just put it in there. Try to okay. send it to there. Okay, cool. I got too many email things and I'm way behind. Yeah, I, I figured that was the case. I know. I was like, damn, did Sabby go Hollywood already? I'm telling I'm you, man. I'm just I can joking with these you. Emails. I'm not kidding. I can yeah. keep up with these emails. Yeah, no, I was just joking with you about that Hollywood statement. But I figured that you were, uh, you know, kind of preoccupied with checking other ones. So I did just want to at least let you know that I sent that one. And I'm actually just uh, boarding it right now. So by the time I'm done with my uh, harangue, it should be in there. So I'm going to send that right now. Um, okay, so I just sent that. Cool, and I know that you uh, have limited time. There was a bunch of stuff in the uh, when the conversation started, uh, so that I want to touch on. Don't want to go back too far, but I'll just go ahead with because it pertains to uh, your show tonight. Uh, I would say, and I did hear you mention uh, Van Jones, and Van Jones actually was giving a hundred million dollars. So it was him and some dude named Chef Jose Andres. Jeff Bezos gave it to him because he said it was an award that he cr created called the Courage and Civility Award, Award. And he said he gave it to those two, Van Jones specifically, because he demonstrated courage. Like, I don't know what courage. I mean, uh, someone was talking about earlier that old Van Jones when he had hair. I'm sure he was courageous then, but I haven't seen much uh, on the courage side of Van Jones. And he, uh, Bezos said that he was a unifier uh, in a divisive world. So, I mean, it oh, just sounds... Oh, be easy. I just looked at these pictures. This is freaking amazing, man. What the fuck, man? Sorry, guys. I know you can't, the rest of you can't see this. These designs are freaking phenomenal. Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah, so like anyone that you like, I could add like uh, words uh, to it. You know what I mean? Um, but that was just like, I actually have more, but I was like, dang, she didn't even check this one. So I didn't want to kind of bombard you. But yeah, I, I got like several more uh, like mock-up designs. And uh, any of those you can use, like you don't like like owe me anything. So um, I just want to make sure that you got it. These are awesome. 
They're so, beautiful. Yeah, I tried to be a little bit uh, uh, eclectic with the designs, but I remember Noel was mentioning something about having, you know, a young lady, uh, uh, you know, with fish too, you know, so I tried to incorporate something like that. Those but are I, beautiful. Unfortunately, I don't look anything like this woman. Yeah, no, the thing is, I didn't have any like uh, images of you, you know what I mean? So I tried to just, that's why I said they were just like kind of mock up designs, you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, I didn't like have any, I just follow you on YouTube. So I didn't like try to, I didn't know where I could like get a bunch of pictures of you. So I just tried to do some designs of, you know, potential things. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to send you, can I send you? Oh, actually, you know what? Oh, I'm glad you said that. Actually. Oh, I have to send this to you. You just reminded me, Sam, I have to send this to you. Right. I have some on my phone too. So I, I want to send this to you while, um, while we're on this stream. I you I completely forgot that I I did make a bunch of images that actually do look exactly like you. So uh, yeah, um, if you can just give me five minutes and and uh, someone could talk, I just want to send this to you while uh, we're on. So I'm just mute for like five minutes, and uh, so I can send this to you. You want me to send those pictures or? Uh, no, actually. Just give me five minutes, Savvy. Okay. I know some people that can talk for five minutes. Check this out. What's up, Roger? <laughs> so there was so so um I don't know, you probably talked in the first hour about what happened with uh was it Sean Fame? Um but a little bit. Yeah. Like I said before, let's go worker cooperatives. And I think what would be best if worker cooperatives wrote into their bylaws, endorse no one. Instead, donate to all parties, all candidates. So this way, we win regardless of who wins the election. That's exactly what corporate does. So just let candidates come, speak to members, Allowing and allow those members the freedom to decide individually on their own who to vote for. You know what I mean? In, instead of like, you got to make yourself um, the that 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 uh, that fruit that's just out of reach. You know, when people would come on um, the American Idol show, and everyone always tried to get Simon Cowell's like approval, and they always worked so hard, and Simon Cowell shut them down. So it's like, no, 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 no. That's something that like a worker cooperative movement can do. They could be like, eh, we're not going to endorse, but maybe we would just, just string them along. So this way you got all the candidates falling all over themselves, trying to um, get in, get the endorsement. But meanwhile, they haven't written to their bylaws. We endorse no one. But we'll donate to all of you guys. So this way, no matter which one of you guys win, we win. You know, I think that's a pretty good. Oh. That's, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Guys, don't forget to watch the Dennis Kucinich interview tomorrow afternoon um, where he talks about his independent run. Like, by the way, I will say um, I've spoken to Dennis quite a bit before this interview. Uh oh. Really chill dude. Like, not what I would expect. Like, I've obviously I've interviewed several politicians and mm-hmm. candidates. Not, not what I expected. Like, it, like Dennis Kucinich seemed like a chill dude. That, Does that make sense? What's up, Eric? Was that the first time you would talk to him? No, I've been speaking to him for the past couple months, actually. Um, via phone and, and stuff like that. He was out of the country for a month. Um, so there was that. And we, we talked about multiple things at the time. Like, I didn't know that he was going to do this this run. Um, but he I seemed had, really happy to, uh, to talk to you and, and do the interview. Yeah, well, I, I contacted him, I would say, a couple months ago for an interview, and he was out of the country. He was traveling and doing all that kind of stuff. And um, But he gave me his number, and we talked on the phone multiple times. And he, I guess, like, he, he was very excited that, and it's not just me, but he's very excited that more people are starting to wake up to the the issues with the two-party system. Including him. <laughs> yeah, and, and he he also, um, we get into this a little bit into the interview. I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, you guys know. Oh, don't worry. Everyone here will watch it regardless. <laughs> oh, yeah. You guys know. I, I called out RFK Jr., right? Like, I covered his announcement, but at the same time, I wasn't afraid to call him out for the Israel bullshit, Right. So remember, uh, Dennis Kucinich was RFK's campaign manager. Remember I did that big announcement where he stepped down and he peaced out? Mm-hmm. So I didn't know this, but apparently for quite a while, Dennis Kucinich already knew who I was. I didn't know that. And he had been watching my show. What? I know. This shit is wild. Like, he had been watching my show. And he heard, like, he, this. keep this, I'm just going to be honest. He heard all the stuff that I said about RFK, positive and bad. Like, he heard what I've been saying about, like, the two-party system and all that stuff. But, like, when I contacted him for an interview, he already knew who I was. <laughs> he was part of the 50,000 to 70,000 subscribe, new subscribers. No, like, for real, I did not know that. I was shocked. You know what's el- what else is interesting? Uh, we'll get back to Dennis in a second. But when uh, the very first time I brought Norm Finkelstein on. So before that, we had a debate. There was a guy who reached out to me and said, would you be interested in debating Norm Finkelstein about identity politics? And I didn't know this dude. But this dude, it was, it was Plepity. Plepity, that was the name of the thing. And they were like, um, would you be interested? And I said, um, sure, I guess. Apparently, they they saw the video where I covered the interview between Norm Finkelstein and Aramate when Norm Finkelstein said white people are just a smidge above black people. Yeah, you told you said make sure to watch it. I, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Some of you, some of you are new. 
But some of you who've been with me for a while, you saw that video clip and what I was just like, come on now, Norm. <laughs> I was just like, come on. So that guy from Plebity saw that and he was like, Sabby, would you be interested? So they did like a whole debate forum, right? And so the first time I interacted with Norm Finkelstein was through uh, via email with that guy. Oh. And that guy, that guy said, Norm, Sabby said she's interested. Would you be interested in, and Norm responded and said, yes, I know Sabby, I watch Sabby. What? I was like, what? So this was, like, this was before I had, I even reached 50,000 subscribers, but he knew who I was. And that was weird to me. I was like, what? So we agreed, we did the debate. And I was like, look, Norm, and I know you saw it, uh, Roger. Uh -huh. I was like, look, you cannot sit up here and say that white people are just a smidge above black people. When we look at the homeless population and we see that black people are like, what, 13% of the national population or 40% of the homeless population. So I just write it off a bunch of stats, right? So they let me go first. And then Norm was like, Sabrina, <laughs> I, Sabrina, I agree with you. And then after that, I was like, what? <laughs> so that threw me off. So I was just kind of like, I thought this was supposed to be a debate. He was like, I agree with you, Sabrina. I talked about this before in one of my books. And Sabrina, you know, when I had that conversation with Aaron, I was just trying to say the difference between like when I was growing up and what it is now. And then I chimed in and Roger saw it. I should share this one day. Roger, Roger saw it and I chimed in and I was like, yeah, but Norm, you need to know that obviously Aaron, great journalist, cool dude, but Aaron Monte is not African-American. <laughs> for you to bring that conversation to him and say, well, white people just mention about black people and black people, da, da, da. how is Aaron going to be able to push back against you because he's not black and he doesn't have the black experience? Yeah, I think he, so. it was funny. It's funny. I'm going to find it, you guys. I'm nope. going to find it. It's funny when you look back on it because then Norm was like, Sabrina, you're right. You might say, I don't have the experience, Sabrina. But. I, I studied and I learned. I was like, you're not black, Norm. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, that, that was, it was funny because you kept telling us to watch it. And then when it got close to the date, you stopped telling us to watch it. I forgot. I totally forgot. It was too much shit going on at that time. I was trying to do that. And then I had like the freaking, I think they were, I was going to DC and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, listen, what was crazy though, is in the end, we were just like, I said, oh, I, I think we agree more than we realize. He was like, yes, Sabrina. And so I thought about it. I was like, well, damn. And then the guy who was the moderator, he was like, oh, Norm, I just want to say, I think black people do deserve reparations. It was it was funny. No, I'm going to send that shit to you guys. It was funny because he was like, black people do deserve reparations. And that guy was not black. Um, I think he, he was like Indian. Uh, yeah. yeah, I thought he was Middle Eastern. He was like, I've been watching Sabby for a while, and based on what I've seen, I think black people do deserve reparations in this country. And he was like, I agree, Sabrina. And it was, it was funny. So then after that, I was like, 
didn't think no one would ever come on my show because we had that thing. And so I reached out and invited him on and we were talking about the Bernie movement. And that was that whole discussion. I think Roger, you remember he brought up Angela Davis and all the people yes. that, like, <laughs> sold out and stuff like that. And he, he came on and at the end of the interview, he said, Sabrina, you know, I was quite hesitant to come on to the show because of the exchange that we had last time. <laughs> The only person that could put Norm in the in the corner. <laughs> he said, I didn't know if you wanted to, you know, I was a little hesitant, but uh I see that this is, you know, this is a great conversation and I see I think you and I got off on the wrong foot. <laughs> but you see, it, it this is showing right here that the the legacy media linear TV model is dying and you know it, it, it's happening and, and oh was it your show or I don't know if it was your show or it was someone's show where someone said hey I think Joy Reid is watching me it, it, like, it was some, me okay it was you because she had said something and I forgot what it was but uh, these people are watching you. These people are just like, what is it that these people have that, that's taken, you know, this new person on the block that's taken all my viewers? What, what's going on with these guys? I hey, think I they really I think they really are. But the thing is, what was funny is that it's, it's just funny to me because in the end, you know, we patch up things, obviously. And when Norm came on last time, for those who don't are not aware, when Norm came onto my show last time, that was like during a time when he was very, very busy. I mean, I mean, I mean very busy. Right. And everybody was trying to pull him. And then, then it was weird because like even after all that stuff, all that exchange that happened between me and Norm, he was like, this is my phone number. Call me. And I was like, oh, maybe he's not still mad at me then. So there you go. So sometimes you never know. Yeah, because cause the thing is, like, okay, these people think, oh, when I say the, I'm not talking about Norm, but like, you now you got Angela Rye and, and Tiffany Cross and Gillum trying, oh, we could do this too. No, you can't. You know what I mean? They assembled that podcast simply for a Biden campaign, and it won't be here after November, whatever the date is in November for election. You know what I mean? And th well, th this is like well, these Roger, people can't Roger, can you explain yeah. that to people? Because I don't think everyone understands. Oh, which, which part? The, the podcast. The, oh. Oh, okay, my bad. A YouTube show uh, coming, you know, um, Angela Rye, Andrew Gillum, who ran against DeSantis, and Tiffany Cross, former MSNBC uh, person, personality, whatever the case is. You know, they're, they're all part of the corporate news and political, whatever you want to call it, right? And they're like, you get people like them, and there were some other people who tried to come over into this space, and it always failed miserably because people came to this space to get away from people like them. And then you, you know, it's kind of like, you know, like, that party that you're at and then your parents show up to party with you and you're like, oh no, get out of here. I'm not 
party's done. Get out of here. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it's like like you leave or whatever the case is. And that is, um, it's not going to last long. I mean, there were some other people who came over from corporate media that tried to do a YouTube show. And it was just like, no, we don't want you. You know what I mean? And, you know. Yeah, because most of them don't have a true following. They're backed by the machine. And uh, just real quick, Sabby, I did send the email, but it was a lot of files. So I had to send it in a link. So you just have to click on the link. It might come in like a zip file. Uh, you can download the files individually or as a zip file and then just open it. But yeah, with that, uh, it's called like the native land pod that you yeah, guys are talking about. Yes, yeah. And it's, and all it is is just a, a corporate thrift because it's backed by iHeartRadio, Radio. just like the Breakfast Club and other ones. So what they're trying to do is all they're doing is campaigning for another job. So they do want to just like when you see Charlemagne uh, uh, start backtracking because he still wants to be in the, uh, you know, part of that Democratic yeah. shield fraternity. In that so, era. you know, that. Yes. Yeah, so and that's all this is. They don't really care about this YouTube. All they're trying to do is sheep herd more votes to the Democratic Party and see like, hey, I'm grassroots too. I have a YouTube podcast. You know, I'm hip, you know. And as soon as MSNBC or anyone offers them a job, they'll abandon it and go back to regularly scheduled programming. That's, That's what Roland Martin is. is waiting for. Roland Martin exactly. is waiting for, for his call back to CNN or... Why do you think he never criticizes Trump? Like he, uh, Roland Martin is an extremely smart individual, but he's clearly in the tank for the Democrats all the time. You know, he did a, uh, it, it, it was, it was pretty epic. Him and, uh, Michael Harriet, who I don't support either of them because of their, you know, democratic grifting, but they did a phenomenal, uh, episode on how Nikki Haley was, uh, being supported by black people, then she start registering as white, etc. But and so he'll do that about the Republicans. He'll do that about Trump. He has no smoke for Biden. No, uh, no criticism. All the most he'll say is that the Democratic strategists need to do better at reaching out. And when he says reaching out, he's telling them to do better at messaging. He's not demanding any policy of them. And that's what uh, many of the 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 boule class have reserved black politics to just symbolism like you guys got Judge Katanji Brown. That's doing something for the black community. Everything that's air quote for the black community is a universal policy. So people need to stop allowing it to be framed like that, like even police reform. Police don't only govern black people. So that's not a policy for black people saying, oh, what about weed? Most of the dispensaries and in, in the major growers of weed are not black people. So that's a universal policy. What about voting rights? <laughs> Every legal citizen gets to vote. So that's not, but you know, all of these issues get framed as black issues, um, but, but it's really not. And you hear, prog- go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, you know, everything except what we really need. And the bottom line is in this capitalist country where capital and money are everything 
And we, our lineage includes people who have earned and who should have been paid. You want to give us everything but the thing that would lift us up from the bottom. And everything you give are things that preserve the status quo in terms of us being at the bottom. And so it's just, you know, I'm so tired of all the aspirational and symbolic BS. The bottom line is we are a unique group. We are a uniquely American ethnicity. We have been mistreated and the evidence is still with us. And until you're willing to fix what is wrong, you're just pissing in the wind and, and hoping it stick. And that's why we're, we're still wandering around in the desert because we've never gotten what we were owed. And that's just the issue. And that's really not rocket science to figure out. And that's why I get uh, a bit frustrated because people will do the stereotypical tropes. You know, you're black people are dumb. You're the savages. You can't figure this out. Well, you guys are supposed to be way smarter than us. You bring up the bell curve and all this stuff. Why can't you figure this out? You went to a, a, a legacy Ivy League school. Why can't you figure this out? You have all of the information available to you. So it's not about that people don't know this or can't figure this out. And this segues into me talking about Sam Cedar. And so I don't have a lot of respect for people that ever took people like that serious because there were many people that were grassroots on the ground. You know, just like when uh, people look at uh, RFK, and they see his position on Palestine, they know, okay, look, I already know how, uh, what his position is going to be on other things. Uh, like Tim Black was saying, did you really expect Bernie to fight for Medicare for all when he's scared to say ceasefire? So uh, I've seen uh, Sabby play that uh, Tom Hartman video about the healthcare and why we don't have universal healthcare because of uh, they didn't want black people to have it. Sam Cedar played that video as well. So he already knows this, this type of stuff. He, he knows about the crime bill. He knows about the genocide that, uh, that Joe Biden is co-signing. And anyone that's ever considered him to be a progressive is like, how can you, like, I, I don't know how people didn't see this years ago. That debate that Savvy played was from six years ago. He was on NBC, uh, uh, MSNBC before that. So he's been the same liberal for, for decades. And because people, uh, I know RBN likes to call it the Bernie industrial complex. Right now, there is a Gaza grift going on or a Palestinian industrial complex. When many people are talking about it, but all it is is a grift. They are trying to tap into the algorithm. Like I said, I've been at massive protests. Some people are out there serious and other people are out there to, to get selfies and, and, and take snaps and TikTok videos, you know? So that part of it is a grift. And in terms of, you know, these progressives, if you're going to say, uh, this is genocide, Joe, but then you're going to still say, yeah, vote for him. You know, how, how is that not a form of a grip? People saying ceasefire. Ceasefire is the most basic thing. It should be ceasefire in the occupation, reparation and restitution. And it is so frustrating that 
at this point, you know, and, and maybe it's been this way all the time, but to your point, there is something in this culture, in this capitalist culture, that attempts to commodify everything. It, there's an angle to to commodify and monetize everything you do. And it's just like, oh, Lord, you can't even have a good, you know, protest, a good march without somebody trying to figure out a way to monetize it. Every time we have a natural disaster, you have these people who create these fake you know, nonprofits and be calling around to my, we're taking donations for this and that. And it's just a scam. It's just like everything in this country is about getting something instead of just, oh God. It's now you are absolutely right. And, and that's what I was saying um, is similar to the, the Black Lives Matter protest because it got hijacked and people through a bunch of political minutia in there, it detracted from what people were really standing up for. They had Antifa and Proud Boys and other people hashing out their beef. When they say Black Lives Matter, they're using that as a proxy for Black people, even though uh, people don't separate the the cause from the corporation and the, the corporate capitalist structure. There were many of people getting beat down in the streets, going to jail when no one there to offer them bail. And all people want to focus on is the corrupt people at the top. But the grassroots people, they were not corrupt. And that's where a lot of the grift came in, where people, uh, i.e. Juliana Margulies and a bunch of other people were doing that too, because that's all they say. I stood with uh, Black Lives Matter with George Floyd. There was a bunch of police killings after that. Did people see what happened to Tyree Nichols and other people? So now people are using George Floyd as a grip. I, I put a black out on my Instagram. I painted a mural in the street. Yeah, but you didn't advocate for any policies that would go to redress the atrocities. So that's where we've got uh, uh, people will wear a shirt, buy a shirt that probably wasn't made by a black person. And then you say you're supporting the black community. I'm not going to go buy a free Palestine shirt and say, you know, I support everyone in Gaza, you know, because I bought a shirt, you know, so that's what. Unfortunately, many people are doing. And if you really want to support, you need to support the policies that are going to target and um, and boycott. Yeah, that that hurts them. You know, you don't need to be eating at McDonald's. Um, I didn't. I, didn't, I the, the the app was whatever had cut me off. I don't know if you heard me before. It'd be easy, but uh, I don't know if you know, but Roland Martin got uh, fired from CNN because he was feeding questions to Hillary to get Bernie off of his game. So that was the first thing I was going to say. Regarding, so like Sabrina, you was talking about these liberals, uh, progressives, whatever, who who just wanted Medicare for all. Um, Sam Cedar does not want single payer. And the reason why I say that is this, because you reminded me about like protesting few years ago, I went to the state capitol as we protested. We did like, what, what do you call them when you lay in the street? Die-ins or something about 
like dying, to lay in the street, like pretend to be dead. So we held up traffic at the state capitol in Albany, protesting for the New York Health Act, which is better than Medicare for all because we would be outlawing private health insurance companies from operating in New York State. And, um, you know, none of the New York people, uh, YouTube content creators covered us. Kyle Kalinske didn't cover us and uh, the majority report didn't cover us. So, I mean, we, I mean, we had news coverage from from uh, Kit, who was uh, Heartlands Media, who's all the way in uh, <laughs> Illinois, and we got coverage from uh, uh, Jen Perlman, who's all the way in Florida, and we got coverage from uh, Sabby Sabs, who's uh, just up north, a little little west, whatever uh, east or whatever the case is. But Sam didn't cover us, so I doubt he even wants single payer. On top of that, he that was around the time when he had this debate with uh, Brianna Joy, and he said, "No one really called it." Caught it. That he said, "Forced to vote debate." Yeah, and he said uh, he couldn't. He said we have a single payer in New York, but I couldn't get behind it because of Jimmy Dore. And I was just like, "So you sweating a dude in California about some policy in New York?" Like he like. He was just making an excuse why he, like, Brianna Joy was kind of like hitting him, giving a couple of uppercuts and hits to the ribs or whatever the case was. And no, that was, he just that threw was a, a beat down. <laughs> he, he, he just threw a Hail Mary and said, well, we had single pair in New York, but, you know, we didn't cover it because the Jimmy Dore forced the vote thing got in the way. I'm like, what? So <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I just want to chime in and say. I just, from what I've seen, I don't think Sam Cedar honestly just has respect for black women or black people in general. Based on what I've seen. He doesn't. Based on that conversation that he had with Tim Black over six years ago. Um, Because you guys didn't watch the whole thing. Um, I just showed, you know. Mm -hmm. I just showed certain certain parts of. But if you watch the whole thing, you'll watch him continuously uh, just cut off um, Tim Black over and over and over again. Like, that's a common thing uh, throughout the discussion. But also, after he had the debate with Brianna Joy Gray, he went on to Twitter and basically labeled her as an angry black woman. And this is what I said before. And I'll tell you guys something else. You need to ask yourself, why is it that people like Sam Cedar, he was willing to have a debate with Jackson Hinkle, who has smeared him multiple times. And this is before Jackson Hinkle went towards the right wing grift. He was willing to have a debate with Jackson Hinkle on his his channel um, after Jackson had smeared him multiple times on his show. Jackson Hinkle at that point in time didn't even have 40,000 subscribers. So I'm just going to put this all out there so you understand where I'm coming from. But when Nick from RBN had reached out to Sam Cedar, he was not willing to have a discussion, not willing to respond or anything. But the white boy who had criticized him multiple times, they're willing to give him a chance. Sam Cedar was willing to give the white boys at the Vanguard a chance rather even after they had criticized him. But when it comes to black people 
He's only willing to give them a chance if he feels they're basically in alignment with him or they're educated enough and they have enough credentials. But when it comes to white people, they don't need to have those things. And that's a lot of the bullshit that comes from the white progressives in this movement. And I've called it out multiple times. I saw it with the Bernie Sanders movement. I saw it multiple times, even on the ground where people would assume people were younger than me would assume that I was not qualified to even have this discussion because of the fact that, oh, she's black. What could she know? Not realizing at the fucking time that I was working at MIT and I was in fucking grad school. This just goes to show you how just uninformed these fucking people are. And they think and they say to themselves like, oh, I know all this and this and that. And I went to this school, whatever. And they're so quick to judge people who they think don't have the same credentials as them. White liberals. And this is what I've been trying to tell people about. So what I hope I showed people tonight in reference to Sam Cedar is that that motherfucker, when that video went viral on Twitter of him saying, well, you should vote for Joe Biden because, you know, uh, Joe Biden actually supported the child tax credit and basically, you know, ignoring the comment about Joe Biden and the genocide. The reason why I felt I needed to discuss this tonight is because of all the comments I saw on social media. It made it very clear to me that a lot of people didn't realize that Sam Cedar was always a fucking liberal. He was not a progressive. I showed you tonight. In the video from six years ago, he said, what's the difference between a liberal and a progressive? This motherfucker was never progressive, and he was basically riding off of the progressivism train, which was the Bernie campaign, and the fact that Michael Brooks was a part of that show. Yeah, Michael Brooks is the reason why I even subbed to Majority Report. And after I seen Sam Cedar and he kept doing all the segments with, you know, Emma Vigilant. And then he was really just uh, the Rachel Maddow when he couldn't figure out if Rachel Maddow was more left than him. I almost I was just like, are you I had to do a face palm. And then when he was basically standing for Nancy Pelosi. She's a great leader and doing all this stuff. It's like, if you're a progressive, as you claim, she was disrespecting all of the things that you purport to stand for. She knows that the uh, legislation was called the Green the Green New, Green New Deal and she was the Green Dream or whatever. It's like she was being condescending with that. She was against everything that the progressive value supposedly stood for and he's praising her as some great leader so i and um and i'm glad you played that tonight savvy many of these other people though the liberals will just say the non the non-black people right you a lot of people are saying, hey, we're so smart. We know politics. You guys don't know what you're doing. How couldn't you have seen this grift from a miles away with not only Sam Cedar, with Bernie too? So 
when when uh, RFK is lying about the Palestinians and saying, um, you know, there's all of these celebrations for killing Jews, you're, you're, you, all of this fabricated stuff that him and the Rabbi Shmuley had cooked up. When I hear him say that, I already know he's going to be full of it on other issues. When I hear his BS reparations plan, I already know he's going to be full of it. So when when black activists were telling him, like, look, look at what Bernie said. Look at his hypocrisy on, on reparation towards black people. Look at him calling Joe his good friend. Joe, uh, Joe Biden was hammering uh, um, Bernie Sanders during the debates. He He never once said. Bernie was his friend and every uh, before every answer, they're like, hey, uh, uh, Bernie, Biden said this about you. Well, Joe was a good friend. Well, Elizabeth Warren is a good friend. You've seen what Elizabeth Warren did to him. So so when people couldn't even see that and like you said, he he refused to switch third party. All of the writing was in your face and people were wagging their fingers and still saying, no. No, Bernie is not a sellout. He, you know, he he marched with uh, Martin Luther King. Yeah, he marched with Martin Luther King and didn't support any of the legislation <laughs> that would help for reparations. Martin Luther King was fighting for reparations that Bernie clearly didn't support. So you see how people are able to use the grift of I marched with George Floyd. Yeah, yep. but support policy that correctly uh, will uh, provide redress for the situation. Sam Cedar, Pacman, Kalinsky, Jank Uger, they're all the same. They're literally all the same. They have different personalities, but uh, like you were pointing out, Sabrina, um, when they get that uh, check, sh- uh, check mark, they're part of the YouTube partnership. Yes, you can lose, you know, it's like being uh, in a members only club or a golf you know, some type of golf fraternity, right? Once you're in there, you are uh, privy to all of the benefits and privileges. Yes, you can lose them if you violate whatever policy, but once you're in, you have certain protections in insurance and assurances that someone like Savvy doesn't really have. And that's why when people like to look at people like Savvy and Bree, um, and it's unfortunate because they, a lot of times they look at you as like an affirmative action hire, a DEI. Affirmative action has never helped me in my life, right? I never got in on a DEI policy, but you just recently see, seen Charlie Kirk with a viral saying, if there's a black pilot, oh man, I, I'm going to be scared. Like I, I need to make, basically implying that if he sees a white pilot, he knows that it that it's good. Um if it's a black pilot, he's going to be questioning his credentials. And there's been Boeing planes falling apart. 94% of the pilots are white. Most of the airline industry is white. But as soon as something happens, uh, they're trying to blame the 2% of black pilots. It, it, it's insane. So that type of ideology goes into the political sphere as well. Bree is a Harvard graduate. And then when you look at the corporate rising uh, commentary, they're always like, how did Brie get here? They're t- they're using the DEI affirmative action talk, right? Like, who, who did you get here? It's like, no, somebody like Savvy is actually more savvy and more smart than someone like Cedar because you are in the fire. 
taking calls like this from people, not really censoring people, hearing um, objective views and contrarian views. All they want to do is have an echo chamber. You know what I mean? Like, how are you how are you really um, as intellectually formidable as you claim to be? What is the point of touting all of these degrees? I went to Yale. I went to here. Cool. So you should destroy me in a debate. Right. You should destroy Nick or Rome in a debate. Right. But no, those are the people that you're running from. And then uh, some people will say, hey, I don't want to talk to savvy or um Let's just use a more known controversial figure, right? I don't want to talk to Umar Johnson, Tariq Nasheed, um, uh, Gerald Horn, Cornell West, anyone, because they are race baiters and they do all this. And then they'll, those same people will talk to Jackson Hinkle, who's right wing grifting. They'll talk to, um, Tucker Carlson, a known grifter, Marjorie Taylor Greene. So hold on. I thought you didn't want to talk to race baiters and grifters. You just don't want to talk to the black ones that you labeled that, right? So it's, it's super contradictory. And I, and I've said this before too. And part of the reason why, you know, um, there has been somewhat of a fallout between myself and Jimmy is that you can't sit up there and tell people not to talk about or focus on identity politics, but you bring on Tucker Carlson who spent most of his career focusing on identity politics, just from a different perspective, right? Just from let's not talk about black this and black that that was still identity politics. God damn it. So identity politics can be spoken about in different ways. You can be you can speak about identity politics in reference to supporting DEI or black people or people of color. You can speak about identity politics in reference to not supporting those groups in turn advocating for white people and saying that this is a threat to white people. That's still identity politics. And look, I was not born yesterday. My mother taught me to know better. My father taught me to know better. I see the fucking bullshit. And so my thing is, is this, and this is why I said, look, I'm not a follower. I never have been. My teachers would tell you this when my mom used to go to like the PTA meetings, my teachers would say, Sabrina is a leader. This is a good thing. Sabrina is not a follower. I was never a follower. I never have been. I never will be. And I think some people in the space, it's like if they promote you or platform you, they want you to follow them. Well, let's look around. What happened to the people who followed? What happened to, let's think about this, guys. Think about people like Ron Paclone, Graham Elwood. You know, Tim Black at one point did follow, but Tim actually started to break away earlier. You know, what happened to all these people? Like, we can't sit back and say, well, Kyle Kalinske followed this person. Well, maybe you can say, well, maybe he followed TYT a little bit, but Kyle Kalinske already had a following before he was affiliated with TYT. He was already established on his own. And so my point that I bring to people is that if you want to get into the space, again, don't be a follower. Make sure you have your own standing. People can say whatever they want about me, man. I started this show three years ago. 
the very first actually interview that I had was with Torn Walker. And like Torn Walker, he's been on my show again, uh, actually not too long ago. Torn's been on again, but it was with Torn Walker and it was called African-American Progressives. Basically, where do we go from here? This was after uh, Joe Biden had won. It was after forced the vote. And we had an in-depth discussion about, well, what do we do? Because Joe Biden said to civil rights leaders that he was, now's not the time to focus on black issues. So when people say, oh, well, Sabi is only focusing on race now. No, those people must be new. From the very beginning of my show, the very first episode was African-American progressives. And it was me and Torn Walker. After that, I interviewed Rome. This was before RBN Form. And at that time, when it was forming, it was going to be called Fred Hampton Leftist. But this was before Fred Hampton Leftist formed. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. I started my show before FHL formed. I started off doing interviews and I interviewed activists. That's why Rome was on there because I found Rome on Twitter. And I was like, this guy's going out, giving out food and clothes to homeless people. I'm like, what the fuck? Why isn't this guy on every fucking show? I didn't understand it. So like I interviewed Rome. I interviewed CJ. I interviewed like a lot of these people I interviewed before I joined uh, FHL at that time, FHL. Um, I interviewed Jen Perlman back then before she lost her shit. Let's be real. That shit that she tried to do to CJ and Affinity when she was just like, they were like, well, to be fair, we do agree with reparations. I was like, here come to pander and bullshit. Nobody was talking about that. And then for them to kick Nick and, um, excuse me, CJ and Affinity off the damn show. Oh no. I never talked to Jen Perlman again after that. That was fucked up. Okay. So a lot of these people that are against me and say that I'm right wing, these motherfuckers were on my show. Go back and look from the very beginning three years ago and you'll see it. Marianne Williamson was one of my, I would say, uh, first five guests. She wasn't running for office. We, she came on and we talked about reparations and it was an in-depth, in-depth discussion about reparations. And Marianne said how she met with Sandy Darity and how she started researching this back in the nineties. So like, it just, now all of a sudden people don't remember, you know, the Vanguard who likes to talk so much shit about me and RBN, they came on my show early on. And you know what? It's really interesting because back then they were saying, yeah, the squad is ridiculous. We need to abandon this. Gavin actually was advocating for third parties back then. You know, once they got in cahoots with Crystal and Kyle, all of a sudden they turned against those of us at RBN. And they were just like, no, Democrat this, Democrat that. People change when they, they, they get close to somebody. These things kind of happen. Um, a lot of these people I had already spoken to. I interviewed people like the Red Berets, Medicare for all activists, all this shit was early on when I started my show. I interviewed uh, Shahid Buttar early on, early on. So when people say, oh, well, Sabi doesn't pay attention to, to little people and da, da, da. What the fuck are you talking about? That's how the show started. And I still bring some of those people on. Some of them I don't bring on anymore because the motherfuckers 
like Savage Joy and all of the motherfuckers tried to come after my fucking family. You can come after me all the fuck you want. You leave my fucking family alone. I wouldn't come after your family. I ain't come after your husband. I ain't come after your kids. I ain't come after your wife. You know, like things like that. Like all because, all because I said black issues are important. And all of a sudden, some of these people was just like, no, just talk about class. And I said, fuck off. So the same way I told them fuck off, I'll tell any of the big channels to fuck off as well. So when you come to me, so people who ask about like the whole Jimmy thing and stuff like that, same way I told some of the smaller channels to fuck off and tell me not to talk about race is the same way I told, I basically said to Jimmy, like, no, you are wrong. You are wrong about this issue. You don't have to agree with me, but if you only want to talk to people that you agree with, this is a fucking problem and it is what it is. But if you don't want to talk to me because I disagree with you when it comes to the racial issues, then fuck the fuck off. You're not no fucking ally. I say that to any fucking one. And some people can take that, but it is what it is. And the, um, and, uh, what do you call it? I was, I remember I was watching um, his show the other day and he, he was calling for um, a revolution, right? And I always say to people, unless you are willing to pick up a gun and die, you should tap down on revolutionary talk, okay? You, and, and because that means people dying. There are very few people who you, you'll find that the people that are apprehensive about like actually doing the deed will be the first ones to actually pick up a weapon and do a revolution. And the ones that talk about it will be the first one to throw their guns down, run, throw their hands in the air and give up. Okay. And I never like, I, I never like, those are usually people the people that actually are about it they usually have lost everything they usually like yo this is all i got you know what i mean i have nothing else and that's it you know right. if you got something to lose maybe you should not be talking about though we got to do a revolution i said like, you want to send everybody else to die for the revolution while you sit back and, and cheer from the from the stands and you know, I eat Tucker like Carlson. Did you see he recently uh, with the tweet was saying, "Oh, we have an invasion uh, at the border because the Supreme Court told them to not uh, to take the border uh, the barbed wire down." And Tucker Carlson was like, "Where are the men of Texas? Like, first of all, you're from California, right? If you're so bad, why didn't you go defend the California border? If that's really what he thinks, but." He's in Maine. He's not in California. He's in Maine. No, yeah. isn't he from California though? I don't know. Okay, I, I thought I, I thought he was from California, uh, uh, but I might be mistaken on that. Uh, but either way, he's trying to implore arms to go defend the Texas border. It's like, won't you go out there and defend it? It, it, it? You know, if you're so bad, or or you want someone to take up arms, and that's what I'm trying to say. Uh, 
with all of these warmongers, Lindsey Graham and all this thing, they, they're not going to, I know Lindsey Graham doesn't have kids, but people of that ilk, they're not going to be sending their kids, uh, to die and get their limbs amputated in some forever meaningless crony imperialist war. He might be, um, actually whoever said Tucker is from the Bay area. So he may be from California, but I, I think the, one of the interviews I saw recently, he said he lives in Maine. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I think he did move. Uh, the only point I was making was that, since he is from California and, you know, uh, California is a border state, he wasn't even willing to de- air quote defend the border in his own state, but he's wagging his finger at the men of Texas to go defend the border there. Yeah. No, you're, no, you're right. Um, but, but, but the thing is, is like, one thing I want to be very clear about is like, I would never stop like fighting for my people. Like, like just period. And any other racial group can say that and it's not an issue, but it seems like when you say that and you're black, all of a sudden it's an issue. You're seen as a threat. It's like, da, 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 da. And I'm like, look, or people will say stupid stuff like, oh, your husband is white. What do you know about black people? Bitch, I'm black. <laughs> do you think I didn't grow up black because my husband's white? People be saying some dumb shit, you know? They'd be in their feelings and all that jazz. It don't make no damn sense. You think I, all of a sudden I don't have a black experience because my husband is white? You know how old I am? I'm a whole grown-ass woman. You know what I went through my whole life? What I had to deal with in the corporate work environment? What I had to deal with in college, what I had to deal with in grad school, what I had to deal with in high school, all of a sudden people just want to like just toss that to the side because that <laughs> Don't doesn't mean anything. All of a sudden you're not black anymore because you married someone who's white. Yeah, my um, don't oh also, um, not just with with uh, uh, joy and 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 lucky about the about don't talk about black issues. They also had an issue with me. And I never really like mess with them like that, all because I was talking about we need to no change is going to happen from the federal government. We're going to have to go old school and do a state by state strategy. And I guess people really started taking to that and they felt threatened by that. So they felt they, the need to come at me. I'm like, yo, I'm doing this over here. They got mad. You- they got mad, Roger. Because people started saying, oh, let's see what we can do through the states. And that disrupted their grift. Because I'm going to tell you a little something, something. It was brought to my attention that apparently it wasn't so much about fighting for Medicare for all. Once the screen time came in and some of them, this is what I was told, got a taste of the pain. What's screen time? You said screen time? Screen time. The documentary, um, the let me hang out with Susan Sarandon. Okay. The appearances on all the shows, from what I was told by one of their own members, it started to go to their heads. And all of a sudden, l- let me ask you a question, Roger. Do yeah. you hear about Medicare for All now? Nope. That was to do be my point. The, do you hear from the organization now? Do you hear about the March? Any March coming up now? No, you don't. Didn't really hear about it last year either. I wonder why. 
So I and got what no about the force to what about the force to vote as well, right? You don't the of course it was political theatrics, but why would you stop there? Because this is a pressing issue. Uh, remember when Bernie Sanders, every rally, he would uh, read off the stats of how many people are dying because they uh, have no insurance or underinsured. Why are no people reading off those stats now? Right. A lot of these people have bigger followings. I'm being rhetorical with that. But go ahead, Sadie. Because a lot of those people that are part of the Medicare for all organization were still AOC and Ro Connor and Rashida Tlaib supporters. This was brought to my attention last year, and I didn't believe it at first, but then I saw the evidence and I was like, I'll be damned. They were still simping for what was left of the Bernie you know, movement. So they still believed that these people were gonna fight for them. They still believed that Rashida Tlaib was going to fight for them. And that's why I was like, oh, this all makes sense now why they're coming after RBN, knowing that all of us participated in the marches for Medicare for All. When they had those marches in over 50 states, every single one of us spoke. Every single one of us had a speech at those those events. And so then it was all of a sudden, I'm seeing this shit on Twitter, like they never really do anything. They're not activists. And yeah, where were they for Medicare for all? And I was like, I was like, you know what? Fuck you, motherfuckers. I said, fuck you, Joy. Fuck you, uh, uh, Ricky, or whoever the fuck you supposed to be. Fuck all you motherfuckers, okay? Mm-hmm. Fuck all of you, especially after you sued the one black member that was a part of your organization who was a fucking dad and you smeared him on fucking Twitter saying he was a bad father. Fuck all Whoa. you Yeah, okay? I remember you talked he, about that. That's what I said before about the fucking liberals, the white liberals. They're the fucking worst. <laughs> so I watched, I watched Cherie work his fucking ass off for Medicare for All. He really did care. Some of these motherfuckers didn't really care. They just wanted screen time. They, liked is- it. They're like, they were like, oh, we get to hang out with Susan Sarandon. It was so cool. Oh, AOC, AOC. They were acting like that? Yes. All this shit was revealed to me later on through video footage. And I was like, well, I'll be damned. You know, it's just, it's it's all appalling. Like I said, Roger, notice you don't hear anything about it now. If you're an activist, won't you still be, you know, organizing? I know Scott Denoise is still still is. I know Scott. Scott Denoise is Red Berets. Red Berets and Medicare for All are two different organizations. And Medicare for All organizations move Red Berets heavily. They these motherfuckers came up to me and said, How dare you bring them on your show? I said, Hold up, bitch. Hold hold up. Oh, that's right. When you had um what Laura. On your show. Yeah, I said, she had an issue. Who the hell are you to tell me who I can bring on my show? You sound like a fucking Karen, you know? You're giving me Karen vibes. You even got the Karen fucking haircut. And so Joy like took that some kind of way and was just like, and then she started crying. I knew Zabby never blocked me before. And I was like, bitch, please. You like to throw stones at people. And when they hit you back, 
you want to cry. I ain't got time for you no more. Don't nobody remember you no more. You were part of the Force to Vote Town Hall. That's what you'll be remembered as. Ain't nobody trying to talk to your fucking ass because you are a fucking Karen. This bitch came after my fucking family. Yeah. And I said, you know what, Joy? How about you fuck all the way off, okay? Do you control the jobs that your family members do? Do you control the jobs that your your parents did, that your in-laws did? They came after my fucking in-laws as if I can control who my in-laws fucking work for. That's how like fucking just shysty these motherfuckers are. And they were all white. I said, you guys are all fucking liberals. And don't you ever come to me again and tell me I can't talk about black issues. I can't talk about issues that's relevant to my community because you feel insecure. You feel insecure because you ain't worth shit. And you ain't worth shit because you ain't doing shit. And you ain't doing shit because you want to look down on everybody else and poke your little finger at everybody with your goddamn Karen haircut. That's so what's, the, what's that's that guy's name? What's the guy's name? You said his name is Sharif. Sharif disappeared from the earth. They fucking came after this guy. They sued this motherfucker. I still got the fucking tweets. They sued him. Then they honestly, I think this would be slander. They said on social media that he was a bad father. So his wife had to jump into the conversation. Let me make something very clear. And I said this before to the white dude with the glasses, with the hipster glasses and shit, who said he was a bad dude. You don't sit up there after everything this guy did. And I know some things that y'all don't know after everything this guy did. And then you try to sit up there and say that he's a bad father. You use a stereotypical trope against a black man. You piece of shit. So is he, does he live in a citizen bound initiative state? No, he in New York. Oh, he's in New York? Mm-hmm. These motherfuckers are liberals. This is what I've been trying to tell you guys. These motherfuckers are liberals. Some of them still are like, Bernie, Bernie, Rokana, please help me. They're like, we went to go visit Rokana. And he said he would help us. And I was like, and after all these years, you motherfuckers still believe him? Yeah, that was crazy. Don't say bad things about Bernie Sanders. And we're going to come after you. That was another thing. How dare you speak badly about Bernie Sanders? We're going to attack you. Y'all motherfuckers need to get a life. You're living your life through these politicians. Because you have no life of your own. You still looking for a fucking hero. When sometimes the hero... If you look in the mirror, it could be you, but it's not going to be you if you're giving off Karen vibes. The thing is, many of these people are waiting for a hero since our presidents are selected, not elected. People are waiting for someone to handpick their hero. But if the establishment is picking your hero, you think they're going to really pick someone that uh, is going to uphold you know, the progressive and working class grassroots value. No, they're going to pick a puppet just like they try to uh, install in um, foreign governments. They're not going to uh, install someone, um, you know, this like um, a, a Gaddafi, right? They're trying to take him out. So yeah. when people are looking for these people, like who, who uh, 
and and Bernie is supposed to be an independent, right? But he's doing all of this shilling for the Democratic Party, and people still don't see it for what it's worth. You want to talk about Trump derangement sin- syndrome? It's a lot of Bernie derangement syndrome. You can show the videos of him telling protesters to shut up when they were smearing him uh, 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 un- uh, unrighteously with the Bernie bro narrative. He threw his own supporters under the bus, too, uh, with that whole Bernie bro narrative. Some people was just defending him with actual facts. And Joy Reid and others were, yeah, these people are Bernie bros and misogynists. They were going at uh, uh, Brianna Joy Gray, calling her uh, that she was from the island of misfit black girls. Bernie yeah. Sanders didn't say anything about that. Kyle Kalinske didn't say anything. Uh, uh, Crystal didn't say anything. So they'll invite you to their wedding, but they just won't defend you publicly. You invite me to a private gathering, but you won't defend me on Twitter. You think? Uh... Let me, wait a minute. Let, one quick, and I'll go to you, Roger, and then I would have go to Dwayne. Be easy. That is a really good point that you brought up. Let me make something very clear. I want to say something really quick. Because let me tell you something. People will sell out black women. And I just, I can't speak for black men. I can speak for black women. People will sell out black women. And you know what? You would think, okay, the white women will come in and they'll defend you because you're both women. Hell no. <laughs> you're on your fucking own. I learned this shit a long time ago. That's why I was telling people the other night when I covered the story about Brianna Joy Gray, about the Zionists coming after her and shit. That's why I said this shit. I said, y'all don't notice. Do you guys think that Brianna Joy Gray is the only person that has this point of view in reference to Israel and Palestine? Of course she's not. But look who they coming after. Look who they seeing she get fired. Wow. Don't get me wrong. They write smear pieces about Max. They write smear pieces about Katie Halper. But look who they're calling to get fired. And where are the progressive allies? L- l- any ally. Breaking points should be saying, low. you don't have to do 20 segments about it. You can do one powerful segment and let this know that this is unacceptable. But no, no one will even come to defend one of the thought leaders in this space. Someone that's an actual, I know she doesn't consider herself a a Democrat or I don't, I think is she independent or something like that? But uh, she is a thought leader. Whether you don't have to agree with her all the time, no one is coming to her defense. Marianne Williamson, Crystal Ball, none of the men are coming to her defense. It's it's disgusting. Even the black people around there who I don't like, uh, where's Tiffany Cross? Where's Amisha Cross in these type of people? People, none of them. So it's like when you're in this grassroots stuff and you're fighting for liberation for your people, you are really on your own. And that's why I always make the point that groups don't have allies. They have interests. And it's unfortunate that it's like that. But every group is just fighting for for their own uh, individual interests. There are some individuals like those on this panel, RBN, etc., that is fighting to uplift everyone. But the collective of people, the breaking points and all this other stuff, they are fighting for the betterment of their group, i.e. their class and their elite bubble. 
they they don't care about us or universal health care or anything that is going to upset the apple cart. Look, I'm going to tell you this, okay? I was told a long time ago, long time ago, that Crystal Ball only cares about money and her image. That's what I was told. Go ahead, Dwayne. Oh, oh, uh, can you hear me? Do you think you yep. could uh, connect me with the Sherry Sh- Sherry guy since he's in New York? You mean Sharif? Sherry. Oh, okay. Sharif? Yeah, I can. I can, Roger. All right. That's all I was going to ask. Okay. <laughs> the Sherry guy. What's up, Dwayne? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, good. I, I'm, uh, I just wanted to say, because you were talking about the Sam Cedar, I used to listen to that guy all the time. And he's a perfect quintessential uh, example of of these white moderates who are infiltrating the, the 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 genuine left. They call these people progressive. They call them they call themselves progressive, but that's part of their con, you see, because they, they're trying to cozy up to people. They think it's like uh, going to be. Uh, it, it's part of their career move. I mean, they're. they're PMC class careerists. Seder used to be on Air America, and I used to listen to him all the time. It was easy to, to pose as being a progressive on the left when you were, you know, during the Bush administration. Um, but they're not really there to actually do anything substantive. Uh, and, and you could really tell, I could tell back then, because um, back before uh he before this recent stuff happened with him where it became obvious that he's just a sellout he's not really there to actually do anything substantive uh he used to avoid certain topics just like you're saying he's not having certain people on and having certain other people on you can really tell these pmc people by not just who they will interview and who they will not interview the things that they will and will not talk about and back when we had the Maidan coup happening, uh, so people were talking about Michael Brooks. Who, you know, I liked a lot of things that he had to say, but he was on Sam Cedar's show, okay? And Sam Cedar <laughs> has always been one of these PMC, pseudo-left type people who's a, who's a careerist. And I believe that these people are basically like sleeper cells infiltrating the, the genuine left. They're there to be activated to infiltrate and to sub, uh, sabotage the real left. They're not really leftists. They're careerists, like like Crystal. And that's who I always got the impression Sam Cedar was. He made a joke once on the air about how he would sell out. He'd be very happy to sell out for millions of dollars. And it was like, ha, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what he ended up doing. I mean, they don't put you on MSNBC if they don't know that you're not going to contradict their narrative. And I'm kind of all over the map here, but I wanted to get onto uh, Michael Brooks because I had a correspondence with him back when he was alive. I had a correspondence with him when he was on Seder's show, Majority Report, and he was he was pro Maidan coup, and so um, and, and Sam Seder just refused to talk about it. And uh, like I said, it's uh, it's not just sins of om- of of, uh, of commission; it's the sins of omission. The things they refuse to talk about really betray what they really are willing to protect, who they're willing to protect, and what they're willing to uh, what they're willing to promote. Seder would, well, I don't really know about what's happening there. Well, it was because the CIA did a coup. And, of course, uh, you know, my, my correspondence with Michael Brooks was trying to get him to pay attention to things like Consortium News because Robert Parry was alive then. He'd been writing about 
the Maidan coup before it even happened about how uh, the National Endowment for Democracy, that uh, CIA front group, was actually advocating uh, a revolution there, overturning a government that was friendly with Russia to install a right-wing corrupt neo-Nazi regime. And, and, and Michael Brooks was just quoting out of the New York Times, and I'm like, yeah, the New York Times, no. <laughs> that's not, you know, and we were going back and forth. But that's when I stopped listening to Sam Cedar, because I was like, nope. You're not talking about this. There's certain things you will talk about and certain things you won't talk about. Certain guests you will have on, certain guests you will never have on. I was advocating for him to have Robert Parry on. He would never, they would never do Michael Brooks would say, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll reach out. We'll talk. He was blowing smoke up my ass. He was full of shit. He, didn't tell, he was telling me crap because he to placate me. And I had been, like, listening to Sam Cedar since he was at Air America. But but this is the thing. I mean, so many of us used to listen to so many of these people who turned out to be plants. They turned out to be ops. They're not really there to change anything. They're Democratic Party shills for the establishment. Um, so uh, we, you can tell them. You know them by their works. It's like, you know, uh, Martin Luther King said, beware the, 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 the moderate, the white moderate. That's who these people are. They're PMC class. They're there to undermine the left, not to support it. And and that's who Sam Cedar is. That's who Kyle Kalinske and Crystal Ball are. That's what they are. And it, it's obvious what they are. And it's really disgusting to me that they get away with characterizing themselves. It's the same bullshit that MSNBC does. Uh, and Fox plays into it. Fox characterizes MSNBC and the Democrats as the left. MSNBC characterizes themselves as the left. Neither one of those, they're both lying. The Democrats are not the left. MSNBC is a mouthpiece for a fascist Democratic Party. They're both fascists. Um, and, and these PMC people do the same thing. They characterize themselves as progressive. They're as progressive. Sam Cedar, Kyle Kalinske, uh, uh, Crystal Ball, even though she's been good on, on Gaza lately, they're as much the left as, as Rachel Maddow is the left. <laughs> they're, not, they're not leftists. I mean, Sam Cedar said it himself. He identifies with Rachel Maddow. Mitchell Maddow is a right-wing warmonger. So, I mean, that's what these people are. Listen, listen, can I, tell you, can I say something? Remember tonight when he was like, I don't know if I'm to the left of Rachel Maddow. And remember also tonight when he was like, what's the difference between a progressive and a liberal? <laughs> he couldn't tell. Listen... Be easy. I'm going through the pictures right now. They're so pretty. Okay. What the hell, man? Yeah, cool. I, I was about to ask you. I was like, Savvy, I wanted you to confirm that you were able to get them before. And I actually have more for you, but uh, I'll, I'll send them to you. Uh, if that's the email, I'll probably send them to you tomorrow because I think they're on my phone and I'm on my PC right now. He and I'm business. Oh yeah, well, I mean, uh, uh, Sabby, uh, you know, since she's she is on code, and I always try to tell people you can support people in uh, multiple ways. I, I don't know if it was you, Sabby, um, but I think you had t- talked about skill sharing or something like that. Yeah. So, so there's multiple ways that um, people can. Uh, contribute and donate when they think of donations they only uh their mind goes uh typically to uh some sort of monetary compensation but sometimes people they just need uh, uh someone to listen to right uh, someone to listen to them or a shoulder to cry on or uh if you can't donate 
the money, you can like uh, the the content that's free. You can share the content. You can comment on it, subscribe, engaging in the content. Uh, and like you said, um, with the skills, if I have some skills or services that I can pass on, I, I look at it as like a community service. So I do like mentorship. Um, I did like uh, like backpack drives, um, talent shows and things. And uh, most of them are like free events. Some of them are you know, some of them are like paid events, but most of it, uh, I'm not really like turning a profit. It's more like philanthropy. So, you know, that that was just, you know, I just want to appreciate a lot of the work that you are doing, like holding these forums and stuff, because a lot of people are not really connected, uh, you know, connected to the grassroots because they only want to have, you know, the yes men around them and be in that elite or PMC bubble where no one is going to challenge them. And that's what I call a form of intellectual cowardice. And I also want to put touch on the point where people will call, you know, call you guys right wing, which is the most idiotic thing ever, because let's just let's just concede the point and say savvy is super right wing. Why would that be an issue? Because you have Tucker Carlson on, you're, you, and, and people would rush to go oh. to Tucker Carlson's show. People are rushing to go to Piers Morgan's show. Piers Morgan and Tucker, the, those are as right-wing as it gets. I've seen Jimmy Dore go on, go on the PBD podcast. You've seen that it's a bunch of Zionists on there. So, like, is the right-wing really the issue, or is it if you don't have the complexion for the protection or if you're <laughs> RBN? Then, then the right wing is an issue, and of course, you guys are not right wing. But like I said, even if you were, right, you, you, doesn't stop people from watching Tim Cast. No one is trying to cancel Charlie Kirk or Stephen Crowder. All of these right wingers that no one has an issue with. But if RBN says something that's controversial, you want to go with the ad hominem attacks. People need to be able to push back on these very juvenile insults. That's a really good point. I want to bring in Eric. Eric, you're here. Um, hey, Savvy, I'll try to talk fast. You're probably getting closer to the end, and I and I joined a little bit late, but I stayed on for at least almost two hours now, or close to it. So, uh, yeah, I wanted, I guess I wasn't aware that Tucker is from the Bay Area. I think it looks like he was born in San Francisco and also moved to San Diego as a kid. I never knew that. And I would I don't think I would have ever known that. I never looked up anything on that guy. But just the way he comes across and talks, I would have never thought that he originated from the Bay Area at all. Just because he doesn't come across as... I don't know, diverse in his way of thinking. Uh, I mean, maybe now he comes across a little bit different than he did years earlier, but not from his origins. I would have never thought that he was from the Bay Area. Uh, not, you know, so anyhow, but but that's good to know. I, I wasn't aware that he was from here. Then the other, just taking it into a different area, you know, I guess there's been so many layoffs in 2023, and now I'm reading that, you know, Google's going to lay off possibly like 30,000 more people in 2024 because of AI. Uh, I think they call it AI efficiencies. And Amazon's laying off people. Just a ton of companies are just laying off tens of thousands of people, which is going to affect. Fox you know, when, is when, when, laying when, off thousands of people. Uh, I said uh, 
I said uh, 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 Google is and Fox, Microsoft. They're laying I, I, thousands. To- yeah, you're probably right. So they all of that will yeah. affect. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just saying they announced they're laying off thousands of people. I mean, tens of thousands. It's a lot of people. And and this AI, I didn't think it was going to have such an effect. But, I mean, such an effect that it's having so quickly on jobs, right? And I think that's also going to become a big issue. Like, how is that governed? And how does that, how do we use AI in a way that doesn't uh, deplete our ability to make a living for the common person? I can tell you. I can answer that. Go ahead, Roger. Who does automation serve? At cat kid. Who does automation serve? The people at the very top, it seems like. Okay. So if the workers own the company, own the supply chains, own the economy, how do you think AI would affect that? Well, then it would be really beneficial to everybody if, if it worked out that way. They're not going to replace themselves with robots and automation. If if you know that AI serves the boss class, okay, and but if the if because you know they get rid of labor costs, but if the yes. workers actually own the economy. AI wouldn't really be that big of a, of a thing. It wouldn't be that much of a threat. Right. Also, I don't know if you, if anyone checked out Hardland's media, but he did a story on the LA <clears throat> Times laying off, like, just gutting, laying off as if there's no tomorrow, just to add to your story. Wow. Yeah, one of my buddies was telling me that because AI is able to generate so many, you know, like in terms of writing, just writing in general, which is marketing, he was telling me that many thousands of marketing jobs are going to go away because AI will be able to essentially do this. And you could already see AI is putting up like reviews on products. So you'll see a review that'll say, oh, this review was created through AI, through some process. So it's able to put up many, you know, it's able to create content that in, in, in the past would have been created by people and we won't know the difference right away and that'll do away with many jobs. So it's kind of, it is somewhat scary. I've also seen, I went to this event last year and uh, this guy that was pretty up, up high in the food chain, he was telling people how he had essentially done away, not through AI, but he called it AI, but it, but it was basically just programming. And in a sense, uh, reduce the workforce by having a program that could administer how a building was being auto- automated to take care of itself. So the people that would before would have been taking care of the building were now somewhat replaced by uh, the program or the AI program. And then you'd have less people taking care of the place. But I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, you know, are, are, do you understand that eventually that also will become you? Right, because at some point you could also be replaced. But this was an older guy, and it didn't seem like it was sinking into his head that essentially he would end up replacing himself, you know, with the program. I want to make sure we bring up um, 
bring back in Noel too, because Noel um has been. Noel, I've been. I know you've been silent for a while, but I want to make sure I bring you back in as well. Um, Noel, have you heard anything about this podcast with Charlemagne or um, Tiffany Cross and uh, dude that lost to DeSantis? Oh, Gillum, Angela Rye. Yeah. I haven't heard anything specific. I know that they were supposed to be, you know, having a podcast, but I haven't heard it. But I'm thinking who would want to, you know, I guess I'm just old because I'm sitting up thinking who would want to hear anything they got to say. Nobody. That's why you didn't know After that they After the roles they have played. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, uh, it's a hot mess. My grandma, like if, if my grandma was still alive, my grandma would be just be like, girl. Cha, yes. She would say, you know, God will like ugly. <laughs> and he ain't too fond of pretty either. <laughs> and it's the manufacturing of the consent because Charlemagne keeps going around. I don't know if you've seen him recently. He was on uh, Piers Morgan with Dave Rubin and someone else. And he keeps starting off saying, hey, I'm not a political pundit. So why are you keep going on these shows talking politics then? You know what? Well, because they invite him. Be easy. I told you about this. I'm telling you why. They bring on the hip hop podcast hosts. Because they're not it's exactly. not about politics. Why are they asking and not, and not even me, so I'm gonna scoop myself out of it. But why aren't they asking Bree to come on the shows? Think about it. How about guys. Nico House? <laughs> they would never invite Nico right. on. Like well just people who've been around before me. Why aren't they asking Bree, Nico, Tim Black, any of them to come on? Why honest also notice. They're not bringing on Mark Lamont Hill either. Yeah, they won't bring nope. him on either. Not me. Yeah, and, uh, what? And I do agree with you. I was being like facetious with that question. Uh, just, just to be clear, uh, I, I know why they have him on there, and it is a form of anti-blackness as well. Like Malcolm X was saying, no other community has these comedians and athletes and everyone else speaking for them. But when they say, "Hey, let's get the pulse of the black community. Let's go talk to a rapper, Cardi B, um, you know, Charlemagne, all this other stuff," when there's plenty of scholars that some will say the same as Charlemagne and others will give a, you know, a more astute analysis. But like you were saying, because of that, that's the main reason why you'll never see them on those major networks. It's all Let about narrative you, control. These, these narrative Democrats control. are itching for the time when they can be rid of the necessity of the black vote. Yep. And they are depending on the Latino vote to replace us. Say it again. That's right. When, when Joe Biden met with those group of leaders and said, you're going to have to be contending with the Latinos, he meant it. Yep. And they yep. are itching because they are tired of even hearing about the conversations. They and are that's what this is about. They want to play people off against each other because divide and conquer is what they always fall back on when they know they're outnumbered. And they Absolutely. Don't, and, they, and these people, 
are not even going to, they vote Republican. So I don't even, these, <laughs> some of them can't, oh, but you know what though? Well, they're pushing um, a lot of uh, non-citizen voting in certain areas and local municipalities. And uh, the, with the, they, the Mexican president, that he's saying that, hey, if you want us to have some alleviation at the border, they are asking for $20 billion in repara- reparations, and uh, they want $10 million, uh amnesties of uh, current citizens, uh, current uh, migrants that are in the country. So you know, let, me, let me ask you a question, um, Be Easy. What do I have to do? What do we, what do we have to do? to mobilize black people in this country to wake them the fuck up. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm just, I'm just saying, what I'm as frustrated as do? you, Tabby. I don't understand all these people. I can, I, oh, I love me some massive Biden. I'm sorry. He has I didn't a history. A bus. No. What are we going to do? We got to go on a bus and go across the country. What do we got to do? Because I feel like other people have been doing this, but the thing is it really pisses me off. Be easy. It really makes me feel some kind of way. It really pisses me off that Listen, this country had no problem giving reparations to Japanese Americans who are part of the Japanese internment camps and some of their descendants in this country, cash reparations, and that was done under Ronald Reagan, who's a fucking Republican. That makes me feel some kind of way. Notice it's only when it's us, it's only when it's fucking black people that they don't want to do anything. What is it going to take, be easy, for black people to stand up and say, no, fuck this shit? And I'm glad you asked that. So I think, uh, you know, this is where the organizing is going to be key. And since uh, right now we're not really out or uh, outnumbered, we're out organized. So, you know, there's a saying of uh, meet people where they're at. One thing that always brings people together is food, music, and entertainment. So what I've been um, planning, uh, which I'm actually going to be starting next month, is doing my own uh, town halls. And I, I'm really trying to work with, because uh, I know a lot of the local artists here. I'm in the music scene. And when it's a club and all this other stuff, people want to turn up. But then when it's about you know ballot initiatives and uh, other things uh, to push you know for the betterment, uh, you kind of got to pull teeth. So what I, my plan is is to work with. Uh, I already got the local artists uh, uh, on deck. I'm going to be throwing my own concerts, but it's going to be like a uh, a hybrid uh, type of event, right? So it's going to be uh people um the the music uh, all of the theatrics there but i'm going to have public speakers as well because now you're in a position um so i'm timing it to where it's going to be a certain artist performs here we have all of the refreshments i have people catering and then i want to have you know dynamic speakers like you know, Savvy, Cornell West or whoever, and we host our own political rallies. We do our own town halls. You don't need to wait for CNN to do that. And once you have people in the building, that's where you're able to, all right, cool, let me get your number. All right, cool, we'll take this flyer and pass it on, and we'll be doing one next month. So, oh, who is the other artist that you think we should could get? Because People are going and organizing and, like I said, going to a lot of these protests. But when they leave the protest, there's nothing else. They leave the protest to go and watch a Netflix show or play a video game, which is okay. 
but then you're you're leaving it into someone else's hand to organize. So what we need to build is a uh, a movement where like how RBN, you know, um, I'm in the Bay Area, you know, uh, if you guys want to have a chapter out here, you know, uh, something. We just need enough events and gatherings where we bring people together. Once you're around people and people hear savvy talk, then you'll you'll be able to convince them. But if it's someone that's like, hey, have you heard of Sabi? Check this out. They may not rush to go in and listen to you when they have other people that they've been listening to. But if we're at an event together and you're like, damn, man, it's music playing, gathering, and someone is going to jump up there and tell you about the importance of politics. You weren't expecting that but you're not just going to suddenly leave. So that is one uh, one of the methods that I'm working on because right now, uh, you know, how we talk about we're the most propagandized country uh, in the world, we have to start countering that propaganda much more uh, effectively. Some people will address the propaganda, but they won't counter it. And the way for it to counter it is us coming together. People are more... Um, you know, more prone to be a part of the mutual aid too. When is when you're able to show them something too, like, hey, RBN is not only doing mutual aid, but man, they're building libraries, they're having town halls, they're having parties, and all this other stuff. People want to party as well. Well, look, come party, come to this political party that we're going to organize. So that is one of the solutions um, that I'm working with because I've seen that people are more enamored with entertainment than enlightenment and empowerment. So I'm going to meet them where they're at and incorporate the, uh, the empowerment and enlightenment there. I also have some, uh, material political material that, that's pretty basic uh that i i could pass out to the people that attend um i've already did one it was about like 75 people um the next one i'm expecting like 300 people so um and like i said this is just all me doing it by myself and you know people that i uh picture to like i know some, some teachers uh, nurses and things if he's, uh, are you do you make music is that what you do yeah, me personally, I do music, photography, graphics, etc. You know, I, I thought of you the other day. I was watching a little. It was like a mix of uh, Jack Harlow, like whatever that house. The house he's got like a song that's popular right now. I don't know what it's called, but but it's it was like a mix, a remix of that. And then it said "Be Easy," and and I was like, "Is this that guy from from Savvy?" And I was like, "Man, is that you know?" So I was gonna ask you if you if you made music like that. So. Have you thought of, um, oh yeah, so be easy. What you said reminded me when you said, okay, we just don't want to do something. And then after it, it's like, okay, what's the next step? That is exactly how I felt when my generation did the first million man march. I mean, you, you, you remember that, Dwayne? It's like, sure it, was this, it was this big thing. And then afterwards, it was just like, Okay, okay, what now? Go? Yeah, we just had a million man march after a million man march, and somehow it became Farrakhan's million man march at, at some point down the line, and people like stopped going. And that's what it was supposed to be. And that's not, you know, uh, we don't we don't want a million follower march. We want a yeah. million leader march. 
because when you have a million man march following a leader, then you have millions of followers. What yes. we're trying to cultivate is a code of ethics. Oh. We're trying to cultivate leaders yep. because yep. if we're doing a um, you know, a mutual aid event and someone happens to get sick or someone happens to be in another state, we need to be on code enough. We need to be uh, well equipped enough to like don't even worry. The Cali chapter is doing fine. Or if we need to uh, mobilize the California chapter to go to Detroit or go to Nebraska or something. That's what we're going to do. You know, um, you know, separate factions, but we're all a uh, part of the same family. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking about operating in a cooperative manner. So yeah. you know how I feel about who's, that. Who's the largest? Could I piggyback on what you guys are saying? I'm just going to throw this in. One thing Savvy was saying about how do we get people and in the country, too. I got so many people out here. They don't realize how much Trump hates them and stuff. So it's people all around. But like Fred Hampton says, we got to go where the people are and educate them. Two quick points. But people in the, that vote, right, even though it's 95, it's, they vote for Dems. Why? Because the, and it's not just grifters. It's that. But it's also you got to realize the people that vote. It's the people that own businesses, the people that are a little more educated, the people that have stake in things. And there's a lot of social conservatives because there's a really strong religious, you know, really strong, wonderful churches, you know, in the, in the inner city. But, you know, they're social conservatives, you know, and they're economic liberals, but they vote Democrat. They don't vote third party. So you're going to have to go down and educate the people that don't vote in these areas, educate them Fred Hampton style, get them to realize what's going on in their neighborhood, that the people that they're looking up to are not leading them to the to the promised land or leading them to the to the gutter, you know, and so that's one thing. But and then the other thing is what Dwayne, what you're saying about leaders. I was talking to someone in, in Europe, in England, or maybe it was Umit up in Sweden. I said, what would happen if you had an AOC squad and they didn't do your bidding? Now, they have their Marie Le Pen's. They have their, yes. you know, they get popular. But overall, if you're the Marxist party and you've got 20 minutes of power because of these coalitions and you know it's fleeting because it could be the far right that's part of the coalition with Merkel or whoever, you know, and you know that you got just a very little time with your day in the sun, you're not going for hero worship. You're not going to wait for Bernie Sanders or Cornell West or anybody. They have no. the agenda and they make sure that their, their MPs, whatever those, you know, whatever they call them, congressmen that we call, would call them, they're going to do our bidding. It's not the other way around. Oh, we got yeah. someone that we love and he's going to do. No, they put them to the test, just like the far right tinfoil hat people on the right do. We got yep. to take some lessons from the far right. They get the weirdest wackos and they keep primarying to the right and to the right. We got to yeah. try to do this on the left because we're otherwise we're sunk. Yeah, we always de-energize after we get a leader in power. Oh, we leave it up to them. Oh, look, uh, at some point, I believe the establishment realized that it was in their best interest to promote the uh, growth of, like, a charismatic leader who they could compromise, like like a Bernie Sanders. Because then, after the movement is disillusioned because we put all this faith in our leader and invested in a person who's obviously a compromise from the very beginning in the case of, like, a Bernie Sanders, yep. that disillusions the entire movement. It's gone. Yeah, it's yeah that's the American the way. Two things that distinguish us. We go for the hero worship. The Bernie's going to save us. Cornell's going to save us. No, we make them no. do our bidding. We get the agenda. We tell them what to do. We're the boss. You know, and, and the other thing is that we, uh, you know, we don't we don't hold their feet to the fire after they get elected. People on the far right do. I mean, just all these things that we need to do. There's one other. Lance, the way to get them to do 
What you want is show them that you do not need them. You're at, you're looking in the direction of representative democracy, which has proven to be an absolute abject and utter failure. We start pushing toward direct democracy and start saying, no, that's okay. You could run around and do what you want to do. We're going to pass these laws ourselves. We're going to ratify these amendments ourselves. Sure, it might not be at federal level. We're getting it done at state level. But at the same time, as we make things better in the states, it'll eventually bubble up and come after you who sits in that federal office. Once you show them that you do not need them, then they're going to come running over and wanting to do things for you and so on and so forth. You know what I mean? But you, we have to get out of the representative democracy space and get into the direct democracy space. You know what I mean? But also, I wanted to suggest also this. I have more ideas than money. So like Sabrina, I was thinking, what if somehow, some way you are here in the Northeast and um, uh, JB is in the South and Rome is in the Midwest. And I guess uh, Nick, Nick is in the South. Right. And, and no, City, no. Right? Midwest what? is not the South. Let's not go there. Can no, no. I said, I said, uh, Rome is in the Midwest and, and, and what's his name? And, um, I said CJ. I meant to say Nick is in, is in the South. Is, is no, it Missouri? No. Missouri is no. not the South? No. Kansas City. Missouri is, the, is the Midwest. Okay. okay. Oh, that's why you said that. Okay. Oh. Well, yeah, Missouri was a border state. It it wasn't it wasn't Confederate, nor was it Union. It was one of the border states that was like neutral. So, and you have CJ in in the West, right? We have to somehow, someday, somehow, get you guys investigative reporters, okay? And I don't know how we're gonna do it, whatever the case is. But imagine you have one person covering the Northeast that reports to you doing investigative on the ground journalism, which you don't have time to do all the time. I mean, you, you do it when you can, but just someone that just does on the ground reporting in the Northeast and he reports to you on your show. This is what, you know, they cover, you know, all these states in the Northeast and the same thing with JB with the South and Nick and Nick and, uh, Rome in in the Midwest. Well, I guess you know Rome is mostly working all the time, so he, I don't think he gets on YouTube too much. But I guess he could report to um, Nick, and then you have uh, CJ. He has his own investigative reporter and talking about what's going on in uh, like with these governments that touch the Pacific Pacific Ocean or something. You know what I mean? Like kind of like to let us know what's going on in these states and these state capitals and these small towns you know so you know just you know just a thought i was just like what, what, what? roger for what though i've i've i did that mm -hmm. i did that roger like nobody cares nobody gives a shit. what nobody nobody cares about what's going on in uh the small towns I mean to Ooh. to be honest, I, if you don't live here, yeah. no. Like I still cover like some things that happen here in Massachusetts, but the reality is, like most people 
that watch me don't live here. It, it just is what it is. It's just like if you watch CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or any or one or Al Jazeera or et cetera. Like, imagine if Al Jazeera was just like, we're just going to focus in on Syria. And that's it. No, no, I don't, I don't mean like you just focus. I just mean, hey, such and such on the road. What do you got to report on this thing that's happening? What I'm I don't, saying I don't mean is just... we, we, we tried that. We tried that with RBN. I'm just trying to tell you, you may not remember, okay. but we tried that back when we were Fred Hampton leftists. In fact, we we had people on the ground. Like we had like, this was during like, I think part of it started during the General Strike Summit where we had people like Kamali was on the ground with the nurses um, strike and we had people, Rome was on the ground in Michigan with the Kellogg strike. In fact, Rome was on the ground with the Kellogg strike multiple times. So when people say, these people haven't talked about workers, da da da. That these people were fucking lying. Like mm -hmm. Jordan Sheraton and all those people were fucking. They're fucking liars. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, is that we did those things, mm -hmm. and it's not that we would be opposed to doing those things. Mm -hmm. But I think the thing is, is that again, back then there were more people that were part of the group and now there's less people so it's like we need the same type of stuff with right. less people and we don't have the bandwidth to do it even yeah, yeah. For, me, for, my, for my channel like the on the ground stuff like that's eric will tell you eric's here mm -hmm. like that's like uh a one-off, like uh, unless it's something local, right, right. Which well, most of the time it's not. Well, I didn't mean you. I I didn't mean like I'm saying like if each of you had investigative reporters that would report to you about corruption that's going on, um, with some with the state and local governments and what this corporation did by spilling stuff and you know like kind of like what hard lens media used to do before they youtube started uh messing with them you know what i mean they used right. to right i totally get you um mm -hmm. but it costs a lot of money like i, I know is anyone let, let me ask this question because we here's the thing is anyone willing to donate a couple thousand dollars to revolutionary blackout network so that we can get investigative journalists probably not and and not because of us, but because of what has happened prior to us. There were other people, not gonna say no names, but TYT and a couple other networks that said donate this money to us so we can hire investigative journalists oh. on the ground. And that shit never panned out. TYT till this day will not answer to what the fuck did y'all do with that goddamn money? When you said you were gonna you were gonna hire investigative journalists on the ground and you didn't. And I think they did, then they fired it's, them. <laughs> but it's not just them, it's yeah. other people who have done the same thing, and that's why that's why it's a problem. So for those of us who came in within the past four years, we have a harder time. Like we say, hey, 
donate to us so we can do this, this, and this, people are are more hesitant and it, yeah. it sucks and it pisses me off, but it sucks. And not only that, um, sometimes people are, uh, and I'm not saying anyone on this panel, I'm just speaking generally. Sometimes people will look at a content creator that they respect and they'll put a lot on them. And um, even with like this investigating journalism, Savvy probably has her own program, her own campaign going on. So even though she may consider uh, some of those uh, incidents, right? Uh, if she has a broader national audience, some of those stories may not really be the best for her uh, to cover on her stream. And that's where we as a collective, mm -hmm. you can use Newsbreak, uh, Substack, Medium, write these articles, and then, uh, you know, Savvy or, or whoever else could signal boost them. We can also be supporting each other, right? Some people won't do the investigative journalism because they don't have another content creator to pass the story to. You can become your own content creator. Like it, it, it is a form of kind of soft, uh, like uh, like hero worshiping too. Like here, uh, we did all of this journalism, and now we need this platform to put it out. No, you already have multiple platforms to put the information out. We just all have to be supporting each other outside and outside of limited. I hear Nick say all the time, you're not getting the full RBN experience unless you sub to me, Sabby, JB, etc. So that's we all need to be sub to each other. Like we're not all going to agree with each other, but we could all support each other and see that okay, this person is trying to do something. How could I help further what you're doing? You know, if you're in California, you want to help with this rally, how could I help you with that? So a lot of us just need to step it up, um, you know, even though you may not, not you, I'm saying some people don't see themselves as a leader, but many people that don't see themselves as a leader have leadership qualities and you can make a leadership level contribution to someone who's already leading. And that's all we need to do. You know, hey, if you got some low, we need to say, OK, uh, Roger is in Philly or whatever area. And then we need to figure out how many of the followers that's in this chat is in Philly or on the East Coast. And then those on the East Coast need to organize. And then the West Coast need to organize. And then, you know, whether it's some point annually, biannually, we have a meetup where we're all coming together um, for our purpose, whether, you know, it's some sort of uh, rally, fundraising, gathering. Uh, that that will be the most thing because I know Savvy and a lot of other people have a lot on their plate because even if I was willing to volunteer all of the investigative journalism, it's so much stuff happening out of here, left and right, that she would just be bombarded with stories from California and the Bay Area alone. She wouldn't even have time to cover what's going on in Massachusetts, New yeah. York, Chicago. But well, that's why I said that, that would be for CJ. 
since, if, since California. If I could just echo something Sabby said just ever so briefly about you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like there's inner city farming thing and there's 4-H club that have been around for a hundred years. I'm just connecting the dots. You know, there's, and like she said, do your own thing. I, I got so frustrated with group stuff and consensus with 20 people and you couldn't get anywhere. And that's all good. I still do that stuff, you know, occasionally, not as much as my, in my day, back in the day when I was more in the loop, but it's like, so I do my own stuff. I just, I'll promote bands and do fundraisers on my own. I don't have to answer to anyone, but you don't have to reinvent the wheel, find groups that are doing stuff locally or nationally nationally and then you can just you know do your own thing too but there's all kinds of good people whatever it is you know and one thing i learned when i did a magazine it was easier to sell advertising for $75 for you know a quarter page than it was to sell the magazine for 75 cents because people aren't out there saying Gee, where's the next art magazine for me to read? But advertisers are thinking, where's the next cool advertising space for me to advertise? So they're kind of a captive audience. So like you're saying about being a leader, even if you don't think you are, that's me, you know, in the sense that I'm not alpha or beta. You know, I just do my own thing. I, I don't follow any drummer. I follow my own drummer, but I'm not trying to tell people what to do. But I've had success and you can I can tell people how it worked. And so, you know, and, and so you can be a leader without even knowing you're being a leader just by leading by example and just doing your thing and getting out there. But like Sabby said, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's, you know, oh, you don't have to think small. Go to the people that you think are the most I interested in this stuff. And, and you'd be surprised how people that are uh, maybe uh, punch up, not punch, but, you know, reach up because there's people above, you know, that have more established and more accomplished. And they're just waiting for somebody that's got the next good idea. If you know who to go to, that could be easier than trying to rally, you know, 100 people that aren't thinking about this stuff and aren't educated about it. Go to the people that are already doing it and then work from there. You know, I, so that's that just a long way of echoing what Savvy was talking about before about you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's all kinds of good stuff happening. You just got to find, find, you know, find the parade that you like. Yeah, very good point there, uh, Lance, because the thing is, is like I learned the hard way. Like I remember years ago I was trying to reinvent the wheel. And I think I told you guys this before, like, it was actually um, one of my professors who said, why are you guys trying to recreate like or trying to create something without uh, looking at what has already been done? And he said, don't reinvent the wheel. Look at what has already been done. Analyze it and decide whether or not you want to pivot from it. And I was like, I'll be damned. And this is when we were in grad school. And I was like, when I was in grad school, like me and like my classmates were like, what the hell have we been doing? Because we were in teams. Because in grad school, they put you in teams a lot. So we were like, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> right? So after that, I was just like, we've, we have honestly made this so much more difficult than we needed to. And so after that, for me, my life, a lot of things change. I want to bring in um, Joe. Uh, Joe, you're a speaker. Go ahead and just unmute really quick and let us know what's up. What's going on? Oh, hey, what's, what's up? I was going to take a nap and then I saw that this was going on. And uh, I guess the revolution never sleeps. Uh, so that's <laughs> good to see. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm just mostly listening. Uh, Right now, I mean, one of the things, I guess, that 
you know, one of the struggles, obviously, with having people on the ground doing kinds of reporting is, is uh, aside from the monetary uh, aspects, it's, it's, I think there, there, there's kind of like a, I think there are very effective funnels to where most of the people who even get into the, uh, uh, I guess, the avenues of journalism or certain kinds of professions end up getting funneled to certain kinds of news organizations or reporting on certain kinds of stories or, uh, you know, today in a, in a heavily uh, kind of ratings and, and, and reactionary driven media, you have a lot of people who are just kind of chasing uh, attention, uh, chasing the stories that they think are going to be uh, approved by either advertisers or their, their editors or whatever. And then, uh, you know, uh, put out there uh, without, I guess, uh, ruffling too many feathers. And since we have basically like a decentralized, I mean, all of our interests are mostly centralized in that most of us are getting screwed over in the same kind of ways by the system that we live in. Um, but we're very decentralized in our ability to actually, uh, I guess, coordinate that's one of the reasons I do like Colin is it, it does seem like maybe there's an opportunity here to, to, to change that. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I don't have the solution yet. I mean, I, uh, you know, I have a legal background and what I try to do is, uh, if there's some kind of a story or some kind of, you know, like, uh, anything that's going on that involves a legal process, I think, well, okay, let me, dig into this as much as I can and then uh, lay out, you know, try to lay down the information out for people out there who would otherwise not have the same kind of access to this. So uh, I think that's kind of doing our parts, but I'd love to do something a lot more centralized with people. Hey, Joe, how it's going? Just wanted to say hello to my buddy. Hey, that's what's happening, man. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point that you brought up there, Joe. I mean, I think um, Eric and I, uh, a lot of times we've tried to to come up with solutions, right? Like we talk a lot, a lot about uh, solutions, and we're like, you know, it's easy to discuss the problems, but what are the solutions, right? Like, so Eric and I talk a lot about that, like the solution based, like organizing and things like that. And I think that that's where we really need to put our focus because the thing is like, you have a legal background. And one of the things that I think a lot of people or some people may not understand is that Sometimes on my show, when I say that, like, what does the, what does the law say? It's not to make people feel, or it's not to belittle people. It's to make people think, don't just come up with a decision based on whether or not you like this person or you support that person but more so to get to the think legally, what does the law say? And I brought that up in reference to Joe Biden deciding to attack Yemen 
without congressional approval. And people were like, a lot of people were like, well, the Constitution says da da da. Great. But what does the law say? Legally, can he do it? And this is why I've said multiple times when it comes to foreign policy, who you choose for president really does matter because they can make executive decisions in reference to foreign policy. We watched Obama do that. We watched George W. Bush do that. We watched Donald Trump do that. And so that's why when people tell me that like, well, Americans don't care about foreign policy, none of that really matters, but it does matter. It does, and I want people to understand, it does matter because, listen, just because we make a de- like decisions in another country, doesn't mean that's gonna that's not going to come back and bite us. And that's what disturbs me. It can come back and bite us. What did we learn recently from the TikTok videos of the younger kids who were like, I finally read Osama bin Laden's manifesto, which was actually published in The Guardian. I finally read the letter. Now I understand. So again, when we look at what is happening with Israel and Gaza, do we seriously not think that this is not going to come back and backfire on us? We're supplying the weapons. You think, you guys think years from now, people aren't gonna say, oh God, the United States government was a part of this. You think they're just gonna wash their hands of us and not care this affects us too so when it bothers me when people say don't focus on israel and gaza that has nothing to do with black issues it has to do with all of us right now all of us we're implicated we're a part of it and no none of us made those decisions but none of us made the decisions in reference to attacking the Middle East and civilians in the Middle East and attacking people in Libya, which Obama admitted to, who were majority civilians, none of us made those decisions, but those countries still hold us as responsible. And that is the problem. Yeah, and then uh, especially since you were talking about the legalities of it, uh, if someone was to bring a RICO charge against Israel, the U.S. would be implicated in that. And uh, speaking of that, if the uh, ICJ doesn't rule that uh, against the genocidal's atrocity, then we can see that all of this law stuff is a sham. We can see that all of these courts are kangaroo courts. So it's imperative that they rule that way, not only not for black people, not for white people, for humanity. Because if 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 on a national stage where people are able to pull up videos and show their mom, look at these kids getting uh, their limbs amputated with no anesthesia, and we're just going to say, oh, that that's okay. Because if Israel has no, because you know Joe Biden is not going to hold them accountable. So if the governing body 
you know, which is supposed to enact some sort of law, some sort of social and moral pressure. If they say, hey, Israel has the right to defend itself, then this doesn't really bode well for humanity because you're setting a standard that genocide is okay if you have the certain uh, imperialist protections. But don't you see where this whole thing is winding down? Um, Because at this point, like I say, with the emergence of um, social media and the diversification of sources for information, we're seeing what's going on in Gaza in real time. So at this point, it's either we believe what we see and we contradict what they say, but it's no longer they control the whole narrative. And this is where this whole thing is going to break down. If the ICJ does not come in with, you know, the right decision, the moral decision, it's only going to eat away at the integrity of that institution because people see it for what it is. I mean, you see all these massive protests around the world. At the same time, you see the so-called leaders of these states attempting to do what they've always done. And it, I see a collision course, you know, and the fact that these governments are really just here to control is going to become very obvious very soon to a whole lot of people. And I just see things collapsing because this old form, like I say, has served its purpose <coughs> and it's no longer functional. And people are, you know, the desperation is increasing because increasingly all of the resources are being controlled by the limited few. You see them at Bilderberg and Davos and the World Economic Forums and all this stuff, just basically planning out, you know, what they want to happen. And at the same time, you have animation, I mean, automation and robotics and AI nipping at the heels of labor, which is putting a different type of pressure on the people. And at some point, these things are going to collide and collapse. You know, at the same time, we have the major media outlets coming, ooh, the stock market is up higher than it's ever been. Ooh, inflation is low, this and that. And in that same venue, you see them saying, oh, Amazon is finna lay off, or this company finna lay off, and this news outlet is laying off, and this outlet was just taken over. It's just... These things are not going to peacefully coexist. And it, for me, it's, it's halfway frightening and halfway overwhelming because everything seems okay until it's not. And when these realities start to rain down on people, I just, I don't see where it goes. And I, I can't get a good read on how far off we are before the collapse is just precipitous and it's just right there at your doorstep again. I mean, it's there. 
I mean, look, the, it, it's 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 certainly there, you know, as to what happens afterwards. I think that's what we have to start planning for now, you know, what, whether or not, uh, you know, whether or not you think you are capable of being the solution, whether or not you think you're capable of reporting on certain things, whether or not you think, oh, I don't know if I can be the leader of this revolution. None of that at the end of the day fucking matters if a collapse is coming. If it's coming, it's coming. You have to decide, okay, so how prepared do I want to be for this and how can I even be prepared or how can we be prepared? So that's, you know, it comes either way. Um, how far off of it is it? We'll see with the ICJ ruling. I, I, I think the ICJ, um, you know, from a case standpoint, this is pretty much a slam dunk genocide case. Um, even the self-defense excuse, uh, you know, that be easy. You were mentioning, uh, if, if the ICG find, ICJ finds that, um, Israel was acting in self-defense, doesn't matter. You can act in self-defense and still be committing the genocide. Like self-defense is not an excuse for genocide under the, um, uh, the, 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 uh, Geneva. uh, yeah, the Geneva convention. You know the, what the, though, Joe? the, the uh, chief judge for this case is a Zionist. That's well, that's what I'm saying is like, look, I, I truly believe that if they, they have the interim ruling, which is coming out today, later today, and the interim ruling, all the interim ruling is going to do is say, look, we believe that there's a plausible case that's been made that there's a genocide. Right, but they're asking for it's a sanction. The they're going to say, though, case. in the meantime, you have right, to do a sanction, to... right? But potentially, that's what they should say. They should say, uh, we have to sanction, you have to cease your war activities. But that's, I, I think they're going to try to thread the needle and say, we see that there's a plausible case happening here. However, at this time, we don't want to interfere with Israel's uh to the extent that they're under attack or their right to, they have a right to self-defense, we're going to make this interim ruling. Because here's the thing. The ICJ knows that uh, they don't have, like, like most courts, they don't have an independent army or an independent enforcement arm, right? What's supposed to happen if they have a finding or even a suspicion that a genocide is happening? It means other countries all have a, a, an obligation to intercede. Uh, that's that's how that uh, provision is supposed to work. Yeah, the other countries are supposed to come out and actively stop the genocide from happening. Let me ask now, you this, Joe: If you do that, the the what happens? Well, America says "fuck you." Israel is going to say "fuck you," and they're going right. to go and do what they want to do. And now you have an international incident caused by, you know, the ICJ. I mean, right? Uh, well, let me ask you this, Joe. As a lawyer, maybe you know this. I'm not saying you should just because you got your own life to live. But I don't know. Oh, you don't know this. You're a lawyer because you don't know international law necessarily. But if they do come out and say even a half a loaf and say, yeah, there's there's a reason like basically grand jury. Yeah, this needs to go to trial. There's been you know reason to think of genocide. Does that trigger potential sanctions? Because you can't just sanction anybody anytime. You got to go through the WTO for some of this. So do you, but, so that might happen if they at least say that that, you know, it might trigger a lot of sanctions against Israel through the WTO because of going against the WTO. So as I understand a lot of uh, sanctions, just generally, they can independently, like a country can independently decide to sanction another country or to stop. Right. But you you could take, you could take people to like the the trade court though. 
you know, like China does with us and we do to China? Is there something that could trigger some WTO sanctions or at least allow for sanctions besides just the individual country ones? I think the ruling would, I I don't know if there's an automatic sanctions uh, kind of uh, activation process from an interim ruling from the ICJ. So if they come out and say, yeah, automatic, we but us, uh, I don't mean automatic, uh, but I meant like, does it allow happened. for, right. does it allow for them? Well, I think it would allow for them to pursue it. But what I, what I want to understand here is what enforcement mechanism do they have? You know, there, if, if it, it is, if it's reliant on the independent countries, uh, voluntarily, voluntarily choosing to adhere to the ruling, then you're going to see a lot of countries that just don't adhere to the ruling. What you could see right. is uh, a lot of countries that end up saying, okay, we're going to adhere to this. And America and Israel, uh, uh, I guess, just turning up. You know, I, I, I have a hard time. Really, this ruling to me is more like how, how much of a, a liberalism – and this, you know, this new world kind of liberal order post-World War II is going to continue to survive uh, or have any sort of legitimacy following this ruling, right? Like if they make a purely political ruling, then, okay, they've made a purely political ruling. Israel is going to continue doing what's doing. And we now have an opportunity to finally point to people or point people to uh, this sort of world order that's been set up by uh, a settler colonial state that funds other settler colonial states that uh, fights foreign wars and and, and keeps uh, a a you know like a capitalist order in its favor and point to that and say look your system does not work there is no actual justice in your system right you need to come to like, ours justice for right. Slavodan Milosevic and some third world countries but when it comes to the western powers and the first world countries we'll protect right. them right and I could see a lot of countries and other people starting to rally more around uh, like China and the rest as an alternative because this clearly isn't going to keep working right uh, but if they do come up with the the, the actual uh, interim order that says we believe a genocide is plausible, that uh, that the genocide is plausibly be occurring here. Which I mean, like to anyone who's actually seen everything that's happening there, it's it's a no fucking brainer. It's not a matter of whether or not it's plausible. I mean, it is happening, right? No one is. Uh, I I won't go over all the ins and outs of it right now, but big parts of the genocide, uh, proving genocide, are about proving the intent. We have multiple state leaders who have all, I mean, if you, if you watched any of the presentation that South Africa made, it was fantastic. Um, multiple state leaders who have all kind of declared their intent, talked about wiping them off uh, the earth, talked about even moving them all out of that area and forcing them somewhere else. Uh, you have, I, I won't go over everything. Like, it's clear, right? Uh, but It's rules, clear. But yeah. that's why I say we're at an inflection point, no matter what goes down in terms of their decision today, later today. This is an inflection point because we see it for what it is. And so either they're going to make a decision that at least preserves their legitimacy or they're going to do a political thing, which proves they're just a, a, a fraud. And that 
you know, either way it goes, there's going to be a reckoning. Either people are going to start unraveling and saying, after, you know, these international courts and international law, because if you all don't have to follow it, we don't have to follow it. Or you're going to see that tremendous amount of pressure being put on the United States and Israel to say, listen, the rest of the civilized world sees this thing for what it is, and you are becoming the pariahs. And to, to me, I can see that coming because that's the way empires generally collapse. They get involved in hypermilitarism and they overextend themselves. You know, we have all these military bases all over the world and, you know, we're in everything. And at some point that overextension begins to unravel. China is already in the ascendancy. They're building coalitions with Russia. The The world is moving to a unipolarity, whether the Amer United States likes it or not. And so, like you said earlier, it's coming. It's just a matter of, you know, when will it happen? When will the bottom fall out? But these things are going to happen because nobody is. I mean, how far can you go with more militarism before something nuclear jumps off and destroys the entire planet? And maybe that's maybe that's the way it ends up going. I hope not. Yeah. That's so true. Noel. Well, one thing. Um. One thing I will say is that um Oh shoot, I forgot. I forgot. I'm sorry. Who's Well gonna, it's almost four o'clock, so I know, right? <laughs> While you try to remember, Sabby, could I just piggyback on what Noelle said? It's like not don't tell me I'm gonna forget, but um the um the genie's out of the bottle. The toothpaste is out of the tube. The whole world is paying attention to, to Palestine and the thing with bricks. And it's the end of our, you know, slow decline. It's going to start happening more rapidly. But that's like, I think it comes from the Bible. I don't know. But it's a mighty ill wind that doesn't blow some good somewhere. So maybe, just maybe, as horrible as this is, it's going to finally get the world that isn't going to turn their back when the new headline comes up that the, everybody, the whole world is watching for the first time to what's happening in the, to the Palestinians that maybe this is a turning point where it will wind up with them getting some justice after all. I I, I think that if that's what you... Yeah. Kind of and don't sleep on the Democratic Republic of the Congo where there is genocidal stuff going on all over there. And now, you know, right. Africa is... Everybody is competing for all those resources in Africa because the rest of the world is either resource poor or just not as resource rich as Africa. Right. Yeah. Um, actually, Whoops. I know Margaret, I had Margaret, um, Kimberly. I had Margaret Kimberly come on to talk about it, but I, I'm actually going to have someone else come on to talk about it as well. Um, about the Congo, because that is important as well. Um, but I, I will say, I don't know, you guys, like, um, crossing my fingers, not trying to get my hopes up um, about the announcement tomorrow, and we'll see what they say. Um, the ICJ, I've been told by some people that ICJ is full of Zionists. Um, it's kind of like the UN, right? Like a kind of lapdog for the that, US. But I've heard that, but some of the speeches that have been given from the ICJ debunk that, you know, um, which I covered earlier on. Got you. 
we'll have to wait to see. But like I told you guys, I'm not kidding. Regardless of how they rule, if they rule in favor of South Africa, that's not good for Jewish people. If they rule in favor of Israel, that's still not good for Jewish people. Because the world is seeing what is happening right in front of their face. And that's the thing that people have to really understand. And the majority of people want a permanent ceasefire. The majority, whether it's Republican, Democrat, just put the labels aside. The majority of people in this country want a ceasefire. So that's what I'm saying. It should have never come to this. We should not have been supplying those weapons. And the U.S. and the U.K., everybody's going to be looking at us like you guys supplied weapons to the enemy. This is not going to be something that's going to go away. I want to be very clear. When we go back to 9-11 and we go back to Osama bin Laden's manifesto, which again resurfaced recently. 9-11 didn't come out of nowhere. It came out, came out of what the U.S. government was doing to the civilians in those countries. And this is what I want people to be aware of. What do you think is going to happen? You think this ruling from the ICJ, they're going to say, okay, let's, let's assume. They say, Israel, you're wrong. And it is what it is. You think the other countries are just going to blame Israel? No, they're blaming us too. So be aware, people. Be aware. Joe Biden, whoever else comes in after him, if they are defending without any doubt the state of Israel, we're all in danger. All of us. And this shouldn't be a shock, right? That's what people, that's what America does. When uh, uh, Trump did the Muslim ban, uh, after 9-11, they were demonizing all Muslims as terrorists, right? So if we are facilitating Israel's genocidal bombardment, and then we're, you know, keeping the same energy, wouldn't it be expected for the other group to say, okay, cool, it, it was your taxpayer dollar, the government that you voted in, because that's what they keep saying. Uh, 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 the Palestinians voted for Hamas, right? So on the flip side, they can make the argument, hey, you voted for Genocide Joe. Right. Oh, I see you as my adversary. What do you guys think about the 10 percenters, the, the rich people in America, the ones that do all the traveling? They're going to keep they're going to have a country after country after country. And it isn't just going to be Arab countries where they're going to say, we advise you don't not to go there because just like Israel, they're going to hate us more and more. Donald Rumsfeld, of all people, said we have no metric to know whether we're creating more terrorists than we're killing. So we're creating this hate, you know, all over the world. That, like Sabi said, foreign policy hits us at home. I don't want people to hate Americans. There's good 
good people here. There's wonderful people in Iran. We're taught to hate Iran. But the people of Iran are the most favorable towards the West and towards Americans than any other Arab or, you know, they're, they're not strictly Arab. They're Persian and all that. But, you know, as far as Muslim, you know, Muslim countries, they're, they're very favorable to us. And we just want to keep attack, attack, attack. If we just try to make friends with some of the populaces in these countries, we could achieve what we say are our goals. But of course, peace is not our goal. Endless war is our goal. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I have to head out, but it's, it's getting past the time. But yeah, it's, it's a good point, um, Lance. I mean, it's just, we can't say that foreign policy does not affect domestic policy. We cannot say that. And we are a target. And FYI, we're not safe either. If those other countries in the Middle East are not safe, we're not necessarily safe in this country either. I want people to be really aware of that. Gotta head out, guys. But thank you so much for tuning in. Bye. Good morning. Thank you, Sabby. What a wonderful room as always. Thank you. Thank you, Sabby. Next time. Peace, everybody. Peace. Have a good Bye. Good night. Bye.